Wednesday, February the 10th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said podcast. Hope everyone's having a nice start to their week. Sort of feels like the transition time in the world of sports with the football season ending. We're going to recap the Super Bowl here. And uh, and then on the next episode, we'll start talking a lot of basketball, weekly basketball, who's hot, who's not segments where we recap everything, preview stuff going on for the weekend with uh, ETOF21 Sports. Eric will be joining me on Thursday as we transition from football to basketball. But we'll recap the Super Bowl here in just a minute. And then we've got racing for the week. Wednesday, Sam Houston full card. Best bets from Oaklawn for Thursday. Sam Houston full card for Thursday. And then we get over and talk a little bit about the Kentucky Derby point standings. I'm going to go through the top 25 right now and then some other horses that are uh, live contenders that don't have any points that we l- look to see in, in some big races coming up. So we'll give you everything you need to know about the current Kentucky Derby point standings, all those three-year-olds, where they headed. We're going to let you know in just a bit. WandaVision, Episode 5. Tim Kelly joins me to recap. I had like eight pages of notes for Episode 5 of WandaVision. We go through everything that happened. Uh, Spoiler alert, we speculate, we predict things, and we just get deep into WandaVision. And then we close it out with Bash at the Beach 96, the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. The day that Hulk Hogan became a bad guy. When... Hulk Hogan joined the NWO. He's joining, uh, he's jogging down to the ring, and Bobby the Brain Heenan says, Yeah, but whose side is he on? Hulk Hogan and the day that he cut the the evil promo. We're going to talk all about that to close out the show. So tons of fun on this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Before we get into talking uh, about what happened in the Super Bowl, we first have to talk about our friends over at sarahcandles.com. C-E-R-A candles.com is the website for Sarah Candle Company. And when you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. But I really want to talk about the Valentine's Day box that they have. We're just a few days out from Valentine's Day. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening, uh, maybe you're getting a a little bit of a package together of a couple different things for uh, one of your significant others. Maybe a mom, sister, brother, dad, and anyone that you're, uh, you're getting a couple things for Valentine's Day for. Add the Sarah Candle Valentine's Day box into your little repertoire. It is only $20 plus the shipping. You get two Valentine's Day scents. The the ones that are recommended, Fresh Roses, Date Night, and Tuxedo for you to pick two out of those, uh, any combination of those three. If you want different scents, don't worry, Tyler Herringer will help you out there. Just send a little note and let him know. These are candles using soy wax, fragrance oil, that are infused with natural essential oils. These are healthier for you. None of the toxins, carcinogens, pollutants. That That's the, the cool story that you can tell whoever you get these candles for. Hey, look, I heard about these candles, and you know what? what's cool about them? It's a small business, and these are actually healthier candles for you. They're not toxins, no to- carcinogens, no pollutants. The, the wicks are actually better, and they're going to burn longer, so... Uh, little story to come along with the Sarah Candles Valentine's Day box. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A Candles.com, promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase there. Okay, let's let's talk about the Super Bowl. So I don't think too many people were predicting what the outcome was. Not that it was surprising that Tampa won the game. Just that it was a 31-9 to beatdown in a game that honestly wasn't even that close. Tampa got stopped on the one-yard line 
very could e- very easily could have been 38. And there was a lot of chatter about the uh, the the ref referees and the officials because in this game Tampa had four penalties for 39 yards, Kansas City had 11 for 120 yards. I got to be honest, I think there were maybe two calls that were probably questionable that could have gone either or way. I don't think this was some conspiracy to to win Tom Brady another Super Bowl. I I, I thought that was kind of a funny uh, uh sort of narrative I was seeing on on social media as if Patrick Mahomes and the returning champ Chiefs are some chump team, right? It's not like this was some big underdog team. They were the Super Bowl favorites. You've got Mahomes, who's an absolute stud and and basically the face of the the league moving forward. So I don't know why they would the officials in any way, shape, or form would be wanting to uh to gift wrap Tom Brady another victory. Doesn't I mean I just didn't see that adding up. Let's go through a lot of the things that that jump out that throughout the game, right? Though the offensive line for Kansas City. They allowed 28 pressures. That was the most a Kansas City offensive line has ever allowed in any Mahomes start. Prior to this, the most a Kansas City O-line had ever allowed in any Mahomes start was 16. 16! They allowed 28. That's unbelievable. And we saw it. We saw Mahomes running for his life. How about this note uh, from Tampa? Four players that scored the touchdown for Tampa, they were all free agents that were added in the offseason or during the season. You had Gronkowski, who scored two, Fournette, and Antonio Brown. So how about that? Great job by the uh, the executives there in Tampa. It was the offensive line. It was the penalties. It was the Mahomes turf toe. Andy Reid's son was involved in an incident prior to the Super Bowl. I'm sure that was something weighing in on him. Um, it just all all around. It was not a, um, a a positive showing from Kansas City. I think they got out coached. I think they got out played, uh, and and really at every position level, they they had three sacks, which felt like a lot more for twenty seven yards lost. They got sacked three times for twenty seven yards lost. They lost a the time of possession, and if again if. Tampa wanted to. Oh, I, I don't know about wanted to. They obviously wanted to score one more. But they, this was a game where early on they knew that, hey, let's just try to keep the ball away from Kansas City now a little bit more. We all could see what was happening. Kansas City's offensive line could not block here. Let's get some of the football outsiders uh, analysis that I was uh, looking at. So this was the Chiefs' worst game of the year according to DVOA. They had a lower rating than they had for the Week 17 game when they sat their starters. They, they're only this is the lowest offensive rating of the season. The only other negative game was against Miami when Mahomes threw three picks, and their defensive rating was actually better. Um, the Football Outsiders all year long, you know, we've you've heard us talk about them uh, on here a ton. They were really high on Tampa. And, you know, this uh, article goes on to talk a little bit about how they were getting criticized by a lot of other major um, analytics uh, people, sites, uh, um, publications that they weren't having Kansas City ranked high enough. Because in their particular metrics, Kansas City just weren't as high as Tampa. 
Tampa's losses were graded better. Kansas City overall didn't have as good of a defense and didn't just have an overall as well-balanced of a team. Uh, from early on, even when they were... From week five, Tampa was a top three team overall in DVOA every week. So the these analytics saw something in Tampa early in the season, even when they were 11 and five, seven and five, and then up to 11 and five. So a, a big shout to, you know, football outsiders. Cause they were all over, uh, you know, they mentioned that the Mahomes turf toe offensive line injuries, did those things impact the game? Yes. But at 31 to nine in the way the game was, where it just really never seemed close. I think a lot of us all would have expected, Mahomes, just because what we've seen from him, to be able to do a little bit more. And that's probably unreasonable based on the offensive line he was playing with. Although, here's one of the uh, the issues. This offensive line, the Kansas City offensive line, was the same offensive line that started against Buffalo the week before. Okay, or a very similar one. Four of these linemen started against Buffalo two weeks ago. And this is just a different, they look different because why? Tampa's defensive line is obviously much, much better. Uh, and Tampa offensively wasn't going to squander opportunity after opportunity after opportunity if you kept giving them that some of the other teams that maybe aren't as polished uh, would do against Kansas City. So what this really showed was that uh, this year was a year, they said, with a lot of good teams and no real dominant team. In the second half of this game, the Chiefs had about a 5% chance to win. And this was like a fascinating team because all year, uh, you know, middle of the year on, they were just getting by. And it never felt like a lot of those games they were going to lose, but they never really seemed to turn it all the way on until playoffs came. And then what ends up happening is sometimes you go to try to turn it on in a game or two and it's just not there. And in a in a football situation, you know, it's, all, it's obviously a lot different than a, a basketball or a baseball situation, right? If this is a seven-game series, what happens? Or, you know, obviously, it's hard to think about that in a football context. But one game is so much different, you know, uh, one bad game. This happened to be the worst game of statistically – of Patrick Mahomes' career. Uh, there were drops, a, a lot of pressure, but he has only been, according to Football Outsiders, below replacement level one other time, week 17 of 2019. This was only the third time in his career where he threw an interception and not a touchdown. Um, he opened the game with no first downs in his first nine dropbacks. Then he had four first downs in seven, and then he was zero for his next 10 as far as gaining first downs. So just... Bad streaks. By the time he got his next first down, the Chiefs were down 31-9 late in the third quarter. No first downs came in the red zone. He was 3 of 8 for 8 yards. He did not complete a deep pass until the fourth quarter, where and then he was only 2 of 10 for 49 yards and an interception on passes that traveled more than 15 yards downfield. On third and fourth downs, he was 5 of 15 for 57 yards with an interception. So this wasn't Mahomes' fault, but he didn't look good, and this is what we see a lot of times with teams that don't have good offensive lines, their quarterbacks even 
competent quarterbacks can look really, really bad. And we saw Mahomes with a couple incredible plays that he almost completed. And if a couple of his receivers make a few catches here, perhaps this game is closer. Yeah, a penalty or two goes one way. I, I just, the penalties, I, I never, it never felt to me like the penalties really swung anything. They Kansas City was getting their ass kicked, let's be honest. They were uh, most of this game. You had Brady who um, ended up going on a stretch where he went 9 of 9 for 101 yards and two scores. And in that stretch, he had two defensive pass interferences for 42 more yards. He he only had 201 yards total because in after the first, once it was 21-6, the game was really over. Tampa scored more individually in two different quarters in this game than Kansas City scored, period. Um, and, and, and the penalties were big, but they were also in the first half, there had been six penalties that caught, that gained a first down for Tampa. So big, crucial penalties for Kansas city, one or two of them again, could they have gone the other way or could they have been no calls? Maybe, but, but these were, there, there were some, some really Head-scratching plays for a team full of veterans with a good coach that's been here before that you just don't expect to make the mistakes that they were making. And in the second quarter, there was a stretch of five penalties that ended up costing the Chiefs what was somewhere between 25 to 40% of their game-winning chance. So they they lost like a fourth of their chance to win the game because of penalties, because of things they did themselves. And it was... A disappointing game at the end of a a playoff run, uh, a playoff season that didn't really have all that many great games, to be honest. Not a whole lot of crazy back and forth, late game drives. Other team gets the ball, drives back down. Tampa in the first half had two high safety shells on twenty one of twenty nine plays to take away the Chiefs' downfield passing game. Mahomes did not complete any of his passes traveling ten plus air yards down the field. Just so many different stats that showed the Tampa team seemed to be very well prepared for what they wanted to do. They had a game plan coming in. It seemed like the Chiefs were very nervous about their offensive line. They did not take very many chances downfield. I don't think they really had a chance to with the 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 time that Mahomes was given, which was none. There wasn't pockets for him to step up into and throw. They didn't have the opportunity for the plays to develop. And the few times that they did, they got a couple crucial drops from even some of their best. Kelsey had a big drop on what would have been a first down. Um, Andy Reid kind of got back to an old criticism of his where his clock management was really poor. A couple timeouts that were really unnecessary ended up giving points to Tampa. So it, it it honestly felt like from the top down, from I mean every side of the ball, offensive line, defensive line, coverage, quarterbacks, wide receivers. Although you, if you looked at the just the pure numbers of the wide receivers, you'd probably be pretty shocked that nobody, none of them had a big game. But that was one thing that we were sort of right in our handicap of the game. It looked like the one of the places that. Tampa would be able to attack the the Chiefs defense was with the tight ends and they did we saw Gronkowski with a couple touchdowns and he looked really good so can you believe it Tom Brady did it again 
there's an article that I was reading through from um, 538 that just talks about some of his his credentials. If you just look at, at Brady since 2015, he's thrown for 31,000 yards, 219 touchdowns. He's won 83 games, 70 regular season, 13. That's just since 2015. Three Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs. In those six seasons alone, that would be better than almost any other quarterback's career. And that's just less than a third of his entire career. All-time leader in quarterback wins, touchdown passes, championships won, Super Bowl MVPs. And he is the Super Bowl era career leader in total quarterback value over replacement. That represents the number of yards a quarterback generated relative to an undrafted backup. So he's ahead of Manning and Drew Brees there. He's also the career playoff leader in that metric. He's also produced more value over replacement in a Super Bowl than anyone. So regular season playoffs and Super Bowl. And it's more than just because he's been there over and over. He's got three of the all-time 11 best individual game performances based on this metric. It's one of those things where we get a little bit sick of seeing the same guys or gals or who, when someone's really good over and over and over again. You just kind of get bored with them. People that win repeatedly. This was a little different because he changed teams. He took a team that hadn't made the playoffs since 2007. That's like the the worst statistical franchise in NFL history based on win-loss. And he wins a Super Bowl with them. And he does it on the road to the point where he has to win a bunch of games on the road. And then he gets to play the Super Bowl at home. Just just crazy for uh, for Brady. I mean, breaking his career into, you know, twos or threes, you have awesome careers and, and, and what he's been able to do. And he's coming back. Few quarterbacks have ever been functional after turning 40, much less great. This is a, the end of this article I was reading through. None was a starter by age 43. Brady's current age. Brady has ignored all that history, setting new quarterback season value records for quarterbacks at ages 40, 41, 42, 43. He actually was better this year. He had a better supporting cast, but he was better at 43 than he had been at either 41 or 42. Better players around him were able to, he was able to, um, get the most out of them. And I think the impact that Tom Brady has on a team is much more than, yeah, look, was Brady the 100% reason why they won this Super Bowl in this particular game against the Chiefs? No, I think the defense was excellent for Tampa. They had a great scheme. Their defensive line did not make it easy at all on what they knew was going to be a weakened offensive line. And that gave Tom Brady a very, very wide margin of error. Right? He didn't have to be awesome in this game. All he had to do was not be terrible and lose a game. But you hear the stories about what was going on all week long, the text messages he's sending to everybody at 11 o'clock every night, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. The confidence that he exudes stepping on a football field on Super Bowl Sunday. Nobody else out there has that kind of a confidence. I don't think anybody else can make the rest of your team feel like they're going to win uh, more than a guy like Brady who's done it over and over again. And hearing from some of the players as they talked about what an impact he really did have on them and their mentality, I think it just goes to show you that uh, I, I don't know how many other quarterbacks would have been able to win the Super Bowl with that team. Not in this game, but go through the ups and downs of the season, 
some battles here and there with the Arians, figure things out in a pandemic season, and then still win. Uh, Tom Brady got it done. He got it done. We're going to see if we can get it done again uh, this weekend over at Stable Duel with the the Duel for Daytona. Okay, let's talk about the big contest, and then we'll go through what the rest of the schedule is. That's what I, I love about Stable Duel. Every week, something different, something fun. That the Royal Rumble contest a few weeks ago. We got the big Duel for Daytona coming up this weekend. So this is from the uh, the blog on StableDuel.com. It says, what's more American than horses and horsepower? This weekend is the Daytona 500. Stable Duel is ready for another crazy crossover event. Here's how it will work. Friday, the green flag will drop on the Duel for Daytona. It's called the Horse Power Challenge. It will be a $40 buy-in, a guaranteed prize of $2,000 for Gulfstream Parks Friday. Top 40 finishers in the Duel for Daytona will be getting a driver assigned based off of their finish in the contest, so you'll get the starting position on the grid. If you finish fourth in the contest, you will get the driver that starts fourth in the Daytona 500. Stable Duel will post a list of all the stables and who their drivers are before the race on Sunday. The contest will pay out like a normal contest, but it will include a bonus prize for the stable whose driver wins the Daytona 500. That winner will get $100 Stable Duel credit and a $50 gift card to NASCAR Shop to pick out some of their favorite driver's gear Get those stables tuned up, ready to race around the track on Friday for a chance at some cool bonus prizes. You can watch the Daytona 500 live on Fox at 2.30 p.m. So the Duel for Daytona is the big focus this week over on Stable Duel. Uh, Let's talk about their weekly schedule and all the games you can play starting on Wednesday. Tons of variety. You have Gulfstream Park, two different options for you. $20 buy-in, top 10. You got a $50 buy-in, double up. Over at Park, there's a 10 times booster with a top five win, 20. It's just a $2 buy-in there at Parks on Wednesday. You've got the Tampa Bay $10 buy-in. You got the Penn National $5 buy-in on Wednesday night. Over at Thursday, on Thursday, you've got Gulfstream Park, $100 buy-in, triple up. Gulfstream Park got a $10 buy-in on Thursday. Golden Gate, $25 buy-in. Sam Houston, you've got the free ride Thursday night, and you can hear our thoughts on the Thursday card in, in just a little bit right here on That's What G Said. Friday, Gulfstream, a couple different options, a $40 buy-in. There's a $5 buy-in, 10 times booster. You got a Tampa Bay $10 buy-in and a $25 triple up. The free ride at Laurel. Sam Houston dollar night on Friday with a dollar buy-in. And then Golden Gate, it's a $2 buy-in, 10 times booster. Look at the options for you on Saturday. Gulfstream Park, a triple up, a 25 buy-in, a 10 buy-in. Tampa has a $10 boost, a 10 times booster for 2 bucks. They got a $10 buy-in. Laurel's got a $25 buy-in. Golden Gate has the El Camino Real Derby prep $50 buy-in with a 3000 pool. Santa Anita has two different contests. Oh my goodness. Sunday we've got Gulfstream, three different contests, Tampa and Santa Anita. They are giving you so many options now. Stable Duel, download the app. Get those entries in and play race win. If you ever have a question about Stable Duel, please shoot me a message. I'd love to help you out there. StableDuel.com for any uh, anything you need. That's sort of the uh, the home base for everything. And then you can download the app for free and get your uh, get your entries into all the contests. You'll build your stable. You'll name your stable, and then uh, you build lineups for any any day that you want. Give it a try on some of these free roll, free ride days where you can uh, and test out your skills, and it's not going to cost you any money. 
It's a big day on Wednesday at Delta Down. Some of our friends over there, 10 stakes races. Every race on the card is a stakes race. Some big-name horses there for the Louisiana bread. It is premier day, so if you're looking for a, a good uh, track to play on Wednesday, give Delta Downs a look. We may have some plays for you if you follow us along on social media. It's me, Gino B. But you know where we're headed next. We're headed to Sam Houston for Wednesday. Get those past performances out. Let's take a look and a run through on the Wednesday Sam Houston card, February the 10th. We're going to start in race number one, maiden 7,500, six furlongs, the distance, uh, six and a half furlongs, the distance, excuse me. I thought the two. Ad libitum. This is a filly who raced on January the 15th after not having raced since October, uh, since August the 6th. She had an absolute no shot trip from the inside. She was blocked, no room. She actually tried to angle around. There was a little something there. She drew the rail that day. I wish she was drawn a little more towards the outside, but she's going to go second off the bench. She's going to come out of a race that's already come back a little bit live. This is not a very strong group. If you look back at the race on on, you know, in July at Louisiana Downs, that's not a terrible effort in comparison with what some of the others in here have. I thought the two was a horse. If you're playing some sort of an early pick three, throw the two in on your tickets. The four gospel tis joy is going to be really tough to beat. I thought the two was interesting to include in some of your exotics there to kick things off in race number one at Sam Houston on Wednesday. Let's go to the second race. The seven, these are Texas bred maiden fillies and mares, three, four, and five-year-olds. That's a lot of bling. It's going to be very, very tough on the drop-in class. Exiting a race where we've already seen Rosie Jane come back and win really impressively. That was her first start in a few months. She is, you know, when you look at the rest of this field, there is not much. I mean, Trinity Queen, one of her main rivals, she's been defeated by that's uh, a lot of bling multiple times. You have... The three head over boots who takes the blinkers off and who flew early in her last start. I think with that kind of speed, you can throw her into some of your exotics. The five bright spirit. She had to take up early on. She did get a lot of action in her debut and the barn isn't very good first time out. Wouldn't be shocked to see her show uh, show a lot more in this particular spot. The one Texas mama would be the other one. So I have seven, three, five, one in race number two. The seven could be a single in a, in your early pick four, and then maybe you come back and play a, another ticket where you spread out, use a couple others. I also thought the third race could be a single. I, I love the six. Feel the burn in here. I, I look at the rest of the field. Burns the boss. I'm, I'm just not quite in love with the races that he exits. The two convention should be showing uh, some speed in here. The three, Toe Tap and Luke, I think will also show a little bit of pace in here. The first time start of the four, Scarlet's Jack. I'm, eh, okay on and the five first avenue i think will improve but i'm looking at the six field of burning who now comes into the todd fincher barn for the first time this gelding has raced three times and they were all down at del mar back in 2020 and and all of those races were really really tough the august 8th race there were three next out winners that day the horse who won the race dr shival came back to win the grade one del mar futurity next out the fourth and sixth place finishers one maiden special weights Next out, you see a horse named Spielberg, who's a graded stakes winner, and Spielberg was the horse who beat him on November the 1st. So Spielberg, grade two winner, multiple grade one placed. The second place finisher that day, Parnelli, came back to win next out. The fourth place finisher, the great one, just won a race by 14 with a 92 buyer. He's going to be headed to the San Felipe in the September race for Feel the Burning. 
He hooked a horse named Tarantino Who next out finished second in the Zuma Beach Then won an allowance Then was second in the Holy Bull And is probably going to be running in the Fountain of Youth Or uh, the Tampa Bay Derby Harlan Estate was also in that race He won a maiden special weight next out Hot Rod Charlie was in that race He won a maiden special weight next out Then he was second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile And third beating a neck in the Bob Lewis Feel the Burning has been facing So much better horses Than he's going to be facing in this short field The real question is How good is this horse? We don't know He's been getting beat up by really good horses So he might be okay He might not have much But he's been training at Sam Houston He's got a a good little foundation under him For uh, a very nice barn who's having a good meet There's not a ton in this field And he's drawn to the outside to keep him out of trouble Seven furlongs feels like it should be a good trip For uh, a horse who has two mile races under his belt The number six, Feel the Burning Will be a horse that I single and all exotics, and if we can get any sort of a price, we'll we'll bet him to win. I just don't know. A lot of people might, you know, see what I see with all those horses that he's been facing. In the fourth race, maiden fifteen thousand six and a half furlongs here. The four strike it or tap it cuts back. Second time, Sam Houston. I'm throwing this one in. Um, look at the race back in September for Thomas Short at Churchill when finishing second against maiden fifteens, beaten in neck. If there's a little bit of that. Left in here This guy could fall into a nice spot The 7 senior Fabuloso Off the runner of effort Last time out Makes a lot of sense Uh, The 2 revving it up Wouldn't talk you off revving it up Whose Remington Park race was good Sat 2nd While the leader ran off early Came after the pace setter Moved to the lead 2 path at the top of the lane not a bad effort. The one Mr. Hands On, another one for Caldwell, who's not the best with first time starters. So you'd imagine these horses get a little bit better with a race or two under their belt. Four, seven, and then one and two. So four, seven, one, two in race four for me as they move on to race number five. And the approach in this race, I'm just going to play against the eight, Simple Pleasure. I just don't think she's as good on the grass in here. And she'll probably take a lot of money. So. To me, I will spread out a little bit in here with the two, Bajeri Candy, who's a must-use on the claim back for Broberg. The three, Undivided, whose first ever start was a debut win going a mile and a 16th on the turf against Maiden Special Weights at Indy, and hasn't been on the turf a whole lot recently. The 4B bit makes a lot of sense based on her turf form. The six just leave. I think if you put a line through the dirt race last time out, look back to the turf races prior to that. Obvious contender in here. The nine, Raging Gold Digger. Another one who gets back to the grass. Last time we saw this one on the grass, she was beating uh, 12-5 claimers over at Canterbury. So we'll play against the eight in the exotics. I have them stacked up nine, six, four, two, three as the horses to use for me in race number five. In the 6th race at Sam Houston Um, I'm going to start with the 4 Attain Success Who loomed up ominously Last time out His first start in a couple months I think this is a a nice spot And a good level for him He's got the running style I like Where he should be sitting in a stalking trip Throughout The number 2 Little Avenger Will be showing some pace He comes out of a couple live races uh, Two back He was behind a horse named Strolling Who won for 16,000 next out You have Shifty Henry Who uh, beat next out Texas bred five claimers, and that was his third in a row for Shifty Henry. 
So I uh, like the races that Little Avenger coming is coming out of. The nine will be on uh, a lot of tickets. Insurrection for our buddy Sam Sherman. He's just he's been consistent in good form. He he's going to get a field where he gets a little bit better of a trip. He's been a little too far out of it, I think, in his last two. So maybe he can get involved. Not doesn't have to be on the lead or anything, but doesn't that just not dead last or second from the back where he has to pass them all and and really get the benefit of a race falling apart. I think he has more positional speed than he's been showing. The eight. Annie's Candy got the wake-up win last time out. The 7, Wooden Shock, that's Burgermeister. So uh, in a wide-open race, the 4, 2, 9, 8, 7, some that I'm looking to use in the exotics as we move to race number 7. This one starts your late pick 4 there on Wednesday at Sam Houston. I thought the 2 Cross Creek going 5 on the turf here was a bit interesting. Um, the rail draw is is my major concern. Bob's bad boy looks like the one to beat. So I'll use two and five in all of the exotics. I'll throw the four, grab the money on a couple tickets because his turf form is definitely good enough to compete with these. And then the one A I prefer of the entries there. Last time he was on the grass, he was behind the really sharp touch revenge next out winning. Uh, you said it all a couple starts prior to that. And overall, he's got really nice turf form. Two five four one a in the seventh at Sam Houston as we move to race number eight. There ten claimers, non two seven furlongs. The distance I will go to the nine on uh, on top here. Crow Mountain, the outside speed. He was favored against five non twos last time out, and I think you know you look up and down this field. There just isn't a ton of other pace. I think the game plan for him has got to be pretty simple. Let's just send hard from the outside and uh, and hope we can clear the field and hope for the best. The two paint battle coming out of a race behind uh, Dias. Uh, that's come back. You know a horse who just recently won and the the race is live. The third place finisher that day has come back to win next out. I'm just a bachelor. Makes a lot of sense for the very sharp Gustafsson. First off, the claim blinkers come off immediately, and then the six uh, Oso Negro will also be one that I uh, give a look to, and probably want to throw underneath in some of your exotics. Just kind of coming in from fairgrounds. I don't want to take too short of a price on that one, but we will use the nine, two, three, and six there, and we get to race number nine at Sam Houston. I'm going to lean towards the 7, Mighty Merle, who should have a little more punch cutting back from a mile to 5 furlongs. Comes out of that very tough race behind Metro Pool. That was one of the more wide-open races of the meet. As you could see, he was favored in that race at over 9-2. to two. So that was just a really difficult spot. The 3, Moro Appeal. Dam was 2 for 4 on the turf. I want to throw this guy in. The 4-horse Saturday's gold looks like he could work out a very nice trip with some positional speed. Should be able to sit just off. Speaking of speed, you got some from Super Brady. How about that, huh? Won the Super Bowl. Maybe he can win the uh, the ninth at Sam Houston on Wednesday. We close things out in the 10th. Texas Bread Maidens, Phillies and Mares, 4 and 5 years old. Five furlongs the distance. I like in disguise. I think you can look at his debut and say he was in too tough. Comes back on June the 27th, and that's the race to key. His July 15th race 
at Evangeline, was on the grass, you could probably excuse that, and then comes back against Maiden Specials and was probably in a bit too tough there. So I feel like the four is well spotted today here for Broberg. The one my golden bling looks like the one he's gonna have to she's gonna have to run down. And this is not a very strong group. And my golden bling should improve with that race under her belt. The seven would be the horse if you're looking for a price. At least you get a good run for your money with home early, surely, because she does have some speed and uh, drawn more towards the outside. She should be able to at least stalk or use that speed a little bit better. So Sam Houston for you there on Wednesday. Best of luck there at Sammy H. Let's head on over to Oaklawn Park for Thursday. Give you a couple of horses to uh, throw into some of your exotics for Thursday at Oaklawn. Let's turn to race number four. So we're looking at February the 11th for Oaklawn Park Thursday. Fourth race, the number six street toll is going to go second off the bench and is just going to take a big drop in class for Hollendorf for Astronic Stables. I, I think they're just going to get aggressive with some of these horses and try to place them where they can win. They're searching for where this guy fits. Throw him into some of your early exotics here. He could be a decent price. Anything around six to one makes sense on street toll, the number six in race number four. Let's turn to the sixth race there. Uh, I'm looking at the first-time starter, the number four for Jason Barkley, Spilled Perfume. The dam of this one was a multiple winner. All five siblings won. You got a sneaky, steady tab for a very capable first-out barn. They just don't have a ton of horses, but they fire very, very live uh, a lot of the, the times with the horses they have. This one, Spilled Perfume, looks to be a live first-timer in race number six. If we can get around... You know, four to one or so. That's a fine price for me. Uh, the last two, I don't know if we're going to get the ki- the type of price that we would want to bet them to win. But I think I could probably single either one or maybe both in some of the late exotics. In race number eight, Villanelle will take a lot of money. But I actually prefer Paleo Flag, the nine in here. You look at some of her recent races, uh, September 24th, there were three next out winners that day. Regal Beauty Stakes placed. You got uh, most recently Paleo Flag beating a horse named Ocean Breeze who just won a first level allowance race at Oaklawn Park. Paleo Flag is drawn well to the outside with the ability to sit and she does not have a bad race on her resume. The number nine, Paleo Flag would be a horse I could single some of the late exotics on Thursday at Oaklawn for Asmussen and Santana. And guess who were looking at again in race number nine. Oh yeah, it's those same two with Scarred, Asmussen, Santana. Scarred won the debut, came back and ran into Hidden Stash, who if he straightens out, he probably wins the Sam F. Davis uh, on Saturday over the weekend. Scarred should be either on the lead or sitting close in a race that does not have a ton of pace. Give me the six, Scarred, in race number nine at Oaklawn Park. Anything around five to two makes sense, or perhaps another one that you'd just be better off singling in some sort of late exotics. Let's move from Oaklawn on Thursday over to Sam Houston on Thursday. So we're looking at February 11th. Sam Houston, you got a tough uh, race to begin because you got five horses that are coming out of that January 28th race. The one Texas crossbow is going to take a ton of money, going to be the heavy favorite. I actually thought the four, Infinite Jet Setter, who broke on top in that race, had the lead early, but couldn't cross over, got pressed on both sides. That was his first start since June. He has every right to improve off of that effort. Infinite Jet Setter, I will use along with the one Texas Crossbow 4-1 in the opener on Thursday over at Sam Houston. 
in the second race. The three was the horse who I think uh, you know I'm most intrigued with the RB2 here, who was a step slow from the rail, then got stuck behind horses. He ended up getting shuffled back. Now he's drawn a little bit more towards the body of the field, and I think he's the one they'll all have to catch in here. So RB2, the one to run down. Doc's Class Act made a huge middle move from last up four wide to challenge and then flattened out uh, a little bit. Now, that was on uh, January the 15th. He, on January the 28th, caught Lone Speed that day. Didn't really have a chance. So, the three, four are my top two in here. I prefer RB2 over Doc's Class Act. I've got the one with the band in the third spot who's coming out of some of the better races. And if, if he can work out a trip, He's going to be tough. If he was drawn more towards the outside, I'd prefer him. I just don't know if he's going to get the kind of trip from the inside um, with his running style. The five golden heat makes a ton of sense going first off the claim for Carl Broberg. I had him stacked three, four, one, five in the second. In race number three, the two April entry going to be my top selection. We got five non twos here going a mile. April entries best races for have been for this barn now is back in the short barn the dirt races have been against better gonna be dropping in class and she looks like the one to catch in here i think she might be able to get brave up front the number six march is may is no doubt the one to beat march march is may shouldn't be too far out of it she ended up being a, a little farther back i think than she wanted to last time out and it was only able to get up for fourth but was chasing uh, a race was in a race chasing the lone speed that day the one, Senorita Tappet. I I liked her victory, and the race has already come back live, so I, I wouldn't dismiss her at a middle to decent price. 2-6-1 in the third there. As we move to race number four, open five claimers. I thought the one will there's a way could, you know, really nicely sit third or fourth in here with some pace to chase. Um, in her last start, she had a good start. She settled you know, five lengths off or so in the two path. She kind of grinded into third late with with this race with Arabuni in here and with Little Red Vet. Uh, you look at Bold Legend, who's you know more of a like a route speeder. But I wouldn't be shocked if they try to send Bold Legend. I think at the very least you're getting Arabuni and you're getting Little Red Vet to show some speed which means it'll probably be setting up for someone to come off the pace a bit. And that could be Will There's a Way if Will There's a Way can work out a way. I like the one and the two Arabuni, who is probably the quickest in here. If anybody steals the race, Arabuni will try to be winning. Uh, will try to win back-to-back here. Light up the devil. Maybe she can sit third, work out a really nice trip. And then Little Red Vet, who's going to be dropping in class, Sort of a, a pace factor in here, but just never like to see when horses don't show any improvement for a newborn and then they take a big drop down in class. But this might be where he belongs, uh, where she belongs anyways. One, two, three, five in the fourth. In race number five, they're going to be going five furlongs on the turf course. Maidens, 50,000 there. I thought the two Miss Crinkles had a slow start. And then move nicely up into contention on the inside, but was moving into traffic. Sneaky ability. I didn't think it was a very good ride. You're going to get a big jock upgrade today with Luzzy jumping aboard. The dam's lone win was on the turf. The lone sibling for this filly won on the grass. So grass pedigree. Yes, please. For Mrs. Crinkles, the number two. 
5 looks like the one to beat. Tara Hill, who's dropping in for Maiden Special Weights. You also have Ultimate Force dropping in for Maiden Special Weights, trying turf for the first time. And Flat Out Larceny faced Maiden 50s, but another one will try turf for the first time. Two winning turf sibs of 4. 2-5 as my top tier with the 3-4 underneath there. Race number 6, Tis a New Day. Didn't love the trip that Tis a New Day got last time out. It was a bit awkward. Um, sort of rank and at the back of the pack made a slight outside bid I just think stretching back out now to a mile get a little more aggressive try to put this guy in a better spot and that's one thing Luzzy really does is he's a very good speed rider the number five intimidation feels like a a lightly raced horse with some upside comes in from fairgrounds second off the short break I like intimidation in this spot to five Uh, the one tail twister comes out of a couple live races behind some next out winners and horses who are in good form the three dream on baby probably excuse his last effort prior to that the form would no doubt be decent enough to compete with this group two five one three in the sixth on Thursday at Sam Houston Moving along, race number seven starts your late pick four. I would have two approaches on one of them. I would single the seven, Fred's Twirlin' Candy, who is a, you know, a horse you can make an easy excuse for last time out. Just put a line right through it. Didn't want to be on that off racetrack. Two starts back on the grass at fairgrounds. Was three deep going into the turn. 2-3 deep all the way around in a race that was tough. Two Emmys, who was second, came back to win next out. And that was against optional 40 Don 2s. This is a 15... This is a race where Fred's Twirling Candy is in for the $15,000 claiming price. Prior to that December race, Fred had rattled off three wins in a row. Wins where he showed speed. Wins where he sat a couple lengths off. Should be able to save ground from the inside. I love the one Fred's twirling candy in here. This barn is very good for to stop the claim. I know Gustafson's a good barn, but Craven just seems like they're spotting this horse well and in a place where he could win. And then I'll probably single the one on an, on one ticket and then another ticket, use a bunch of horses. Newport Beach is, is the one to catch. Hard attack, you can make cases with that turf form. Valentine Street with uh, Valentine's Week coming up. But Valentine Street, again, Put a line through the race against Fred, then start digging back, and you can find some good efforts. Definitely good enough to beat this group. You, you know what do you do with a horse like Lemonist? I'm just watching today, trying to to beat a horse who was claimed for 40 and is in for 15, hasn't run since February of 2020. You gotta wanna. You can make a case for. So, I mean, post close. This is this is a contentious race. I'll take a swing with Fred's twirling candy, single that one on one ticket, play another where I end up spreading out a little bit. In the eighth race, the four is going to be really tough in here at a very short price. Good judgment. Um, the, the speed to to put himself in a great spot. He's probably going to be sitting second or third in here. Other horses who I would look to use, the number five Moro Appeal, who's a wild card X Factor. He's also entered in a race on Wednesday so just keep an eye on where he runs if he's in this spot he makes sense just from um, you know opponent running lines he does have a win over wonders of his love who good judgment defeated last time out pretty good judgment did the three get a load of this feels like another horse who's just in good form and I one that you wouldn't you want to get talked off four I'll single uh, five three if you're looking to go a little bit deeper ninth race at Sam Houston on Thursday, mile and a 16th 
on the turf course there. I'm looking at the nine, Dracaris, who's going to be getting back on the turf course. This was a, a horse who had a big score on last year at 28 to 1. His turf form is not bad at all and can beat this group. Throw him into your late pick fours and fives. The three, many roses. Probably the one they'll have to catch and beat here. First off the claim for Jonathan Wong. Gets back to the grass. The number 11 is... I'll have on my top tier, Astounding on all tickets. Uh, Astounding is another one who we were talking about. Is also entered on the Wednesday card. And just overall, very good form for Astounding on the turf. 9-3-11. And you want to go a little bit deeper. I mean, you can make cases for the 1, Peacock Kitten. The 4, Grey Hope. The 5, Shirl's Ready. All horses I wouldn't talk you off. Uh, the 7, Tizona. But for me, 9-3-11 in, in that top tier of the, the must-use horses for me. And then to close it out, in race number 10, you got Texas bred 5,000 beaten claimers. Six furlongs the distance. I thought the five, Ribbon Kane. So he was facing Texas bred 15 claimers last time out. And then Texas bred first level allowance company prior to that. He broke inward from the rail. He was mid-pack up to third inside, couple lengths off. Uh, four wide move in the second flight. Then he got shuffled inside, couldn't come on again, gets off the rail. You're going to go second start off, uh, off track, legitimate excuse last time out. I think Ribbon Kane, you know, this was a betting favorite against better. This might be a horse who I would take a, a single on one ticket, but I have five, eight, six, seven as my top four. Uh, the six and seven both look like Horses who could get away if one of the t- uh, one of the two doesn't break, one of the two could end up taking this field gate to wire. Shot soft is back in with Texas bred. Chase that lone speed winner of Andy's can- Andy's candy last time out and Shifty Henry. Prior to that, might get a little more pace in here if Moro Charlie and Valid Decision do go quick early. Five eight six. Seven, I got the four stacked behind them. Jessica's Arch, if you're looking for another price horse, this one does like Sam Houston, and uh, you can definitely build a case for this one prior to those last couple efforts. Then what do you do with the three inside horses? I'm cold on them. The one, the two, and the three, they're going to take money. Oh, for the last 10, oh, for the last 11, oh, for the last 20. Yeah, they're good barns. Yeah. They're coming out of some probably some of the better races, but I just don't know if these horses want to win. They're going to take a lot of money, so if we're going to spread out, let's use some of the prices in here. Five, eight, six, seven, and then maybe the four on some other tickets. That is Sam Houston for Thursday. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances 
that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. We're already in February, February 10th right now, and some of you are listening to this show, which means we're getting close to, can you believe it, the Kentucky Derby? The first Saturday in May. So let's take a look at the the current Kentucky Derby points list and let's talk about what the top 25 or so look like and then some of the horses that maybe don't have points but we kind of know are our major contenders. So let's start with Essential Quality. He's number one on your, your points list. That's your Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner. He will be headed right now, looks like, to the Southwest. So we should see him running uh, not too long from now. Number two, keep me in mind, he's going to be running this weekend in the Risen Star. We have a lot of horses on uh, this top 20, 25 or so that we'll be seeing running in the Risen Star this weekend, like Midnight Bourbon, who won the LeCompte. He's entered in the Risen Star. He's number three on the points list. Number four, the Bob Baffert Medina Spirit, who won the Bob Lewis. Speaking of the Bob Lewis, Spielberg was fourth in the Bob Lewis Baffert was a little bit disappointed with that effort. He's not made any definitive plans for either of those two. Number six on the list is Jackie's Warrior, who is pointed to the Southwest, the speedy two-year-old from last year, now a three-year-old. Can he be? Can he transfer that speed uh, over and and stretch it out? Number seven on the list, Capo Kane, who was third in the Wizard uh, in the Withers. They will be pointing towards the Gotham. Number eight on the list, Hot Rod Charlie. He was third in the Bob Lewis. They will be pointing towards the Louisiana Derby. Number nine on the list, Get Her Number is working at San Luis Rey. We have not seen him since 9-26, since September the 26th of last year. Sitting on go was a little disappointing, was sixth in the Holy Bull, but Romans has said they will continue to move forward with him, take another shot along the uh, Kentucky Derby Trail for some points. Risk-taking. Who won the Withers? They will skip the Gotham and point to the Wood for their next start. That's because Chad Brown has a, a horse who he likes quite a bit named Highly Motivated that is pointed towards the Gotham. Number 12 on the list, Candyman Rocket won the Sam F. Davis over the weekend. And he and his stablemate, Nova Rags for Bill Mott, who's number 19 on the points list, who was second in the Sam F. Davis, they are going to be split up. One of them will go to the Tampa Bay Derby. One of them will go elsewhere. So 
You'll probably see one of them show up at Tampa, one of them point elsewhere. Greatest honor, number 13 on the list. He won the Holy Bull. He's headed to the Fountain of Youth next. Caddo River, who won the Smarty Jones, will be headed to the Rebel next. Brooklyn Strong, they had to miss the Withers because he got sick. They're going to try to get to the Florida Derby. March the 27th, see if they can make it. Currently number 15 on the points list. Number 16, your sham winner, Life is Good. He's working. You'd have to imagine the San Felipe makes the most sense for him on March the 6th there at Santa Anita. Cowan, who was second in the Smarty Jones, he will be headed to the Saudi Derby. Ron Bauer, number uh, number 18 on the list. He was scratched out of the Robert Lewis, but he is working right now. We'll see where he shows up. One of the few where I couldn't really find what the uh, the, the near plans the, uh, the near future plans are for him. Talked about Nova Rags, number nineteen on the list. Number twenty, Super Stock worked on February the fourth. We haven't seen this one though since October twenty fifth of last year. Then you have number twenty one, Tarantino, who was second in the Holy Bull. Will be headed to the Fountain of Youth or the Tampa Bay Derby next. Number twenty two, Overtook, second in the Withers. They will be thinking about the Gotham next. Number 23, The Great One. Second in the Los Al Futurity. They will be pointing to the San Felipe. Other horses uh, that you're probably keeping an eye on. Number 26, Roman Centurion, who was second in the Bob Lewis. Number 31, Hidden Stash, who was third in the Sam F. Davis I liked over the weekend. Number 32, Mandaloon, who was third in the Lecomte and is entered in the Risen Star. And then number 33, Prime Factor, who was third in the Holy Bull, who people were so high on that day, but sort of a disappointing third. Some of the other horses who do not have points, but we want to keep an eye on them. Concert Tour for Baffert, who won the San Vicente. He, If he follows along the same pattern that he did with Nadal with Concert Tour, he'll probably end up in the Rebel. Freedom Fighter, who was behind Concert Tour, where do we see him next? Mentioned highly motivated, headed to the Gotham. How about the highly regarded Bob Baffert runner Bezos over the weekend, who was very disappointing, but he was behind a horse named Dream Shake, who was awesome. And Dream Shake has the connections mentioning the San Felipe as a possible next spot for him. Senor Buscador will show up in the Risen Star. In the Fountain of Youth, we'll see Drain the Clock and Fire at Will, along with Greatest Honor and maybe a Tarantino. So everything's starting to take shape now. Everybody plotting out their course, their plans, which way they want to head on the road to the Kentucky Derby. We want to let you know about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. The website, cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, and she can help you in many different ways, like selling, purchasing, leasing. She can help you find a vendor like a handyman, a painter, landscaper, gardeners that she's personally used in her own home. If you need help getting pre-approved for a loan, she can connect you with a lender that she works closely with and can highly recommend. Covering all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, parts of North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho, Santa Fe. But if you need help and you live in a different state, somewhere else around the United States, Contact Cindy. She can help you out. She can put you in touch with people that she knows all over the place. CindyCarava.com is the website. Make sure to let her know that Gino sent you there. Moving along now, WandaVision Episode 5. Tim Kelly joins me. I was so pumped for this episode. I think I, I had you know 
seven or eight pages of notes. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. We're going to go over everything that happened in episode five and how it affects the uh, this world, this universe moving forward. There was a big reveal, um, lots of different things happening. If you have not been watching WandaVision, if you know Marvel and the MCU, or maybe you watched the first couple episodes but you didn't want to stick with it, I promise you, once you get to episode four, you will want to keep going. This is appointment TV for me now, each and every week. And for Tim Kelly, who's going to join me to talk WandaVision, all the recaps. We spend a ton of time going through everything, recapping episode five of WandaVision. We are into episode five now of WandaVision. Tim Kelly joining me again to discuss uh, our weekly recaps of WandaVision. And Tim, I know we've uh, we've said this the last couple of weeks, but... It just feels like every episode is getting better and better. We're we're getting more information. Some of our questions are being answered, but then at the same time, we just have a new set of questions that we're asking. Every time it feels like those questions are answered, we're bouncing back and forth between the uh, what is now being referred to as the hex, the sort of Cinda, the sitcom Wandavision world. And then outside into this world, which is outside of Westview, um, this fifth episode was really, you know, we saw it sort of in episode four where they bounced back and forth. But this was kind of like the first time for a full episode where we would see like five minutes in this world, five minutes in this world, five minutes in this world. Oh, yeah. It was uh, just give me some of your overall thoughts. Well, uh, like the title said, it was a very special episode of WandaVision. I I, I loved it uh, from top to bottom. And like you said, uh, it's firing on all cylinders right now. Uh, It just does seem to be getting better and better. It laid that initial groundwork of the mystery. And now it's really, really playing in that world, playing with the form of television uh, like it it really couldn't before. Uh, and, And it's really... It's gotten to the point where we're starting to um, reap what the so- what the show has sown. Uh, this is uh, all the all the setups are, are paying off, and we're we're really in high gear right now. Um, just I, I get I'm getting so excited just uh, discussing yeah. it, just thinking about uh, everything moving forward, and then the you know the big 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 news, Tim, is just you know this world now with with the big reveal mm-hmm. at the end of the episode. Um, for some of the folks out there who who might not have kind of known the logistics between this, so Fox had owned the rights to the X Men, uh, and and so the X Men movies that we've seen through the years, which started in about what two thousand ish with the actual X Men X Two, and then they've kind of gone backwards with Days of Future Past, mm-hmm. and so they've gone. Sort of like what WandaVision is doing, they have their movies set up through the decades, like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. But remember, this is Fox. This is a completely different studio that's been doing these movies that's made the rights to these. Now, recently, Disney acquired the rights to, to this. So now, for the first time, because we're actually going to be able to see the MCU and the X Men really interacting. In this Disney version of the MCU, we've never seen it before. Even though a lot of the characters, the like the Avengers and the X Men, interacted a lot in comic books and throughout oh, the yeah. history of those characters. So this is now with with what we see at the very end with Wanda, quote unquote. You know, spoiler alert. You you know when you tune in uh, that we were going to talk spoilers. I, I give the spoiler pre warning alert, but just one more time. I mean, you know when we see Wanda's brother show up recast that now again this is another one of those things tim where it's like does this mean we're gonna see you know 
Magneto and Xavier and all those versions, Wolverine, right. Deadpool, them. Are we? Is this some sort of a weird thing where they're just kind of like playing on the fact that we know this was guy guy who played in X Men? Like, is Feige just messing with us a little bit? Right. We don't really know how far this is going to go, which is another one of those great like parts of this this show. I love the week to week format because if this was in the middle of like an eight uh, episode season that was dropped. This cliffhanger wouldn't feel as big, but we got a week yeah. now to talk about it, to think, to say, what the hell? Like, w- now now where are we going here? Absolutely. And it, it was incredibly significant for that to happen, and it did raise a lot more questions. Like you said, we don't know exactly what angle they're telling us uh, or they're coming from with this story. I mean, is it supposed to be the actual uh, Pietro character from – uh, the Quicksilver Pietro character from the X-Men franchise, which is a separate universe entirely, or is there some other kind of answer? Uh, and we're just supposed to kind of uh, appreciate the the meta um, happening that has happened here. Uh, you know, just uh, just appreciate, you know, behind the scenes that this is, you know, something that shouldn't have happened, but is happening. Uh, it, it's crazy to think where they could really go with it. I, I love... Um, what this does for for the MCU, though, I mean, we all kind of knew it was coming because of the the merger that had happened, and with with Disney buying 20th Century Fox and then getting control of that whole X Men franchise, which is super significant for people who aren't you know into the comics and following this you know behind the scenes stuff, inside baseball stuff. Uh, I, the Incredible Hulk that was sold to Universal, I believe, in the 90s. Uh, Spider Man was sold to Sony. Uh, the all the X Men which is all, every one of these examples that I'm saying here were Marvel's top properties, really, from yeah. the comic books, were sold to these different uh, studios. So when Marvel decided to create their own uh, universe, they really had to start with what was at the time a like kind of a B property for them. They couldn't so use they, any they, of them. Yeah, they couldn't use right. a lot of the big so, players. Yeah, so they made Iron Man into an A player. You know, now when we look at Iron Man, he's as A-list as they come with uh-huh. Robert Downey Jr. But back in 2008, when that movie came out, he was – uh, and sort of an unknown uh, quantity. Uh, he, people knew who he was, but he wasn't as as at the forefront of you know mm-hmm. comics popularity as you know Wolverine and the X Men and, and Spider Man. So they really had to build on their own to the point where the MCU got as big as those other properties, and then uh, those properties wanted to play with in the MCU game. So we we've crossed over with Spider Man already. We've had. Uh, Incredible Hulk in the mix for a while now due to a deal, but the big, big elephant in the room for a while was the X-Men and the mutants, which they couldn't even say the word mutants for a while. Uh, but now now it's all fair game, so I'm super excited to see where we're going with that. I mean, in the weeks leading up, we are going to hear things about the multiverses and all, I mean, and all sorts of different like speculation, different theories. That is what is so fun. With this world and the the one that we reference a lot of time with the Star Wars world too, with those greater universes, with the with because this isn't like when you watch a a show, you, you throw on a, a comedy on uh, on Netflix or Hulu, you know, and you you watch a new show that comes up. Like there are there are worlds that all of these characters are coming from, with all these lengthy backstories, all these fleshed out stories, um, and what's What's so like fascinating about this is we saw what um what they did with uh what they did in, in in the Mandalorian and sort of what Star Wars is like we don't know which source material they're gonna pull from 
Which is great. Right. Like there are these comics that they're certain comics that they're referencing. You know, one like the Vision comic. There's the Vision and the Scarlet Witch, with a lot of people are uh, seem to feel like they're taking a lot of um, their influence uh, from for this particular episode. These comics mm. too are really dark. Uh, the ones right. that they're sort of getting getting their inspiration from. So uh, that's what's really cool. Is it's not like. Like we know and we have an idea is if you read comics or if you've just been doing the research and you've been like investigating every week with these shows and and you know sort of what's coming that that's where you stand you sort of know what's coming but you don't really know because there's there's different doors they could go every time so true so true I mean the, the source material is so deep I mean they could yeah. go a lot of different directions and what they end up doing mostly from you know my experience is that they, they'll they'll Crib little things from everywhere exactly. They'll take what works and like they'll combine hodgepodge. things <laughs> yeah. yeah It's a wonderful hodgepodge Yeah, that's that, they have that ability to do the, that With so much luxury. to draw from Yeah, yeah which you're able to, to look at and, oh, I don't like that, but that works You know, that would work great for this And you can kind of weed through and find it It's just, uh, it's awesome So let's get into WandaVision Episode 5 now and uh, we're to the 80s now, TK. Yeah. We open in a house with 80s everything. And you are going to get, watching this episode, full house, family ties, growing pain vibes, all. Oh. Like, those are the main three that you'll see throughout the episode referencing. And the one uh, thing, I tweeted this, like, immediately after I watched the the episode, like, right away on, on late Thursday night. It, how incredible. I think this episode... I was the most impressed with both of our lead actors here playing uh, playing Vision and Wanda, and like the the attention, the detail with the things that um, you know, from their haircuts to the way the tone right. of their voice to the way they reacted to the every time Wanda has her two or three little actions with the ki- interactions with the kids where she has to kind of teach them the lesson that like Danny yes. Tanner's doing with the, the 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 twins, you know, in Full House, and then the whole meta part about oh yeah, this is Elizabeth Olsen and her sisters are Mary Kate and Ashley from Full House. That was you know, great. That yeah, there is just like thirty seconds in. Like very like almost nothing is even said. Uh, you just see Wanda envision each with a twin. They're kind of trying to get them to sleep, and and we just notice the incredible attention to detail. I'm like right back when I was a little kid watching these uh, these shows. Absolutely, uh, I felt this way about all of the uh, the throwbacks so far, all of the homages to the different eras. But this one for me really hit home just because it was probably what I grew grew up with, and it just yeah. felt so pitch perfect. I felt like. I've seen this before. I don't know exactly where they're taking this from, but I've seen this exact shot before. Um, a few examples that I did kind of recognize a little bit were it was like the end of the Full House theme song was very similar uh, to the end of, uh, you know, the, the WandaVision theme song that, w- that was shown here where they're out in a, in a picnic area kind of zooming out. out. grass, um, yeah. Yeah, that opening well, with with the um, the the paintbrush, Wanda's kind of magical paintbrush, uh, water adding watercolor and colorizing the uh, the portrait of the family. That felt like it was ripped directly from something. I wasn't exactly sure, but family family ties. Dire- uh, yeah, it was directly right? ripped uh, immediately from family ties. They're filling in the paintings. Exactly. I mean, literally, if you watch the oh, intro right. for Family yes. Ties, the very beginning part is exactly like that. The same black and white, and they're filling it in like with an airbrush. And it gets like more and more full as the intro right. goes through. Yep, it was. It just felt so authentic, down to the little clips that they showed of the show. You know, uh, in that montage, the music montage, and the the little images of them uh, at growing up, Vision as a kid. I and thought that really age. stood out. 
Yep. That was that, that was amazing. Uh, but the even baby just as, vision was just so creepy. Yeah. Right? Like like cool. But yeah. Creepy and um and, and none like, of that existed. I mean, that was completely fabricated by by yeah. Wanda. I'm assuming. I mean, there no, was no yeah. childhood for Vision. Just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. As we yeah. are just like immersed into the 80s, even so much the as lyrics like, with the, ly- the oh, lyrics the, too. Oh, we'll we're get making it up as that. we go along. Yeah. Oh we'll yeah, we'll come back that. to it. I got the whole damn lyrics written down. We'll get to that song <laughs> in just a second. The thing, um, to even the little things, TK, like uh, with the way when Wanda would start to talk and respond to the boy, well, boys, you know, right. she would just have that like super sitcom mom, you know, like and like a very yes. firm feeling too, like teaching, but not like mean. Um, just like right. goosebumps reminding me of the the shows just like this as a kid that that we watched uh, growing up so, so okay. she, even the way she holds herself i, I noticed the way yeah. she holds her hands she ha- kind of holds them out like and the they just kind of like hang limp it's, uh, it's, it's very a master class watching all of these and it was like i felt this way yeah. through every decade and for, through every mm-hmm. episode so far but this one i think just sort of for what you said, because like we, these are the ones that we grew up on, so we know yeah. these shows a little bit better, and so we'll notice the little things that are like, wow, that was exactly like that. Maybe more than we would in a in a I Dream of Genie sense or one of those shows that was a little a little past our time. Um, True, just uh, just great, and, and they just continue to hit it out, knock it out of the ballpark with uh, with all of that like specific attention to detail. So they've each got a twin. And they're trying to get the babies to sleep. And it's got this very funny, you know, over the top. Everything's jokey. They're kind of flirting as they're tired and they're and they're dancing with the babies at the beginning. They actually uh, reference uh, Vision talks about how he he's, starts to read The Descent of Man, which is also like another cool little Easter egg. That's a Darwin book about human evolution. Um, and, you know, these boys are actually like literally evolving. And this is the episode where we're getting mutants into the right. MCU for the fear for the first time. So really just another thing where it's like he it's a small reference, but it's like you look it up and you feel oh like you feel like good for looking it up because, you know, that they don't drop little references like that for no reason. They're always having fun and, and they're very smart about how they do things. So we uh, we have the the parents, Wanda and Vision. Trying to get the babies to sleep Wanda's using her magic but that doesn't work Even with the babies um, And Vision comes in He's got the he's got the uh, the pacifiers On his ear they're kind of laughing and joking <laughs> Around and the babies Spit out the pacifiers parents are struggling And Wanda says maybe We just need some help Boom, Ding dong <laughs> doorbell rings And this is a like we see all the time. Any so anytime Wanda mentions something, needs something, this it's gonna happen because that's this is her world that that we're living in that she's created. Um, so now it's Agnes. She's just here to help, and she's great. She's in her total uh, '80s workout gear. She's got the total look with the ponytail yeah. and everything. Jazzercising. Jazzercised. She's got a couple of tricks up her sleeve, and we keep getting these references. Uh, uh, you know the. The rumors are that this is uh, Agatha, um, Agnes is, is Agatha, someone that Wanda has run into and has had a, a past with in the, uh, in you know, in the comics. And we sort of get the feeling throughout this episode that Wanda knows Agnes more than than just being in this world because Wanda is now all of a sudden like completely comfortable using 
her magic in front of Agnes. Vision is like really skeptical about Agnes and how Agnes wants to get involved with the kids right away. And so there's a there's already pretty quickly into it. We have one of these moments where Vision Agnes you know is offering to help with the kids, and they stop. And Agnes breaks character. It's like you and I were acting out uh, a scene, and you just messed up the line. And you looked at me like, oh, should I take this from the top? It was it was like Agnes is playing along, realizes she messed something up, and then ask, literally ask, do you want me to take that again? And yeah, everything it was, freezes. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. She broke character. It was it was very strange. Uh, and and I, one thing I noticed about it was Vision maybe triggered it somehow. I, on, I had to rewatch it to kind of catch this, but Vision gets flustered and kind of wants Agnes to, to stop. Like, um he, he moves forward and says something about the babies and kind of like gets in the way. And Agnes kind of gets, I think, thrown off by that. And that's what kind of causes her to break the character and asks, you want me to take that again, take that again from the top. Uh, just a very, very strange moment. And another thing I noticed is that the, the babies, when, when she breaks character, the babies stop crying. It's just yep. silence in the background. So it's just this very strange thing where the, the whole scene just breaks down and vision is, is so confused. And Wanda's just, there's like a couple seconds of silence where Wanda doesn't even really seem to know what's going on. You know, she's yeah. like, because we get these moments where we're so for, we're so 100% sure that Wanda's in control of everything. And then you get these other moments where Wanda doesn't seem to have power over what's happening or doesn't seem to be able to like, know what's coming next, which wouldn't right. make sense. If she's in control, like, how would she ever be surprised in this world or shocked at what's happening? Um, just true, true. Just, just it really makes you crazy. think that, yeah, yeah, it makes you think that you know she's in control. But I kind of touched on this a few episodes back. Is she in complete control? Was some mm-hmm. had did somebody start her on this journey? Yes. Uh, a vision Stipulate. at one point later talks about how uh, you, you maybe you didn't start this. Maybe this was a, like a, an unconscious thing at first. Yeah. Uh, so I just wonder, you know, did somebody was she under a spell and then pushed in this direction? Or is there someone who's pulling her strings without her really being fully cognizant of it? So uh, as Agnes repeats, should we just take it from the top? Vision and Wanda kind of just like, then it feels like Wanda sort of speeds it up again. Like she's she's sort of able to like, um, like just move it forward again because they got kind of just laugh it off. Agnes goes to help with the kids and... Vision asks Wanda about what just happened. You know, that's when Wanda says, oh, nothing. You know, she was just confused. Um, Agnes is using lavender to help calm the babies, which is another kind of interesting, just funny reference. Lavender is is something that was uh, is supposed to be helped to to calm the babies and and has like a um, a bigger like lavender is something that can be used against evil uh, and uh, and can be used like as a weapon um, in some of the comics. And now the twins have stopped crying. So they're. You know, she's doing her job. And I mean, we just go quickly to twin stop crying. Wanda and Vision are having their little conversation about what just happened. They walk over and the twins are not in uh they're not in their little bassinets. And Vision gets nervous for a second, but we see the twins on the stairs right behind them, and now they are five years old. <laughs> And what's interesting about this throughout the episode is the twins are actually wearing the colors 
that in the comics they're superhero versions war throughout. So you'll notice uh, throughout that Billy is wearing red. Billy is the one who will uh, eventually is supposed to gain the powers of Wanda and will be uh, telepathic. Tommy is wearing the green. He will end up being uh, the really fast uh, one if if that's where they're going with these two, which we can sort of assume. So um, we we now know that the boys have the the ability to. I think what she says is like what age up uh, quickly, yeah. and and they go from being a baby crying in their in their cribs to they're five years old. Yeah, that, that was a a shocker right there, but it kind of makes sense given that the uh, the birth went so fast and essentially did the yeah. same thing. And these are are magic kids right here in a, in a fake made up uh, reality, this magic reality. So you know they're not going to follow uh, you know. Normal rules of reality in this uh, it, it made perfect sense and uh, I, I love the uh, The little detail that it seems like the kids are kind of In control of this uh, yes. We get into that a little bit more uh, as the episode Progresses but uh, Literally you know. <laughs> says that word right after Kids <laughs> You can't control <laughs> them No matter how hard you try So that boom you just mm. hit it Like the question can Wanda control them We see throughout right off the bat She's trying to get him to stop crying That doesn't work and then it's like again, almost like uh, Agnes filling in the blanks for us right here. Uh, and boom, now we're into the intro theme. We get we talked about that family so ties good. filling in the pain and the growing pains with the pictures of the the each uh, character through the years and their baby pictures as they've grown up. We get um, the full house as you mentioned when they're on the grass. And what's cool is like at, you know in the very beginning, the first thing you see is like. The paintbrush and and it being fit like the painting being filled in like the story here is Wanda like literally like painting these people's lives too you know on a on an even bigger right. you know aspect like she's literally filling in their lives as they go along. Here are the words to this song. You and it's in the like it it literally feels like it was. Growing pains, family ties, like the same tone, the ups and mm. as long as we've got each other, so true. like just, I mean, it is it's perfect, just great. And it says you wanted a world with a vision of what life could be, <laughs> but then the years going to teach you, you just can't see, uh, but, but then the years going to, uh, yes, yeah, going to teach you, you just, you just wait and see. Uh, forces may try and pull us apart, but nothing can phase me if you're in my heart. Crossing over, uh, crossing our fingers, singing a song, making it up as we go along. And there will be days we can't know which way to go, but we will take it higher. You're all I desire. When the going gets tough, when push comes to shove, we're making it up because we've got love. We've got love. Baby, we've got WandaVision. I mean, this is fantastic, Tim. It was the best one yet. Absolutely the best one yet. By far. Yeah, those, those lyrics, I mean, they're definitely uh, outlining, you know, the story that we have at hand, the heart of this story right here. I mean, a lot of great play on words there, uh, too. But it just, it that whole intro, and I guess all, all along, all these intros have done this, but it's a great way that it just parallels and mirrors What's going on in the story and the themes of the story so perfectly? Yeah, it's telling you the story just through the like the lens of the 80s sitcom. 
right? Like it, yeah. it's not going off of the the big picture of of what the actual story of all this is. We're progressing every episode. We're just moving from the seventies to the eighties while we progress. That's what's so great about this too. It's not like you're cutting back and forth to the to one world where it's just like a world that's stuck, and then the other world is moving forward. These worlds are right. simultaneously. Moving forward, you know, yeah. and now we're caught up with everything that's happening on on the outside with Sword, and on the inside in in Westview, you know. Now we're like we're on the same timelines, which is really cool. Right. Um, you you mentioned the baby Vision, like that's one that a lot of yes. people that stood out to a lot of people because there was obviously no baby Vision. This even references um, another one of the early comic books where Vision creates a family. Of like right. androids for himself With like a wife And kids and like a dog Android I think that dog is even named Sparky is like a lot of reference to the dog They have in here so again using Some source material kind of picking Things um little small Things but yeah. that baby was Just he he stole the seed Like I read around yeah. three or four times And watched those baby pictures of young Growing up vision Oh, those were memes waiting to happen right there. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I love uh, that you pointed out that, that that source material stuff, because one thing I think we're seeing here is a lot of times they'll pull something from the source material, but then swap something for yes. it. So like instead instead of it being, you know, Vision's vision, it's it's Wanda's vision uh, here. And uh, I know House of M is another yeah. you know, line, another Thank story from the comics now. that. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of people are pointing to that as as a reference there. And I, that's the story there is that. I think she she realized Wanda realizes that her twins aren't real in the comics, and then she uh, erases mutants from existence. Yes. So this could be something I might have even said this a few episodes back. This could be something where there she's going to do the exact inverse of that and bring mm-hmm. mutants into this reality. Her way, and that's the way of introducing the X Men into this universe, right. which is yeah. And what's so great about to what you pointed is that it's great when they when they bounce back and forth from source material because. It would be too easy for us to just like, oh yeah, they're referencing this comic book and we can just follow along yeah. and everything they do is going to be after that. They, they're so good that they can mess with us, have fun with us at the same time while like telling this great story. And you could tell they do that. And I think yeah. Favreau and, the, and, and the, the Star Wars guys do the same exact thing. Filoni, like they have fun knowing how much that we are all into the story and trying to follow along. And so they love trying to throw us off a little bit at the, at one time point kind of tease us yeah. you know it's great and we we all have fun trying to follow along so um so after after this intro theme uh, we're back outside of Westview we have Monica Rambo she's being tested by the doctors uh, scan CTs she's being questioned by director asshole Hayward um who uh he this is after her interaction in, interaction with Wanda so they ask her what was she feeling, Monica? Like what was she feeling like during this? She said there was this hopeless feeling weighing me down like drowning. It was it was grief. Now keep in mind, Monica has just recently found out that she lost her mom and she's come back from the snap and the blip. So she's been dealing with a ton of grief. So we we see throughout right. this entire episode that Monica and and then Jimmy and Darcy too, is she's definitely on the side of Sympathizing with Wanda Knowing that you know what Wanda isn't a bad person She's misunderstood and she has Had a lot of bad things happen to her So her anger may be just Displaced That's so true and I I think that was Great of you to point out 
grief here because that's certainly one of the main themes of the of the story for for monica for wanda wanda's dealing with a ton of grief here and uh i i think it was interesting uh the, this moment in the story what we're about to get to uh hayward who you pointed out is kind of an asshole kind of a dick now um he's coming out pretty hard against uh against wanda and jimmy uh and 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 darcy and, and the crew are are you know being a little bit more sympathetic and and recognizing that she's more a little bit more complicated and and sympathizing with with the the grief that she's feeling, um, but that's something that uh, Hayward seems to not to he he refers to her uh, in this upcoming scene as as a principal victimizer yeah in it. and so a terrorist he's, he's definitely a even, terrorist yeah that's afterwards. even worse <laughs> yeah. Um, Radicalized by Hydra, uh, and yeah. Jimmy says that's an oversimplification, which is great. <laughs> J- right. Jimmy says it's just so phenomenal. So yeah, we, we're sort of seeing that alliance built up right here as uh, Jimmy and Darcy meet with Monica, um, and there was also something weird. So as Monica is finishing up, and they're they're finishing up with her scans, one of the assistant, like the doctor or nurses, kind of comes over and tells Monica that the the scan didn't show up. It, it came up blank. It didn't read. Um, and, and Monica's uh, whatever. I, she doesn't want any more blood drawn, so she just walks out. And they kind of, this is like in, in quick passing, but if you know the future of Monica Rambo, she is someone who is going to develop powers. And um, with her interactions with Captain Marvel, now there's all sorts of questions when you see this. Did she gain these powers? From being around Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel Did she gain these powers because of something that just happened With her interactions with Wanda um, Is this something to do with that? Did did that did something to do with Captain Marvel ha- Did Captain Marvel have something to do with her mom's death And the cancer that her mom had There's all these things that are Just from this little one um, Little nugget are, are sort of now questions that we have to ask Because in just a minute when Captain Marvel is referenced by Jimmy Monica completely shrugs it off and doesn't want to talk about her at all. So there's feels like there's some bad right. blood there. Yeah, absolutely. And so we we know those labs were no uh, coincidence for sure. And the way she reacts to uh, to Jimmy bringing up Captain Marvel was definitely uh, uh, it it was curious to say the least. Uh, Jimmy picked up on it. Darcy picked up on it. That there was something going on between them. They didn't maybe end on uh, the best note from the from the looks of it. So we have the sword briefing that's led by director Hayward. Uh, the first, and they said they have first person intel now because Monica has been in what they're calling the uh, what the they they called the Westview anomaly, and then they called the uh, Maximoff anomaly at one point. Right. Um, she initially uh, Hayward says he initially thought Wanda was a victim, as you just mentioned. Now she is a principal victimizer. Jimmy goes through the history of Wanda. Uh, but Hayward cuts in with his sort of his own commentary and his own versions. Um, Hayward says the twins were so, when talking about Wanda and her brother. The twins were subsequently radicalized, volunteering at Hydra. And Jimmy, as you said, uh, well, that's an oversimplification of events. Yeah. But but yes, um, they actually mentioned the Mind Stone. Uh, this is where Hayward asks if she has an alias, and Jimmy responds, "No." So that's something that's uh, we want to keep an eye on too. You hit it at the, in the beginning when we were talking and, and sort of introdu- introducing this episode. They couldn't reference her as the Scarlet Witch. Wanda and her brother are a couple fascinating characters as far as this whole uh, Avengers, X Men, who had the rights to everything conversation goes, because they showed up in both. 
They were they were characters that were yeah. in Avengers, also in X Men stuff. So both uh, both franchises could use those characters in their own sets of movies. They just couldn't use certain names of them. So Wanda right. has never been referenced as the Scarlet Witch in this version of the MCU. And that's sort of funny that Hayward keeps asking because we, you know, it's almost like he's waiting for Jimmy to say, yeah, she's a Scarlet Witch, you know, yeah. uh, but he can't. And maybe he will next episode or down the line or who knows. But it's sort of like another like inside joke there. Oh, yeah. Well, it's got to be Darcy who creates the name, right? I mean, right? She's, oh, yeah. she's the the one who's got the the talent for that, <laughs> but that yeah, that was v- very interesting. I mean, yeah, they just they couldn't refer to anything mutants. They couldn't say the word mutants, so they would uh, call them enhanced in the uh, Avengers movies uh, as a kind of a workaround there. And then they couldn't include certain details like the fact that you know in the comics, their um, Pietro and and Wanda's father is actually Magneto. Yeah, Magneto from the X Men, the yeah. very iconic character played by uh, Ian McKellen. And uh, in the X Men movies, you and I um, joked back and forth last week about um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen um, making reference to a big reveal uh, sometime this season mm-hmm. in WandaVision that could be like Luke Walk, uh, Luke Skywalker being revealed in the Mandalorian. When we think of like right. of someone on that level, um, the Magneto character would probably be someone that would be in that ballpark. Definitely one of the heavy hitters from the X Men franchises. Mm-hmm. I think has got to be. The, the the leading guess for most people, you know, what what what, what they're going to do with, with that. I have a strong feeling that she wasn't talking about the Evan Peters Quicksilver reveal from this yeah. episode. No. That's too small. It's not on the Luke Skywalker level. But no. somebody like, um, you know, Patrick Stewart or yep. Ian McKellen or, or um, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. Wolverine would be Dead, great, yes. Deadpool could be Even, some, yeah. something – you know, those guys have their own uh, franchises and, and, you know, they're they're known. They're they're known. They're celebrity comic book characters, uh, so to speak. They're they're the A-list of the A-list. So yeah. I think that would uh, be on that Luke Skywalker level for a lot of people. So uh, as Hayward mentions that her earliest tracking was event against the Avengers, Jimmy quickly mentions, you know, then she joined them. And so we get right. this, you know, Hayward keeps spinning super negative Light on Wanda while Jimmy is just Trying to actually give out the facts We mm-hmm. see a clip of Lagos Which is referenced in a commercial Coming up after this Lagos Is the the location where Wanda accidentally killed A bunch of innocent people when she Was trying to help she just sort of lost Control of some of her powers there And so this was you know a lot of it, it, What was some of the events Of Avengers Civil War And this was you know some of the negative light that was on the superheroes and the Avengers after they killed some of the innocent people. So this was a big, you know, storyline throughout a, a couple of the the different movies here. Um, that was the incident that that led to the Sokovia Accords. Yes, thank you, thank you, exactly. Um, so uh, Jimmy and Darcy have a little conversation. They hate Hayward. Uh, it was funny. She's about to call him a dick, and then they go to terrorist. You know, he right. he calls her. Uh, he calls Wanda a terrorist. He says, we don't negotiate with terrorists. That's when Monica immediately jumps in to defend Wanda. She says she's not a terrorist. That's when Hayward disagrees. And he actually uses Monica's own words against her, uh, the words that Monica mentioned about Westview. um, And they roll the footage of Monica and Wanda in Westview. And uh, Monica says, 
The difference is I don't think Wanda has any agenda Or wants any destruction I survived because she chose To protect me So she's countering uh, Director Hayward's accusations of Wanda Director says she's holding Thousands of people hostage Monica says I don't believe this is pre- A premeditated act of aggression That's when the director mm-hmm. again Calls for footage where we see Wanda stealing Vision's corpse from a secret sword agency just nine days ago. And apparently that is when she resurrected him, um, which surprises Jimmy because this is not something Wanda has ever done before. She doesn't apparently have the power to resurrect people. Vision, you know, keep in mind, isn't a person, but also Vision doesn't want to be brought back. So he's yeah. he's a little he's living will. Yeah, he's a little confused at this. So we definitely see this back and forth between uh, Monica and Hayward get to like its most intense back and forth. And we get footage of Monica with Wanda. And then we get the footage of Wanda stealing Vision's body. But there's a lot to be said about this footage, right? Like, is oh, yeah, is, is Wanda the bad guy here when we see Wanda walking in to a lab with Vision's? Like spread out all over the table Were they already doing division What he asked not to have be done to him Right it certainly looked like that Or it, or they were you know Dancing dangerously close to that mm-hmm. line I mean he w- they were doing some sort of An autopsy on him but they had him In, in pieces spread a, a, apart uh, In this lab And I, you know just the imagery of it You, you immediately side with Wanda And, and her rage and defense of, of him You know you would not want to see a loved one being treated Like that but then uh, it, they add that little extra context by saying that, you know, he had a living will. He didn't want to be uh, re- he didn't want to be revived or reincarnated in any way because he didn't want to to lose uh, or he didn't want to be used as a weapon. I also had the, you know, the opportunity to rewatch uh, Age of Ultron uh, recently, and it opened up a lot of of um, little details that I didn't really I didn't really realize when I was watching the, the show back, but he makes a point in Age of Ultron to actually say that something's not beautiful because it lasts. So he has a very philosophical um, uh, understanding of you know life and the impermanence yeah. of life, and he put, places value, I think, on the impermanence of life. So I think part of what his character wanted, you know, was to live a regular life, and that means to die, to have that you know, impermanence to go away mm-hmm. at one point. And he's been kind of robbed of this uh, by perhaps sword and by, you know, uh, Wanda, you know, his, his, you know, true love, which is so funny. It's, a, it's yeah. That crazy. exact topic that you're discussing is what Wanda like preaches to the boys in just a minute right. on this episode when the dog passes away and she mentions like, Hey, we can't just, you know, like skip past this and age up. We have to, Deal with all of the tragedy of life You're going to learn lessons along the way From this you know which is sort of in that same Like reality we want to deal With everything that's happening to us we have to uh, Take it as it comes and not just Like use our powers or um, You know try to skip past it um, Embrace it um, You know which is a a really cool That you know you're able to find that theme there And it just shows you what a great job they're able to do With all those nuggets and things they're able to Tie together from past movies that you can Go back and watch and, uh, and find things that that makes sense here. So, um, Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy was asking, like, how could Wanda do this without the Mind Stone? So now we've got this Jimmy, Darcy, Monica sort of uh, alliance. You know, they're defending Wanda. Hayward is going off on her. And uh, and then now we're back into WandaVision. We got the five-year-old boys. They're in the 80s. 
and this is just a total like like episode uh, like that you would see at this time period in how many different sitcoms where it's like the boys are trying to hide something from the mom they've got a dog yeah. that they found they're washing the dog in the sink they're all you know trying to hide the dog behind them mom walks in boys what are you doing and it's just like just right i mean perfect it's like right out of anything you'd see in full house i mean any of these we said growing pains the mom who's gonna okay and the mom sees the dog and then instantly falls in love with the dog while telling them that you know I, I, it's probably too much responsibility for you but then you can see she gets oh i love the dog here 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 and her and um it, it's just another thing that they just yank right out of the of the 80s that we've seen over and over uh and yeah. and it, classic uh, sitcom trope classic so then they know there's no caller so Wanda falls for the dog and then in comes vision um and and one thing we're noticing now with this episode a lot more too TK so we got the whole stuff with the dog and then vision coming in vision is not being as uh himself as much he's he's wearing the human face now a lot more he's a little bit more aware of what's going on he he thinks something's up he doesn't any any notice that um Agnes keeps popping in or random things Keep happening so he doesn't really want to get Caught as as himself Vision Yeah he he, uh, he comes into the room And he says he had a hunch someone might pop Over uh, and it, uh, with Exactly the item we require just as Agnes enters with I think a dog House yep the exact item They require in that moment very Very interesting he, his uh, conflict Here is I think what drives the episode. He's kind of w- with us and a, a conduit for us. And just seeing that sort of the, the reality unravel in front of him, it's very unsettling uh, for us as audience members, but also for him as a character. The scene a little bit later in the episode where him and Wanda start to kind of go at it, we, we see, I think, the most emotion that we've ever seen from Vision, maybe throughout, like the most anger oh, yeah. that we've ever seen from him, I think throughout his entire time in any of the movies or anything that so it's just like a it's just a fascinating uh, job by the uh, the actors they did an incredible job just showing such range in in all these different episodes so um they're deciding on a name for the dog and this is when Wanda is really just getting sloppy about using her powers right in front of Agnes um Vision and the boys are all right there in the kitchen and Vision is shocked he he says yeah. you know like, but Wanda nor Agnes it's like nothing. It's like no big deal. They seem very comfortable with each other and just comfortable with the fact that Wanda is able to just use her powers and make things, um, you know, appear out of nowhere. He questions Wanda mm-hmm. and she responds, Oh, she didn't notice. She didn't even notice when the boys went from babies to five. <laughs> to about yeah, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge, too. That's like all of a sudden she's acknowledging that, like, this reality doesn't really make sense. There's no real logic to this reality. And just expecting him to go along with it It's a big moment for the show So Vision is upset um, And Wanda just says she's tried uh, She's tired of hiding things Um, And this is where Vision says Wanda we are usually so much of the same mind Uh, Right now what aren't you telling me And And then it's another one where it feels like They're about to have this like Breakthrough real Emotional serious interaction And it's almost like Wanda kind of Flashes sort of speeds it back up into like Oh we're back into the sitcom world And now we're talking about the dog You know it's um, it's right. like oh, Anytime something is going to get 
real or serious, we're gonna just skip right over it, even though she's telling the boys to do the opposite in a scene that we just right. see afterwards. You know, she's not listening to her 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 own advice. Um, so Wanda and Vision tell the boys they can't get a dog until they're ten. Because they have to be a little bit more grown up So what do the boys do? They instantly flash age up to 10 years old Where uh, Agnes kind of laughs and says Let's just hope the dog stays the same size Right So she's seeing this all it's just a, a to- Yeah, it, and it's a total breakdown uh, of Once more of the, of the reality of, of it all Which um, I, I've noticed that For, for a moment I want to talk about aspect ratio again yeah. We didn't touch on Please. this yet today yes. But uh, we're going back and forth between you know the real world and this uh, TV world within the hex. And from this episode, uh, it's it's been a little bit different than the previous ones because from the jump we start out in sixteen by nine aspect ratio. It's kind of bridging the gap between the that widescreen sixteen by nine and that even wider two three five aspect ratio. That's like the real world in the MCU here. So I think what they're doing with that is is giving a subtle hint that the the world's kind of falling apart and the and the um it's blending now with the real world that we're getting that in the story of the back mm-hmm. and forth for kind of the first time you know the previous episodes we were basically stuck in one world versus the other with a little bit bleed through of the real world coming into that tv world but now we're just going back and forth and we're seeing the the artifice of, of this fake world falling apart on so many levels from agnes breaking that fourth wall to the questions that um, that uh, Vision is asking to all the things that Wanda's doing so carelessly to you know break the the rules of this reality, uh, it's starting to become less important that distinction there. Yeah. So we're seeing that visually by going to that sixteen by nine widescreen aspect ratio, which you would never see in the eighties. We didn't get that until no. you know the two thousands. So that's the first kind of incongruous thing uh, in regards to the, the 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 look and the aesthetic of the the. TV uh, period and I think it has to do with that Just that the blending of realities and the, and the walls sort of kind of coming down around them Which is something that we get when we get to Back outside the sword um, uh, Headquarters next with Monica, Jimmy And Darcy they sort of get into this a little bit Talking about like what Are Wanda's powers and like what like how, What are the capacity of her powers Here what exactly is happening So Monica's trying to figure out how to get back In into Westview Inside a vehicle of some sort uh, Darcy speaks up um, And she kind of k- Tells Jimmy what's been happening As he's missed, he went to go get her some coffee So they, she got her coffee finally uh, She knows. Uh, so Jimmy knows what's going on in the hex now uh, Monica She thinks she can t- Get in contact with an aerospace engineer Who would be up for the challenge So now we get another reference She starts to text someone This has opened up a lot of doors for people too Who is she talking to? Is yeah. this going to be Bringing in someone uh, that people think Maybe like Reed Richards, someone from the Fantastic Four, um, something like That, uh, we, we have no idea But yeah. We Monica, can hope, we can hope, yeah. that, that would be amazing That would be <laughs> just another Huge reveal, and th- They question, is Wanda creating an illusion uh, Is she wielding enough Power to control everything in Westview um, Monica, this and Monica says, "Well, she she could have taken out Thanos." And then Jimmy mentions Captain Marvel, who also came close to doing so. That's when Monica quickly changes the subject. And after Darcy asks about Captain Marvel, and then Jimmy and Darcy kind of look at each other like, "Oh, did we say something sensitive?" Like, so what's up with that? We find out now here that they talk about 
the capacity of Wanda's powers? Is she controlling everything? Is she able to? Does she even have that power? Like, is this a is this an illusion, or is she literally moving the physical objects and people, and has that much power to control all of them? Jimmy didn't know, right. and then why is Monica uh, seemingly pissed off and doesn't want to talk about Captain Marvel, hmm. who was like her childhood hero? These are the new mysteries that we got. They they keep uh, giving us answers and then adding three new three new questions for us to to ponder. Yep. So it's not an illusion. Wanda is rewriting reality, is what they say. If she can change things as they go into the hex, what if we so- send something in that requires no transferring? So mm-hmm. now we're that that's the new goal for these three. What can they send in there that may not require Wanda to have to like use her powers to to transfer it over? We go back to Westview We're at the office with Vision and with Norm And we get another crazy moment here Where um, they're in the 80s So now the office has computers They're all learning about the internet Of course Vision is a, a whiz here uh, Being a computer himself So Speaks he, their language Yeah, Literally literally speaks their language So um, uh, He's teaching Norm and About the internet And they get an email and this email is from Sword. And as the email pops up and Norm starts to read it, the entire office in this creepy, slow way starts reading the entire email out loud. And Vision is scared. He's looking around. He doesn't know what's going on. It says, Sword, top secret communi- uh, communique, authenticate. Uh, Dr. Darcy Lewis's findings regarding Maximoff anomaly High levels of radiation present At perimeter Effect on Westview residents unknown Please advise That's the email They all finish reading it And then they all just start laughing Like it's a big joke (laughs) I mean that was a creepy little moment So creepy, so creepy That's literally the one note that I put Next to this line when I wrote it out uh, just the way everyone's repeating it together in unison in this monotone, you know, creepy, possessed kind of way. It's 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 weird. And I noticed also there's this moment where um, uh, during that they come to a close up of of vision and it moves. It changes the like film stock to uh, to be more modern, like an HD, super um, in focus uh, film film stock. Whereas everything around that one shot was was a lot more like um, out of focus, soft focus, old fashioned, like that 80s style. But when they're when we're cutting in close on on vision and he's kind of having this realization of like the reality of this, like fake worlds falling away, we see him in this hyper focused uh, close up. I just loved that moment. So the this is when vision presses his fingers against the computer and he turns it off. And then Vision does the same thing to Norm He presses his fingers against his temple And he seems to awaken Norm out of this trance All of a sudden, Norm is scared He doesn't know who he is He doesn't know where he is He doesn't know what's going on And he says, you have to stop her Vision asks, who? Norm is kind of babbling And he just says, she is in my head None of it is my own It hurts it hurts so much. Just make her stop. Make her stop. And then mm. Vision can see that Norm is like incoherent. He's struggling. He keeps trying to get his. He wants to get his phone to call his family. Um, so Vision presses Norm's temples again, and Norm goes back to the uh, 
clueless, kind of cheery, playing along Norm. Um, we are getting these moments that are just so like horror film. Um, for really the first time in in the Avengers movies or the MCU movies that we've seen, where mm-hmm. that's that's one of the major references. To all of these comics that we're talking about, a lot of them that involve Vision and Wanda are very dark. Oh yeah, it's the supernatural uh, side of the MCU. I think they're really going in that direction. I think that the the supernatural version of the they, they refer to them as the Dark Avengers. Um, you know, uh, Doctor Strange has a, a definitely a, a dark tone. I think mm-hmm. that this is a, that side of the MCU is perfect for exploring you know darker storylines and stuff like that. So we uh, we are back home, and Billy is teaching Sparky tricks. Uh, they want to show their dad Vision, but Wanda tells them that Vision is not at work. The boys question this because it's Saturday. Wanda tries to shrug it off and say, no, it's Monday, but the boys don't go along with it. They question her. She gets caught in a lie here, which we don't see happening in in this world in Westview because she's in control, we think. But we now right. know – Maybe she's not in control of everything, and she's for sure not in complete control of the boys because she's not aging them up. They do that on their own, and she her powers don't really seem to work on them. Like here where she's trying to kind of play with their minds and just make them believe that it's Monday, but nope. They say, hey, we know this is Saturday. Where's dad? Something's up. Yeah, I guess it, they probably ha- – just because they have the same powers as Wanda, they're kind of immune from from her spells. So uh, she's kind of dealing with uh, them on an even playing field, which is very different from how uh, she's dealing with the rest of the town. So the dog uh, um, Sparky. Oh, okay, so we we get the scene where it's a slow music, and she's explaining to the boys about her and Vision, and you know that sometimes uh, moms and dads don't get along, and they need a little time. It's so eighties life lessons, so learning 80s. along the way. I mean, this is Danny Tanner with the kids Big time. sitting on the couch, full house. Um, then they ask if she has a brother, and she freezes, and she says, "I do. He's far away from here, and that makes me sad sometimes." And uh, and we we get this sort of a uh, you know real moment where she's kind of like frozen, thinking about her brother, and then boom. The dog Sparky runs to the door barking Feels like something is there uh, So they open the door, Sparky runs out And Wanda follows And then we... and there's a weird noise At this point too, they're yes. hearing some kind of a noise From outside From outside that, that triggered the dog And so uh, as Wanda opens the door To go outside We are back to Sword And we see Sword With Monica uh, sending in a drone to Westview She's controlling it Hayward is standing over her Jimmy and, and Darcy note that Wanda uh, Is removing the drone from the broadcast So as they're sending it in Wanda's removing it so they can't even see it On the broadcast But Monica is able to speak to Wanda Through the drone Wanda standing out in front of her house And Wanda she hears And we see from the monitor That uh, Monica's uh, watching Wanda's eyes get very red through the screen, yeah. uh, like she's watching on radar, kind of. And Monica is, uh, you know, is, is right there. She's looking, um, and the director from behind signals to override Monica and says to disregard what Monica just said and to take the shot. 
So they start to shoot at Wanda, which Monica is furious about and screams, "What did you do?" And then the alarms go off. We're we get uh, a security breach. All the sword agents run outside. They have their guns pointed at Westview, and here comes Wanda. And this is not sitcom Wanda, happy, smiley. This is Wanda Maximoff from the movies with her Sokovian accent back. She's got the evil look in her eyes. Um, She throws the drone at Monica and says, is this yours? And then we get a badass standoff that when we talk about X-Men and reference them, this just looked exactly like some of those X-Men with Magneto standoffs in the first time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I, even there's a moment at the end where she forces all the 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 soldiers, uh, the agents, the sword agents, to point their guns at uh, at Director Hayward, and that I feel was a direct uh, homage to uh, something probably from I think the first X Men film yeah. where Magneto, mm-hmm. uh, her her dad, actually does that with his you know powers of magnetism. Uh, great, great moment, and, and it's it's accentuated too because everyone's got the laser sights. So the whole scene. You know, her her chest is just dancing with these laser sights. And at the end, you see them all just switch to uh, Director Hayward all at once. It's just this beautiful uh, uh, shot. And it's very scary, uh, you know, to be uh, to be on the other end of that, I imagine. So uh, Hayward mentions that the missile was just a precaution. You can hardly blame us. And Wanda responds, uh, uh, stay out of my house. Stay out of my home. You don't bother me. I won't bother you. Hayward's response then You've taken an entire town hostage And Monica says you are The one in control Wanda says you're still here Uh, Meaning you know like I could have done what I wanted to with you If I wanted you know if I was really in control So maybe I'm not fully fully in control Or that I'm not always a bad guy You know I'm not as bad as you think Because maybe I could have just killed you with my bare hands If I wanted Uh, one of those two But, But she Um she thinks Wanda Monica mentions you know You let me into your home You knew who I was She's sort of saying at subconsciously You know we're allies here I want to help yeah. you And this is where Wanda says what could you possibly have To offer me It's when Monica says what do you want Wanda's response I have what I want No one will ever take it from me again That's when you, the scene you just referenced Where she turns their guns on, the, on Director Hayward And she just heads right back Into the hex So we go from this Intense standoff scene Where it felt like there was definitely Going to be something happening To oh we get a commercial for Lagos brand Paper towels It's just so amazing the tone change From this like serious standoff to like Lagos paper towels For when you make a mess You didn't mean to <laughs> Yeah yeah. Again it's just perfectly uh, Syncing up the themes right there And uh, definitely with Lagos As you as you mentioned before being that uh, Location where She tr- tried to contain a terrorist bomb Moved the, the explosion out of the way But it ended up killing a bunch of you know Innocent people that she didn't mean to It, it was exactly that She was trying to to clean up a mess and made a bigger mess And that's what led to the Sokovia Accords So the the same man and woman Show up in a lot of these I, I've been hearing Some people think that this is actually Monica's parent Or um, Wanda's parents That keep showing up mm. Wanda's mom and dad Her um, her I guess like foster parents Not actually like Magneto um, So 
maybe maybe that's something it's something that i've seen like pop up all over because these people have popped up in i think a bunch of the commercials now they're all they're always seem to be in here so they they have to be someone someone for them to keep popping up in her subconscious like this in these commercials um we are back in westview and wanda and the boys are looking for the dog sparky they run into the mailman who says in sort of a creepy way don't worry, yeah. your mom won't let him get too far. <laughs> it's sort of like the reference that the doctor made uh, that to Vision at, after they had the baby. It was at episode three when said something like, "Oh yeah, you know we couldn't get out of town. You know how it is. Sometimes it's so right. hard to leave. You know, we're just like one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, th- don't worry, mom, mom's in control here, and we they uh, they're out front." Of, uh, of their house and, and Agnes's place And we see a, the bushes start to shake And up pops Agnes with Sparky The dog who is dead And she says I found him in uh, my What was the What's the name of the, the bush? Do you have that or the flower? Do you know? Did yeah, you yeah um, it's Azalea Bushley Yep, yeah Azalea and Bush So she apologizes to them And um, and the boys are sad here So they they have lost the dog so the boys are getting ready to age up because they don't want to deal with this. That's when she gives them another parent pep talk. You know, she tells them that this is a, an experience to learn from. And again, how hypocritical of her, right? That any, like she's telling right. this to the boys, but anytime Vision wants to have an honest conversation with her right now, she like just snaps her fingers and will fast forward through it. And so she's not, you know, she's not living by her own advice here, TK. True. Yeah. She's being. Uh- Big hypocrite in this in this particular uh, um, topic here, but you know what? It's hard to blame her because we're talking about death and the de- death of a loved one. So it's a it's a, it's a tough subject, really. I mean, um, she's trying to explain to the boys, you know, some things are forever. Uh, the boy says back to her, I forget which one says, "Family is forever." So that's a that's a rock and a hard place kind of yeah. situation right there. Yeah. Um... Just I, I love all of these little like uh, parent you know talk uh, scenes. They're just so so good. So yeah, perfectly uh, corny in just the right way. Over the, find on these yeah, shows. exactly. And this is the moment where they say it's too sad. You can fix anything, mom. Fix the dead. This is when Wanda yeah. kind of stops and surprised looks at them. And Agnes again breaks character, right? But but she does it in like um. In like an amazed way where she's actually asking Wanda, like you can yeah. do that. Yeah, uh, you can do that. Yeah. So she goes back to telling the boys, you know, um, in life, I uh the rules in life, you can't reverse death no matter how sad it makes us. So is is this again her being a hypocrite, or did she really not bring Vision back like was she saving Vision When we saw her walk into those sword Headquarters were they trying to bring Vision Back and study him was she Dude did somebody else bring Vision like Now we're asking a lot of these questions is She lying to the boys Which we see in these shows all the time or Does she really not know like is she Honestly saying this this stuff That's what you know that's That's what's great about all these questions right They're just you don't know and they're a very Easy way they can go with, with it So Wanda, uh, the boys keep asking Wanda to bring him back, and then Vision shows up, and uh, the parents console the boys, and then Vision and Wanda chat in the kitchen. So this is where things 
uh, escalate here. Things definitely escalate as yeah. Vision tells Wanda about Norman, what happened, and he tells her he knows she is controlling them and she is changing everything. Vision says, You can't control me the way you do them. Wanda says, Can't I? And she starts Oof. to roll the credits of the show. Oof. Just so great. Like, I'm done with this. Boom. End of the episode. I'm not going to let those sword people watching this broadcast see any of this. So this episode is done. This was such a cool idea for them to do for her to just say, screw it, I'm done. Absolutely. Just playing with the form even more. I mean, she can she can force cuts. She can force the credit. She can, uh, you know, pick what what's framed in and out of the the uh, the show, uh, just like the the uh, the drone that was mentioned earlier. Uh, so she's in control of all, all of that stuff, and so why wouldn't she use it to you know, manipulate the conversation when it's getting a, a little bit too hot for her to handle? So now they are arguing as the credits uh, continue to run. Vision asks about the Maximoff anomaly. What is this? And he said, that your subconscious that you only recently became aware of? And this is where right. the point that you mentioned earlier. So he's not... Like completely placing all the blame on her He thinks something started this But that she kind of figured it out And is just going along with it um, Since and 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 keeping control mm-hmm. over him um, She walks into the living room She says She keeps changing the subject She just acts like she doesn't know what he's talking about She walks into the living room Vision follows He is furious And now he turns back into Vision He's not the human per, uh, disguise he's been wearing And he tells her Norm can't reach his family Stop lying to me That's the most upset we've ever seen him Yeah, we're not used to Vision being an emotional character I mean, him just showing any emotions whatsoever Is is noteworthy, I would say And it stands out Because he's this very even-keeled um, android thing, you know um, oh, did I lose you? Are you are you still there? Nope, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. I had a weird beep on my end. Yeah, no, he's no. this weird android uh, that you know d- doesn't really show too many emotions, no. but you know all, it's just been building up this this fear and this these questions that are inside him, and now he's a- actually angry because he sees that she's she's lying to him, that she's keeping things from him, that she's manipulating him, and it's it, he, he can't deny it anymore. Uh, and I thought what stood out the most is that he said, you know, I don't know who I am. I'm scared. Like yeah. vision is scared in this situation. That's where it's really coming from. Like how scary would it be to just find yourself in a situation that doesn't make sense? You can't remember the beginning of it, just kind of going along with it. But then the logic of the place just changes on a whim. Uh, you know, like all of a sudden we're not hiding the magic from Agnes, the neighbor. And like, but why? What's changed? You know, like. All that stuff is it's just happening without him having any sort of say in the matter or explanation. So it would be incredibly disorienting and freaky to, to, to be vision in that situation. They both raise up, uh, powering up. They look ready to do battle. Wanda says, all of this is for us. Let me handle it. Vision, what is outside of Westview? Wanda says, you don't want to know, I promise you. Vision says, you don't get to make that choice for me. Wanda's response, you've never talked to me like this before. And Vision says, before what? I can't remember my life before Westview. I don't know who I am. I am scared. Um, Wanda, you are my husband. Tommy and Billy's father, isn't that enough? Vision then notices... 
and says, why are there no other children in Westview? Wanda says, stop it and walks off. And she says, do you really think that I am controlling everything? That I am somehow in charge of everybody in Westview walking their dogs, mowing their lawns. I don't know how any of this started in the first place. This is so again, this is another one where this is the a few times throughout this episode where she's made it seem like she's not controlling everything. Like she there there might right. be somebody else who at least triggered this, who started this, some sort of a catalyst for this, but I, I don't mm-hmm. it's weird because I don't think she's lying there, right? Like I no. she's she's a, a a troubled and um conflicted character, but she's not just pure evil. Definitely not. I mean, they, they've they've established, you know, all these inciting like reasons for why she would kind of lose her mind. And I think that that is uh, honestly one of the, the main uh, theories that I'm kind of going with right now is that maybe this is that she's just lost her mind. She's mm-hmm. this is a mental health uh, breakdown yeah. uh, that that's happened here, that she's just had too much tragedy in her life and that at some point. She had a mental break where uh, her subconscious created a new reality. I think that's a totally plausible mm-hmm. explanation for where this is going. But I'm also not ready to rule out that somebody incited a mental break within her, whether they used some sort of magic on her to manipulate her or whether they pushed her buttons in some other way to kind of push her over the edge or hypnotize her or, you know, you name it, some kind of a way to get to to harness her powers without her really being aware of it and then before she knows it she's she's doing this thing and then kind of comes to uh but goes along with it because for whatever it's it's already happening she's found this degree of happiness it's her fantasy come true so why would she reject it even though if she maybe didn't start it she would have every reason to want to kind of stay in this dream you know and that's what it kind of is too if you think about it it's very much like a dream to her that she doesn't want to let go of it's this false reality uh, and she's become aware that it's a dream, but she doesn't want to wake up uh, because because the dream is of her fantasy, of this real life, of this fam family, of having kids, and she can't just let let that all go right now. That it's it's become real to her. Some uh, names that have been kind of thrown around too. Just keep in mind, Mephisto is one that people talk right. about as someone who could be maybe pulling some strings here, sort of like a puppet master manipulating Wanda and some of her powers. And then all the stuff that we're seeing with director Hayward and remember what he was, when he was briefing Monica about some of the new um, things that sword is doing, there's something going on here with, you know, he knows a lot more than what he's leading on um, about what happened with vision's body and Wanda heading in there. There's a reason why more so that he seems so aggressive against Wanda. It's almost like he's projecting Something he's kind of scared of like some Truth getting out um, so He's someone that you know obviously seems like He's not the greatest guy and keep it keep that Mephesto name in mind too as a One that's been kind of popping up in a lot of rumors as A as just another theory um, uh, But we Get to uh, Vision saying Wanda What you're doing here is wrong It's wrong and then The doorbell rings and she Looks at Vision and tells him she didn't Do that you don't believe right. me And Vision says I, I can't uh, Believe you You know, I can't believe you right now with, with, with everything going on The doorbell rings again So she goes to get the door And she stares We again get a flashback to Sword and we, uh, we see Darcy Watching the broadcast And we get a flashback to Westview 
With Vision asking who is this Before we ever see who is standing at the door Guy standing at the door Silver hair Leather jacket Very Uncle Jesse look too Right (laughs) like when Uncle Jesse shows up at, At Full House he's got the jacket Like the cool uncle Hey what's going on Hey you know like even the, just the, the cool uncle the right? cool uncle is a TV sitcom trope in and yep. of itself I I saw some people saying uh it was like um Tom Hanks's uh uncle character on Family Ties that yeah. this was a little bit of a, a nod to that as well yeah so um it's Wanda stares she's not she's sort of like not sure what she sees for a second and then it's Pietro but from the X-Men movies not the one that was her that not the Actor not the guy who played her brother In the MCU Movies that we've seen It's it's the person Who played her brother Character in the X-Men it's just so Evan Peters Evan Peters so it's So bizarre it is now Opening up all these questions Is this a multiverse But is this because at this timeline of WandaVision in the 80s, this would be what the version of her brother looked like in the 80s. Is this have nothing to do with any of that? Is it somebody who's just putting on a disguise to mess with Wanda to try to infiltrate the family? Um, and keep in mind, that character took place in the X-Men universe in the 80s. So it was so a perfect opportunity to, to cross yeah. them over. Yeah. So... Uh, there's so many questions The one thing that we can we can Sort of sense right away Is that when he walks in He says long lost bro Get to squeeze his sister to death or what <laughs> So even the like to death You know right. reference This guy's not a good guy mm. Whoever he is this version of him Like he's whatever He's just he's not a good guy here Oh they're, they're at least making us think he, he, Right uh, Think that way, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We want to be suspicious of him, but uh, what really stood out to me was what he says right after that. Uh, how he 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 gestures to Vision, and he asks, "Who's the popsicle?" <laughs> and that just raises so many questions, right? Because uh, my wife, she she took it and said, "Well, he's probably just saying like like asking like who's the stiff, like who's who's why is this guy being all uptight or something like that." But I gotta I gotta guess that this is not a coincidence that you know. Vision being dead and a popsicle, like that. Maybe he sees that dead version dead. of, of dead uh, Vision. A yeah, yeah, right. That's my yeah. assumption right there. It's a, it's a great reference. There was, I, I was looking too, and I couldn't quite pinpoint it. And I tried to slow it down. There are some some things that I've seen people on other um, uh, breakdowns and stuff talk about. When you look at the reflection in the mirror too, you might be able to to see something sort of weird. Um, when she when he opens the door, you can see Wanda's reflection, but you don't see the guy standing at the door a whole lot. And what you do, mm-hmm. it's kind of fuzzy and sort of not like the human version. So maybe keep looking at that and see if you could find something there. I was I was trying, I couldn't really get too much out of it, but I always love uh, looking for anything more I can. And oh yeah, Darcy says, oh, yeah. "Did she recast Pietro?" So again, <laughs> yeah. we get this Perfect. like what all of us are thinking. Right, like yeah. Darcy is like, and and Jimmy have now become, uh, and I guess sort of Monica, like our our inner monologue, like the voice yes. of the viewer, like they're asking what we are asking, and and they it just shows you 
how um, in tune with their fan base and with these movies are that the the creators are because they know right away that we're sitting there starting to ask these questions and they don't want us to sit there too long asking them so they they right. they just they, okay here don't worry we're all going to ask the same but we're going to let you know pretty soon and we have faith that we're going to find out a lot more and just um uh, Wanda looks at Vision uh, back at Pietro says Pietro she hugs him uh, and then that's when Vision kind of looks upset He sort of looks down And uh, I think he, he's assuming this is Wanda's doing Like she brought her brother back from the dead That's when Pietro looks over and says that uh, the, You know, the, the where's the popsicle where's the Who's popsicle? the popsicle line yeah. <laughs> And then we get the end The X-Men are in the MCU now oh, yeah. Maybe, who knows What the hell does this mean <laughs> I mean Damn, I mean, just to show you, like, we've gone an hour 15 right now talking about this wow. one episode that's 35 minutes <laughs> of yeah, TV. Yeah, just because there's so like, many questions. Yeah, they've built up so much in this one. Yeah, uh, but uh, they, they keep asking, they keep adding more questions to it. I mean, I, I'm wondering about uh, a little tiger reference uh, right. that was well, just yeah. dropped, like a little Easter egg. Did you catch the tiger reference to them the throughout the uh... on the kitchen table? There's a tiger yeah. statue on the kitchen table. So after Agnes references it, um, and she says, and it's funny. She, um, the one thing too is that that I keep making notes on. Agnes is um, referencing her husband that we've never seen. Like, oh yeah, we've never seen Great him. Point. Are we going to see him yeah. at some point? And like she keeps mentioning him, which is funny. Um, uh, that's another thing. I, I like the fact that you, you know we see Darcy starting to hit, to name things. So the hex, I I didn't even think about. Yeah. Is she going to be the one to name her the Scarlet Witch, which is good. Like that would be perfect. That would fit. They're really laying it on thick with Director Hayward now as the uh, as right. the bat as the bad guy. And and now I should have seen that coming too because in the first episode he was just so over the top. Nice. He was like to, almost like too nice to the yep. point where you're like. Yeah, yeah, like it, it's too good to be true kind of situation. Then, then you see right after that, that's where they're going with it. Yeah, um, and, and we referenced. I mean, um, all of a lot of the the different comics, uh, the the Vision comics, the Vision and the Scarlet Witch. What was the other one? The House of M, right? That was the one House that, of M. You, that you mentioned. Yeah. Which are, they're all super dark. Um, we get these incredible '80s details. The hair. I mean, Vision and Wanda's hair. Uh, Vision, Wanda's hair. My my mom had that hair when I was like oh, yeah. when I was born. Oh, yeah. Like when I was one and two in my picture, like a lot of my pictures when I'm a kid, that's my mom wearing that up that yeah. big up hair, you know. Um and kind of crimped and, like that those curls, like crimpy permed, curls. I, I don't yeah, know the, like permed yeah, up perm. sort of. Yeah. yeah. And then Vision's hair is like like a lot of the like the guys would wear their hair like the the kids in the eighties movie uh, shows yeah. like Leo DiCaprio in Growing Pains. Yeah. You know they got like the part like the the long part down the middle, just a short, terrible, short like, but kind of long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so true, man. So many little small things that I would like made little notes for. For, for um, like high high waisted mom jeans or like yeah. exactly that that era. Like uh, the everything about the, the, the production design. They're both yeah. wearing the suspenders. You know. <laughs> Which are like, oh wow, that's that's phenomenal, and um, and now we're getting this blending of the multiverse, which Spider Man did a really cool job of. Now we're getting, we got Evan yeah. Peters, we got Pet Pietro, we've got Quicksilver, we've got you know these Fox MCU's movies blending. We got is it, or is it someone else pretending to be Pietro? I mean, Feige has so much fun referencing, dropping these Easter eggs, these hints. He's playing with us, he's messing with us. Um, but yeah, also, it could, it could be just meta. It could be just meta stuff, you know, for uh, for us as 
as viewers, or it could like actually tie in to the the narrative story, you know, where we're talking multiverse in the situation. We don't actually know that yet. Yeah, but we they've done such a great job and they've earned so much benefit of the doubt with all of the mm-hmm. the incredible movies and and what they've done now for the first 5 episodes of WandaVision that we we trust them, right? We blindly put our faith in where what like which story the stories they're telling us and the road they're taking us down because they have so much credibility built up in how they've put this universe together. Absolutely. Yeah, they established that over the course of all the all the films that they did. And, uh, you know, uh, there were some there were some viewers who were pretty vocal online uh, and still are about uh, the first few episodes maybe being slow for them. Uh, it, I didn't have that particular issue. I, I got a lot out, out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I think uh, by, at this point, everyone's pretty much on board where they're yes. saying, like, OK, yes. they're giving us what we want with this. Uh, and I'm just really very impressed by how they play with the form how revolutionary it is. I mean, this is a, a story uh, and a series that really needed to be on TV because it explores TV uh, and the form of TV so much uh, on the surface level and on the, um, you know, in between the lines. So it's, it's something that just couldn't have been done on the big screen or it wouldn't have been the same and it needed TV to do this. So I think it was the perfect way for them to start their, the MCU on TV. And it's really, uh, it's standing out and it's it's going to be a hard one to follow when they just go back to just telling straightforward narrative stories here because there's this is just so rich with what they're doing in like the meta sense and, and just, I think, it just yeah i think great. they know that because the trailers that we've seen for what the falcon and the winter soldier seem like very action packed trailers right? right like action funny like big action scene funny like funny line afterwards you know so, so i think they're trying to tell you like hey we're gonna go in a different direction with that one than we, than right. we did with this show which isn't a whole lot of action for you know a marvel you know like so far for five episodes through we get some incredible action scenes anytime wanda sorts to like power up or things that we see um mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily like all of the like action that you would just expect if you were you know along for a marvel ride um some other random yeah. things that I just uh, that I like made reference of throughout. So, in the previously on before the episode starts, when they're they're giving you the recap of what's happened recently, they show Wanda uh, Vision asking about Geraldine, and Wanda says she's gone. She didn't belong here. That's not what she said uh, in the actual episode. She said she had to run, oh. honey. And then when they talk about it. Um, I think in episode three, she has a she has a different line. So that's bizarre. Wow. She said something like, Oh, she had she's gone, she had to leave, she went out the back. So she's they they've had that line three different times, said three different ways. And it, I had no they're, idea. They're and they're that's... too smart to mess something like that up, right? right? Like they they they're they're not messing something like that. They're they're doing that for a reason, even if it's something as much as like Wanda's screwing with the recap. In like a meta version, right. right? Like she's screwing with the what happened last week, or like what you you know, because she she wants it worded in the in the certain way she wants. That was just like, whoa! I watched it three or four times. I went and looked it up, made sure completely different verbiage than she says there. Um, That's got, crazy. Yeah I, had, yeah, I didn't even notice that. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so and then in the intro, the theme that we were talking about, all the great stuff where they're doing the family ties, filling in the the oh, yeah. the painting and everything. So when you watch, they've got the pictures of the boys, and on the first picture, they've got their birthday cake, and it's got 
the year candles one, two, three, four, and five all on the cake. Oh, which is just great. <laughs> so they've got those like number candles of number yeah. one, number two, number three, number four, and a five all on the cake at the same time. Like they're just gonna blow them all out at once. Um, That's brilliant. Great. And then when you look at Vision, uh, the pictures of Vision, he's like in um, in a turkey suit, and then an Easter egg. As they get older, he's looking less and less happy. He starts out big smile, like my family, I'm happy. Wow. And then it seems like it's like we're seeing the pictures of him finding things out along the way, and like not being all in with this world anymore. Just in the pictures, you Incredible. see the face, which you could go through them, which are really, really cool. Um, and, uh, and I mean, we they talk really about, think of everything. It's they, crazy. They, they pay attention to every little detail. They do because it's people like you and I who are such dorks that that'll notice it. And that'll <laughs> be get, like so excited about like all the details like, oh, my God, they did that. And then we'll go look it up and like, that's ex- wow. They ref- I mean, they've got the blue pillow on the couch, which is a reference from I think was I think it was Growing Pains or Family whichever one it was one of the three like the ones they keep referencing are Growing Pains Family wow. Ties and um and Full House that you see with just everything set up the costumes the uh, the set design all of that and now we know with uh, Pietro coming in here what has this unlocked for some of the the big names that you mentioned a Magneto a, pre- a Professor Xavier a, a Wolverine a Deadpool like any of them. Coming into this world um, Do yeah. we get Doctor Strange Because you know this is This is going to lead into the Doctor Strange movie A lot of what happens here Is going to be like storyline leading into that That's what's great about this show now too Is that these right. things that are happening Are all going to be impacting Future shows, series And movies in the MCU universe So I mean right. we, we, I, I think, think Spider-Man like 3 Another Spider-Man hour 3. on this TK I mean yeah. it's like Spider-Man <laughs> apparently has three Spider-Mans that could be showing up there. Like we could rumor be, has it, you yeah. know, and like you said, the rumors that go out, we never know if they're real rumors or sometimes they're smoke screens to try to throw us off. Right. Yeah. And they do right. a good job of that. I just, this is the episode for me. I loved them all. We we've talked 45 minutes last week. We talked like an hour and a half about the first couple episodes a few weeks back, but this was the one to me that really like unlocked everything. I mean, I had eight, I think eight pages of notes that we took to yeah. talk about here with you. And it was, we, we seriously, spent, it, was, it was just, I'm so all in with this show now. And I'm just so excited every week waiting for like Thursday night out here on the West coast, 1201, where I can fire this thing yep. up. Yeah, I, can, I absolutely can't wait. It's my, it's my new favorite week to week show. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be that going into it. I thought, you know, I was interested in it and I wanted to see it. And I, I was going to watch whatever the MCU puts out. Uh, but it really has has charmed me. Uh, I, that's that's all I can say about it. You know, it's just it's got a lot to love. And so next week, we assume we'll be into the 90s. Um, yeah. I believe some of the things I've seen in the trailers moving forward. There's a big Halloween episode coming up, right. which is supposed to be one that's going to com- continue to really expedite everything moving forward. Who the hell is Pietro? Um, what is it going to be like with him hanging around the family now? Um, and like the interactions that he and Vision have. Uh, just so many questions answered. But like we said, every time it's like, oh, check that one off. Here's four more new ones for you. So right. I had heard a few people after episode four kind of say, like almost complain in that they felt like, well, it feels like they really like um, – 
explained so much that like what what is there going to be moving forward for the next few episodes <laughs> they hit you over the head yeah. with plenty in this one yeah oh absolutely yeah i i had the same thought uh too i was wondering maybe oh do, uh, uh, is the magic going to be gone because we've learned so much of the mystery but there's still so many mysteries i mean even little stuff like you know who is that uh engineer that uh, that monica was going to reach out to is that somebody that we know how, how does that person fit in uh, I, I, I can't wait to see where they go with it. And we still need to figure out, you know, how this whole thing started. What what was Sword doing with uh, Vision's body? You know, uh, did did uh, Wanda even bring back Vision, or was Vision already semi back? You know, mm-hmm. when when she uh, when she kidnapped him, uh, we don't know these things for sure. Uh, so I, it's it's going to be great to see, you know, what just what happened there. And also, I love that it's you know the timeline of it it's like nine days ago they said that she she picked up vision so and that's not that far after you know the events of endgame monica uh, was about... just in the hospital or she was exactly. so she's like why she's kind of looking like how come i didn't know more about this this just right. happened like we're like aren't i supposed to be someone that's being informed and briefed on this so now she's and then with hayward like taking control away from her and then the way that he was out in front so there's definitely a power struggle happening within sword we're getting the i mean and anytime we get more jimmy and darcy on my tv i'm always laughing they do uh they are just phenomenal and and do a great job here so just uh I loved this episode. I did. We got a little bit longer too. I think we were like up above 30, like 33 minutes or 34 minutes mm-hmm. before the credit started with here. So anytime we can get a little bit more, I'm loving it. And I'm loving our yeah. weekly conversations, TK. It's a, I look forward to the show, but then I look forward to coming on here with you and kind of chatting about it and learning some things from you that I didn't think of and, and hearing some of your theories on everything. Let the folks out there know where can we follow you on social media and, uh, and we'll be back here next week again for another recap. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been having a, a blast and I can't wait to do it again next week. You could follow me on Twitter at Tim is not funny. Also Instagram at Tim is not funny. And you can look for uh, my music, uh, my, my music project, Ice Cream Fire. You can uh, listen to us on SoundCloud, uh, Spotify and anywhere else you stream music. And hope everything's going well with you and uh, and Jackie over there. Fingers crossed as you get closer and closer and closer to the big day. Uh, yes, TK. Sir. Buddy, thank you so much. I appreciate your time again. I hope you have a, a nice few days, and um, I'll be shooting you a text probably uh, Friday some point uh, about some of the stuff that happened, and we'll, we'll set up oh, our, yeah. uh, our interview time for next week. Oh, well, thank you so much again for having me. I can't wait to do it again. That is Tim Kelly there, folks. WandaVision Episode 5. Love chatting WandaVision with Tim Kelly. Already pumped for next week's conversation. Always pumped when the conversation is talking about OldSmokeClothing.com. OldSmokeClothing.com. You heard the conversation with Kurt Rossner last week. And with the promo code G-I-N-O, you get free shipping on all of your orders from Old Smoke Clothing. So much there. Uh, So for Old Smoke, what they have, high-quality products rooted in the iconic symbols of racing and the racetrack experience. These are... People who have the love of the thoroughbred racing, of the sport of thoroughbred racing, they wanted to give a, a nod to its rich traditions and its pageantry. At Old Smoke Clothing, you've got all of the horse racing memorabilia that you could possibly imagine. Quality t-shirts, hats, long sleeves, hoodies, you name it, they've got it. 
You can custom design things uh, with sayings from your friends or um, horses that you like, horses that made you money through the years. You can become a part of the Old Smoke Clubhouse where you are involved in a quarterly package delivery system for $500 where they will deliver packages that give you a t-shirt only available to members, horse racing theme the gift, you get a, a headwear piece made exclusively for members, you get a designer outerwear, you get 20% off all orders, you get access to the Old Smoke Clubhouse forum where you can interact with other horse racing fans. OldSmokeClothing.com, check it out, and remember, use that promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you free shipping on your order. Let's close things out with Bash at the Beach 96, one of the biggest and most important wrestling events in history. The night Hulk Hogan became a bad guy. The night Hulk Hogan turned on WCW and he joined the NWO. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali joined me for the old wrestling rewatch. Oh, yeah. Old wrestling rewatch. With Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> the old wrestling rewatch is going to take us to one of the biggest moments in professional wrestling history on one of the biggest nights in professional wrestling history when we look back. And this was a show that Andrew Champagne selected, and he and Darren Zocali joined me each and every week on the old wrestling rewatch here. I gotta say, this was one that's on the on the checklist that we would have to get to at some point when we're going through uh, a lot of these old shows. This is a major, major show for what happened. The NWO being formed, Hulk Hogan turning bad, cutting a promo on the fans right after uh, joining the NWO and and going against the Macho Man, his buddy, and and WCW. I, I gotta say, it's it's huge and it and it feels big the way they promote it. But Andrew, I'm gonna start with you. There is a ton of crap on this show. Good God! I mean, there are two matches I think that are pretty darn good. There are four or five that are just abysmal. So thank you for that. You know, this show is feast or famine. Yeah, and it is. I I'm even going to give you the benefit of the doubt. On that. See, let's go through. So. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the undercard of Bash at the Beach 96, it's understandable. Whatever happened in the first two and a half hours of this show was going to be forgotten the moment Hulk Hogan dropped yeah, the leg on true. Randy Savage. That's true. And that's a shame in some respects. The opener, Ray Mysterio great. against great. Psychosis. Great opener with a tremendous finish that nobody in America had seen before. This was 1996. Nobody had ever seen a Rana out of a Splash Mountain before. It had not happened. It was great. That was awesome. Silver dollars on a pole match between Big Bubba, formerly known as the Big Boss That goes nine minutes and change, and it felt like 15. Uh, Yeah, we'll talk a little more about that, but I believe my sentiments mirror Gino's. Um a taped fist match with DDP and Jim Duggan. And, and still a still a green, like, non-finished product DDP before he was the really, really good worker. And this is very old hacksaw. Yeah. So this is not great. We got the, the, the Nasty Boys public enemy match. They've got it on a switch. That screen. wasn't horrible. I it's will, on I'll, a, I'll, 
I'll, I'll fight on that. That the was only, not horrible. And I would have been good, more, but it was not yeah, I would have been more okay with it if the if the production wise they didn't put half of the damn thing on a split screen so you could barely they see what, didn't, what they didn't they didn't know how to cover that. They and they really did that didn't. with the World War 3s that they would do too at WCW. We got a good Malenko Inferno match and actually that was Inferno looked good and they told a really good story in that match. Loved Steve, it. McMichael, we talked about McMichael's first match. This is a guy who is the Benjamin Button of wrestling. He regressed. He just got worse every match that he had. Like his his best match he ever had was the first match that he ever had. Well, it's a wonder because that was the only time he was ever in the ring with Flair. Who who? Let me get to. Flair was blasted out of his mind on something. He was on something this night. We're gonna go. Through, we're gonna go through his promo and, and what that was like, and then this was one of the worst Ric Flair matches that I have ever. I didn't hate seen. it. I, I don't, didn't hate it, and we'll I, get through why. Yeah, and then the giant. We we can. We don't even have to talk a whole lot about the giant Taskmaster with Arn and Benoit. Um, oh, awkward. Yeah. And then we get to the Outsiders, you know, versus the Team WCW, which the match isn't great, but that's not about the match. It's about the story and the ending and the angle, which the angle, hate him or not, this was a hot angle and one of the biggest in wrestling. So we've set it all up. Darren, as someone who hates Hulk Hogan, I'm kind of curious. <laughs> I'm kind of curious where, you know, like when, where were you? Mentally when this was going on live Because you know as someone who hated Hogan Did you like the fact that he turned heel Or were you sort of like Bobby the Brain Heenan Saying see I told you All along this guy was a piece of crap <laughs> you, you, I, I'll tell you right now exactly what I was thinking <laughs> Here's what I was thinking Of course Something new Something cool that could Launch WCW into whatever And of course Hogan has to be right He's got to find a way to get in there. Um, may, I, may I rebut that? You can rebut anything you want. <laughs> Who else could it have been that would have had that kind of impact? I, no, I agree. They would have. They would have tried Sting, someone else, but it it had it had to be him. It it really did, and it just there was no alternative. Yeah, it's funny, especially with the the way that. The du- coming from WWF stuff, but I, I know exactly what you're saying, Darren. It is fo- so funny that it just he just sort of fell right into this again. And let's keep in mind, at this point, the Hulk Hogan that we're talking about, this guy was ice cold. He was not on this show. He had not been around for a while. We hadn't even really seen him much. Crowds were booing him. They had turned so on him. About all that, too. nobody wanted to see the good guy, red and yellow Hulk Hogan anymore. In in fairness, you know, I um, I literally watched this right after I watched the Yokozuna documentary when it came out. Okay, so fresh <laughs> in my mind was Hogan on that damn thing, going, "Yeah, brother, you know, uh, it was my last tour, and I." You know, it was my idea. I talked to Vince and I said, hey, man. Like, I watched that. I wanted to jump through the screen and choke the damn guy. Like, so right after that, I went straight from that to this. And it just brought back all my hatred for this freaking red and yellow giant juiced up piece of crap. Okay, before we move on to Bash at the Beach, can I talk for a minute about that documentary? Please, Um, please. Those of you who listened to our recaps of some of the mid-90s WWF shows that we did. You felt bad. I felt bad. (laughs) I felt 
terrible. Yeah. It's hard not to. Yeah. I, it, like, look, and I'll, I'll tell you this too. The internet wrestling community has a reputation for being unnecessarily harsh and brash to things it doesn't like. Kind that of like an repu- industry that we're all involved with. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> that reputation is not undeserved. And it, it, it did make me go back and think, was I too harsh on this guy? Is it, you know, could I have done a better job separating the ring work of Yokozuna with the guy who was playing the part? It, it made me think a lot and it made me feel really melancholy about the whole thing. So if my descriptions about my reactions to Yokozuna, and I'm still not crazy about the ring work, don't, don't get me wrong, but I went too hard on the guy. Yeah, that was a great, something to watch and, one day uh, we'll start doing some of those documentaries Maybe too, we'll pick one or two of those to rewatch Because they do some fantastic stuff With some of those documentaries and the stories That they're able to uh, to tell with all the footage And the behind the scenes stuff And um, and just their library So we, uh, we got plenty to talk about At Bash at the Beach 1996 This is all about the Hostile Takeover If you're playing the drink every time They say Hostile Takeover show You are going to be blacked out Getting your stomach pumped <laughs> <laughs> Within moments, I can tell in you fairness, that. In fairness, in yeah. fairness, it was a good title. It was, and it and it was, and for as much as it gets annoying sometimes when announcers will hit you over the head with something, they did make it feel like this was a huge deal. They made it feel like everything in the company was was like uh, was weighing on this. That it was a big time. We are all together. WCW versus these. Outsiders, so I think they did do a good job, even watching it back, you know, 25 years later almost. Uh, so the question I will, is, you know, if you want to know one of the differences between WWE and WCW, watch the intro. Oh my, Joe versus what WWE does, and you see it's like it's like watching a single A baseball team versus the major leagues. It, as yeah. my first note was the intro. You get the little beach intro, and then you get the clips, and and yeah. this, and then it was later in the package to set up for the main event that I'm just gonna blast the package. But uh, it's it's clips of National Hall running wild, but we you know and they're not calling them their names yet; they're just the outsiders. This feels like it was like late '80s, and this is 1996. Yeah, it's just the technology that they were using. This is not the kind of thing that they really cared about or put their money into. Now I can I can. Fairly say that um, compared to WWE, which and WWF has always taken pride in this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, like you said, you notice right away. You're like you're watching something different, and then the, yep. the, the product comes on, and and it's it's fine. Like it feels like what what the it feels like a comparable product to what WWF had at the time. But just watching that intro video feels like like you've gone back in time, <laughs> eighty six, not ninety six. We do get the big pyro. Tony Schiavone welcomes us. Bobby the Brain, Dusty Rhodes, uh, love the dream. We're gonna get at him a few times tonight for some of uh, some of his commentary. Um, they're calling this one of the biggest nights in wrestling history right away. And you know what? They were right. They were right. Uh, this the was host- before they started overusing that term. Yeah. And I gotta tell you, this I think was the peak of WCW announcing in yep. a lot of different ways. Bobby didn't have Tony much left. Yeah. Bobby was still Bobby at this point. He hadn't started mailing it in. Tony hadn't morphed into the guy who every week would be yelling at the top of his lungs, this is the greatest night in the history of our sport. Mike Tanay came in and provided the perfect amount of 
come in, use all of your knowledge, don't be overbearing, get out while they like you. I thought the announcing on this show was spot on. I thought Heenan had some terrific lines that we'll get into. But yeah, the hostile takeover stuff and some of the things Dusty was saying, there were a couple of cringeworthy moments. But on the whole, I thought they were pretty good. So, uh, DZ, um, we get... The, you know the setup. Everyone wants to know who is the third man. Uh, Bobby and Dusty are talking about the energy backstage. It's going to be Sting, Luger, and Macho Man versus Nash Hall and question mark. We don't know, but they keep telling us there is going to be a third man. One thing I loved about these broadcasts, Darren, was Mike Tanay. I mean, how much Mike Tanay really adds to the broadcast? He he comes in right away. He's giving you backstory to Psychosis Rey Mysterio, which is our opening match about both of these competitors, their history together. He's calling all the moves, and Bob uh, Bobby a few times like, how the hell do you know the name of that move? Bobby's like getting mad that Tanay knows like such crazy names for moves, and he really adds a lot to these cruiserweight matches, especially when when it would have been uh, when when the color men here would have been Bobby and Dusty. They wouldn't have uh, had a great opportunity trying to call this one with these two yeah i you know right from the beginning you i thought that you know heenan playing off today's knowledge like you said was really good um you know early on they were talking about the match and, and heenan uh, was referring to psychosis and, and he just says you know one of them has hair like peg bundy you know <laughs> it's, uh, it's just a funny line um you know uh, today was mentioning how they both just barely got there that they were in mexico um, the night, you know, the night before fighting in Lucha Libre, he talked about the fact that, you know, they have a long, uh, you know, a long history together, uh, that they're kind of natural adversaries, um, you know, psychosis early on. I, I thought I thought the crowd was a little bit dead in the beginning. It, it felt a little bit quiet. And then as the match went on and, and you know, psychosis hit this uh, suicide dive over the top rope and, and it got a little bit of a pop, um, you know, there was a, a drop kick. Uh, off the turnbuckle, got a little bit of a pop. A reverse DDT uh, got a little bit of a pop. Then you started to get the enziguris. You started to get the cartwheels and the head scissors, head scissors springboard drop kicks. You know, Hurricane Ron is and Tanae is talking about how, you know, Mysterio has mastered the Frankensteiner and it can come out of nowhere at any time. And boom, there it is, comes out of nowhere. And as these moves are happening, um, you know, the crowd is getting more and more into it. There was a really cool uh, sp- uh, springboard drop kick in there as well. Um, there was a, an Asayu moonsault off the middle rope that I thought was great. Um, you know, obviously we can go at length about the finish. Uh, it, for me, I, I don't think it's close. From a wrestling standpoint, this was by far the best match of the night. Uh, and it's a yeah. 21-year-old Rey Mysterio and an excellent psychosis. Just, just a tremendous start to the card. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad stuff on the way, but this match you can watch by itself as it is incredibly enjoyable. Rey Mysterio was the source of a lot of my really cool moments that sucked me into being a wrestling fan. It seemed like every week on Nitro, he was working with these random guys, some of which we had heard of, some of which we hadn't. Obviously, he worked with Dean Malenko about 100 different times. He worked with Sakosis a lot. Then he'd work with guys like Super Colo and Lismark Jr., L. Dandy, uh, random guys, but he would always do something that made him stand out. And right after this, he would have a moment that is etched in my brain. 
You guys remember the lawn dart incident? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Kevin Nash, Nash. throws They just Rey recreated Mysterio. that on AEW like a week or two ago. Yeah. Like, he threw him like a javelin into the side of a trailer. I have so many questions. First of all, did they rehearse that? Two, <laughs> how in the world could you be insane enough to take that kind of a bump from a guy who is a legit seven feet, 300 pounds, throwing you with all his might and you springing off of his shoulder? The things Rey Mysterio did in the mid-90s were so, so good. And it's one of the reasons I became a WCW fan. I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Mysterio for some of the things he was able to do. And that's exemplified by some of the things he was able to do in this match with a guy in psychosis that he had a lot of chemistry with. He and psychosis had worked together in ECW at length. There's a couple of those matches on the network. If you can find them, they're great. Psychosis at the time could really keep up. He was sort of a bigger guy that could actually use a little bit of power, which was a weird dynamic in Lucha, and it worked. Um, Psychosis got a dive over the top rope. That was the first moment Darren mentioned where the crowd went, whoa. And Bobby Heenan, ever the observant one, goes, he bent one of his horns. Uh, for some reason, that made me laugh. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, they, one of the guys, I think it may have been Heenan actually, had a good line talking about how they haven't been using the ring much. They've just been passing through. Yeah. And that's Lucha Libre in a nutshell yeah. right there, right? So yeah. that was pretty cool. And the finish was just incredible. Uh, this is a legitimate four-star match. And maybe I underrated it a touch because yeah. it's so good. It's so rewatchable. And a lot of Mysterio stuff from that point up until about late 98, early 99, when he lost his mask, and we're going to have to talk at length about one of those pay-per-views at some point. Um, the stuff he did, it absolutely holds up today. And if you like the stuff that you're seeing on certain broadcasts of, say, 205 Live, just go back and watch early Mysterio. You're going to love it. This was so much fun. I knew this match was really good. Maybe I undersold a little bit. It's tremendous stuff. So uh, Bobby at the beginning He's cracking jokes about Ray's hair uh, Looking like Demi Moore Who at the time had the shaved head G.I. Jane For G.I. Jane And so Ray obviously is wearing a mask So he just doesn't have any hair coming out of the mask uh, And then he talks about You you don't want to go into a bank with one of these lucha masks on You know The, the pace starts to pick up Ray is sent to the floor Yes, Darren mentioned the psychosis suicide dive it, There were a couple of spots where these guys they get so much air that they go flying into the railings. It happened a couple times where they overshot. They end up hitting the move, but also like throwing themselves into the side railing. Uh, Psychosis with a big leg drop off the top. He uses his size to dominate Ray for a while. Big clothesline early. Bobby says that Ray is a legend in San Diego, referred to as the original San Diego chicken. Uh, out on the ring apron, Ray is laying down. He's able to send psychosis flying into the ring post with his legs. You guys remember the game Flying Angels when you were a kid? Sort of, sort of what happened here. It was just like Flying Angels gone a little bit wrong. Psychosis goes head first into the the ring post here. Um, Ray Hurricane Rana's and Frankenstein's all over the place. Uh, springboards. I mean, this is just 
we get a stun gun from Psychosis, uh, inverted DDT, Ray rolls uh, out, and then this is when we get the Inziguri kick by Psychosis, and Bobby says, where do you get all these names from for these moves? And Tony says, hey, if you don't know them, you just make them up. Uh, things start to slow down a little bit Psychosis in charge And then some really cool sequences With the cartwheel and the the Hurricane Rana's One on the floor Ray with a drop kick from behind That's sort of what I liked about this match too He gets really aggressive a Drop kick from like to the back of the ne- like neck He has another one where he does a drop kick to the knee Which was really cool And he works on the knee for a while um, And it, it looks like it's psychosis has got him set up Or there was a funny funny spot where he says Oh it's a beautiful twisting Acai style moonsault And Bobby says what An acai hip lock what are you talking about And um Psychosis he's about to hit What they call splash mountain which is like a razor's edge Off the top yep. rope And you know funny with Scott Hall Later on on the show too the razor's edge um, And then Ray counters crazy Hurricane Yantra for the one two three Fantastic match and Bobby loves it He doesn't even really have anything like uh, Any like any snide comments At the end he's just impressed with with what He's seen so um, Fantastic show uh, show Opener and I was gonna say fantastic Show let's just that's it we're done Yeah, Um, We got a great start and a lot to talk About at the end a lot of the middle Is not so great but this was very, very good as we get to Mean Gene, who's backstage. Mean Gene was on this show a hell of a lot tonight. Um, he's backstage with Conan. Conan cuts <laughs> a promo. First, Conan talks about some of the moves there, the Splash Mountain that, uh, that he saw, and Conan was impressed. And then he says, I believe he says, if your manager gets in the ring, I'll cripple him. If your girlfriend gets in the ring, I'll clothesline her. So uh, Conan doesn't care. You know, he 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 doesn't care. We'll see Conan a little later on on the uh, on the card. This wasn't anything much here. We'll we'll spend more time on some of the other promos uh, that that had a little more meat to them. Now we get Big Bubba with Jimmy Hart versus John Tenta, the loaded sock with silver dollars on a pole match. I just don't know why this is here and going this long. This felt like such a Nitro match or a WCW Saturday Night match. Big Bubba with Jimmy Hart, John Tenta So we've got the big boss man Versus the former Earthquake Tenta has his head half shaved Here, I mean We just got two guys Andrew, you love the big men that can move But this was a match that just went on Too long for me Um, The guys try work hard But they have to, I mean, why would you Book these two guys in a match where they have to Climb a freaking pole It just, um, it, it doesn't Make a lot of sense you get the loaded sock, and then I—I I mean, it—it it felt out of place to me on a pay-per-view that was supposed to be a big one. I wish this would have been more like four or five minutes, and not almost ten. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. You mentioned I like big guys that can move, but Big Bubba was about three hundred and thirty pounds at this point. He was big for him. Um, he would slim down later when he went back to WWF. John Tenta at this point was was pretty much done as a legitimate worker. Um, They brought out Jimmy Hart. And when you saw the size of the pole, you knew the reason they had Jimmy Hart involved was to get the thing down so that the guys could fight over it. Okay, whatever. Four-minute match. Let's get through this. Whatever. Nine freaking minutes of kicking and punching 
and teasing climbs that you know are never going to happen. Now, for as horrible as this match was, and it was very, very bad, I am not going to defend the overall match quality. I thought the finish was fine. Jimmy and Hart the crowd kind of liked it. The crowd yeah. actually pops at the end, too. I, yeah. I will agree on that, yeah. And now, to be fair, they may have been popping because the match it's was over. over. But Mercy! <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Hart goes up, gets the silver dollars. John Tent is waiting for him. Hart does this tremendous, horrified reaction. Tenta gets the silver dollars, whacks Big Bubba over the head. They count the three. And I loved the touch at the end where John Tenta put the silver dollars in Big Bubba's eyes. I thought that was fun. It was nine minutes of horrible stuff before that, but at least we got an entertaining finish that made sense, which means no matter how bad this match was, no matter how horrible the work rate was, no matter how bad the stipulation was, at a minimum, we got some entertainment value out of it somewhere, which at the, at the very least disqualifies it from worst matches of all time status. It gets out of there at a minimum. But guys, and anyone that might be listening to this, watching the first nine minutes of this match is hazardous to your health. Yeah, it's just it's not a prominent enough match to make it onto the list of worst matches of all time. You know, the Hogan Warrior match, uh, you know, a few years later would would qualify because of the, the prominence of the two guys in it. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have anything more creative to say than what Andrew said. I mean, John Tenta comes out there in ring attire. It looks like he's about to job on, on wrestling challenge on Sunday morning to somebody. I mean, it's just... You know, there's just nothing exciting about this. You know, um, Bubba comes out with, I'm, I'm, and I, I was getting flashbacks to the nightstick match uh, against Nails at the Survivor Series, which compared to this looked like a five-star, you know, uh, tremendous match, even with the stupid ending where, you know, the nightstick doesn't play into the end of the match. So at least they got that right from this standpoint. Um, but yeah, just... You know, I, I'm just watching it going, wow, this is this is still going on, huh? Yeah. Uh, but that's, yeah, I don't have anything wonderful mm-hmm. to say here. No. And nine minutes, it felt probably like 15, 16. Um, we get to the, we get backstage. Or Once again, we're talking to the announce team. And they let us know what a big night this could be. And again, they do a great job in how this could impact the sport for years to come. Mean Gene is backstage with Team WCW, Sting, Luger, and Macho Man. My first thought was, Man, I wonder what these three uh, at this point in time might have been doing in a road trip together, huh? Like, wonder, wonder what they might have been able to be on at some point together. These these three going at it. Uh, Macho talks first. He and Luger both have the face paint on, so Sting's always got the face paint on there. I mean, they're just yelling and screaming. It's it's Sting's promo is kind of bizarre. Uh, he starts talking about the unknown, giving him chills and goosebumps, but they're all excited for it. And then um, Mean Gene looks in the camera and says. I don't know if I can ever recall a match of this magnitude And that Tony says that everyone involved From the wrestlers to the backstage crew They're all a team, Team WCW So I do give the announced team credit, DZ Throughout the night They're laying it on thick But it does sort of hit home So by the time that match ends up getting Like, you're ready for it When when it's time for the main event You're feeling it And you're feeling a little anxious about You know, something's going to happen But there wasn't much that these guys said in here They were just... Kind of just run it like walking around in circles. It was pretty crazy. I, I, the thing I got a kick out of was when I think it was when Luger was talking, Savage goes, 
yeah, all right, man, get to it. What are you trying to say? <laughs> you know, like, like, like Luger, like Luger's trying to talk, and even Randy Savage is going, I don't have a goddamn clue what the hell you're talking about. Like, it was just terrible watching him. Where he's like looking at Luger, like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, get to the point, man. You know, it, it was hysterical. Yeah. Um, this was special. Now, at this point, in all seriousness, Sting was not in a good place. No, that's why I said and, that. And yeah. you, can, you can tell. Man. And after Is this. Isn't he about to go silent for like a year and a half? Only yeah, on the and, that's, and then right before his yeah. big match was apparently when he was having all those troubles with his family and his wife, right? And and yeah. that's why he was out of shape. And that's why eventually Hogan and Bischoff said they didn't want to put him over because he wasn't in great shape. And he was having all these, these struggles like in his personal life. But yeah, this was like he's about to go like radio silent at the end of this night for a while. It turned into the crow. Not quite after this night. It was a couple months down the road. But we'll talk a little bit about some of the things they did to set the yep. groundwork for that even in the main event of this show. Yeah. Now, going back to there, Happy Sting beat his demons, and thankfully he is still with us. Anybody a little bit nervous about him getting back in a competitor status with AEW? Very much so. I, I still have images of him in that match at Clash. Buckle Bomb. With Rollins, where he was like, where he couldn't even stand up. No. And, uh, and yeah, and the thing was, that was actually a really good match before that. I remember thoroughly enjoying it because I was telling people, look, Sting can still work. He had worked a match the year before in TNA with Austin Aries that was a legitimate four-star match and is worth seeking out. He works the first 12 minutes with Rollins, and he looks like a he million doing great. dollars. And then the buckle bomb happens, and oh my goodness. The, the best story from that night, though, is they're putting Sting in the ambulance. And he mentioned this in his Hall of Fame speech. They're putting him in the ambulance. And Rollins is following him because he feels responsible for what happened. Now, whoever was responsible for that, I don't know. Sting takes the blame for it. There are some people who think Rollins was unsafe at this point. Whatever. Rollins runs back because he feels horrible and wants to make sure Sting is okay. And Rollins runs up and goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he has nothing else to say except, I was you for Halloween! Yeah. <laughs> Such a great story. <laughs> it's just like the first thing that comes to his head. Like he just wants to let him know how much he loves him. I just would never do this to you. But uh, yeah, you, you could you could tell he's struggling. And these three guys had some some fun with uh, with some substances through the years. So I'd imagine there was a, a good road trip or two. Uh, what are you with... trying to say, Gino? Just spit it out, oh, man. It's pretty apparent, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we get to DDP versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. This is the tape fist match. And, uh, oh, here comes Hacksaw with his two boy, uh, two by four. This is a, a taped fist match for the Lord of the Ring. Um, yeah, D DDP will get a lot better. 
and you could tell this is when DDP was still a heel, and he's basically doing like seven gimmicks all at the same time, just trying to see which one of them sort of work. Like every heel sticky gimmick, he's kind of got wrapped into one. Uh, Bobby says that hacksaw comes from a whole line of punchers. His mother was punchy. His grandmother was punchy. It was pretty funny. Uh, it's, it's always the Bobby delivery, though. He's just perfect with it. Um, hacksaw with the quick start. DDP actually takes off hacksaw's tape. And tapes off of his fist And he tapes his legs to the ring post uh, The referee is untying D- uh, Hacksaw And uh, then he, he nails DDP with punch after punch Bobby loves to make fun of Hacksaw Here he's been doing it for years in WWF DDP keeps cheating Pulling his heel stick Ducking out of the ring You could tell he's still not a finished product at all He gets crotched up on the ropes at one point And uh, Jimmy Dugan's in charge uh, you get the big clothesline over the top rope Dusty I love you Dust But he has this total mental lapse yeah. At this point of the match And he goes <laughs> Why does Duggan not have his fist taped And Tony's like He just DDP just took it off of him And tied him to the ring we've, 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 We know we have said it many times And then Dusty says Oh yeah I think I commented on it which was just like, wow, well, maybe one too many shots to the head there at that point. Uh, big dust. Um, we get the diamond cutter for the one, two, three post match. Hacksaw gets uh, gets the you know, DDP will get some of the heat back because Hacksaw punches him out. DDP retains the Lord of the Ring, but this just this was at least not long, it wasn't offensive. But this was in like a string of matches on the show, Darren. That really just felt a lot like a match we would have seen on Nitro. Yeah, it's just, there's just not a lot to it. Um, you know, it was kind of weird because, like, when it came out, I'm like, wow, Paige against, you know, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Like, yeah. Because I, I, and thinking back, like, I, you know, he wasn't, I mean, he was Diamond Dallas Page, but he wasn't really, like, you know, crazy DDP yet. No. Um, and I actually thought, you know, DDP was much better as a, as a babyface as the years went on. Um, and, you know, he would become, you know, much more popular with, with everybody in the not-too-distant future from this. But, yeah, you said it best. I mean, the, the match was only about five minutes long. So, you know, that, they got that part of it right. Um, you know, you get a heel type of win. It's always fun to see a diamond cutter. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this match is not it, it's what you would expect it to be, and it's not going to, you know, surprise you in any way. I get to do it. I get to do it. This is great. One of my favorite running gags makes an appearance. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, right at the outset of the match, gets a USA chant mm. against a guy from Asbury Park, New Jersey. Yeah. It's like everybody's from it's, the USA here, right? Yeah, like, it, it's not the USA chant in Toronto for WrestleMania six, but it's one of those where you're like, okay, did yeah. Diamond Dallas Page defect to Russia? Is that yeah. gonna be his next gimmick? I don't know. Well, at any rate, Paige, I don't think, gets in a shot on Duggan. He's bouncing around for him. They do the bit with the tape, but I don't think Duggan, act, or rather Paige, actually gets in a move until he's in the ring. Duggan's trying to get back. Paige kicks the rope to crotch Duggan on the ropes, and then Paige gets the diamond cutter. Duggan controlled 90% of this match. Paige winds up slipping out by the skin of his teeth, Duggan no-sells the whole thing and winds up knocking Paige out with the tape fist anyway, to which Bobby Heenan replies, 
Should have done that five minutes ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is one of those matches where there was just no reason to have it on the show. Yeah. This pay-per-view could have been a very tight two hours. And instead, we got two hours and 45 minutes. And it almost seems as though they misjudged how much time it was going to take and just decided to throw stuff on the show yeah, that you're right. no way should have been there. No. This was definitely one of those things There were three or four of them on the show So we got Mean Gene now With the Giant and Jimmy Hart And the Taskmaster backstage uh, Who speaks first and answers As Gene has accused him of being the weak link Of the Dungeon of Doom We're going to get Dungeon of Doom versus Horseman We're not going to really talk a whole lot about that match When we hit it later because Benoit's in it And just if you're listening to this for the first time We do these shows for fun we have a lot of fun, and we'll talk about serious stuff when with some of the wrestlers and sad things that have happened. But when it comes to Benoit, it just becomes a little too much. It's sort of hard to suspend some of our disbelief with everything that happened, and so we have so much fun doing this. We don't need to to have these Benoit matches sort of bring down, uh, uh, you know, a fun conversation that we're having, making fun of things and laughing and and, and going back in time. But as far as just like this promo is in concern, uh, concerned, DZ, I hated this version. That of when the giant spoke in these promos and that like I'm the giant voice yeah. beat I mean this was and and we see big show nowadays like he can cut a very nice promo and he's just just like I'm not gonna say as well as edge or anything but it, it reminds me of that as a guy who's done a lot more acting stuff through the years and has just learned like how to make your words count more and just comparing this to like Hearing the big show come out and cut a promo nowadays where you sort of listen to what he has to say, uh, and at least he can get his point across. This stuff is just atrocious. Yeah. He's got he's got a long way to go at this point. Um yeah, it, it he's it, it's clumsy, he's tripping over words. It seems like he's searching for the right thing to say. It's not making much sense. He's talking about it being his birthright to be the world heavyweight champion. It's just I don't know. Like, I didn't really get the point of what he was trying to get across. Like the pro, like the substance of the promo, didn't really have anything to do with the match or what you know the question of the Taskmaster and him being a weak link. It just kind of became I'm the giant and this is what I do. Like it, it was just, it was just awkward and bumpy. And he he had a, a very long way to go before he started to nail down promos. That's for sure. I'll take push to the top way before he was ready for 200. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's not a knock on the like, giant. Give me, give me the booking of this guy when he comes to WWE, like the, like sort of the way he's booked as a monster, but just not the way he presents himself, you know, like well, as the, like the, the, I'm the giant. Remember he would come out to the ring smoking a cigarette sometimes it, yeah. like in this era. It was just, it was, it was weird what they were trying to get. Like present him as I just I sort of a uh, little I think to me and he's going to be on that list with Kane when I look back and go some of the most underrated guys all time the Big Show never really got his run where he got to be a badass guy and be the guy who beats everybody up like he should like a guy who's that big and can do what he did I'm always going to feel a little bad that he never quite got that run and I think some of it was his own fault because he he took a while to mature he took a while to realize that he's got to be in better shape and he he's got to show up and he's got to be trustworthy but um I, yeah he, he definitely he was always a guy that I felt like 
they didn't really do a whole lot right by him. Really, I guess on either company, didn't seem like they uh they ended up do, doing the best by him when it was all all said and done. Well, it's it's strange because in the mid '90s with WCW, they were in a really weird spot because you had Ric Flair who had been around forever. Bischoff had risen to power and Bischoff clearly didn't think Flair was the guy going forward that should have been the top heel. So you try to find guys and you try to invent these new top heels. They pushed the giant to main event status the moment he stepped in the door and it was heavily implied that he was Andre the Giant's son looking to avenge his father. That's not Paul White's fault. That's the fault of the booking, and you mentioned that. Now, I don't have a lot to say about this promo. The next promo, though, features one of my all-time favorite WCW employees. And, Gino, you know why I feel this way. So we got Dave Champagne is in the arena next to uh, the entranceway. It's the beach area with Benoit, with Art Anderson. Uh, Arn uh, is talking. He wants to get the world title back to where it belongs Giant, if we chop you down in half, you're only three foot six. So, real quick, Andrew, like, what the hell is your dad doing here in uh, 1996 at WCW? In case you're not in on the joke, <laughs> and if you're listening to this point, I'm just going to assume that you're not. I have always thought that my father, who had a very similar mustache in the mid to late 90s, very similar build, similar hair color, everything, I thought he and Lee Marshall could have been separated at birth. My dad doesn't see it. I think it is glaringly obvious. And I have told him that. I don't know if he's crazy about me saying that, but I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it, it, to me, it's too blatantly obvious. And I remember when I saw Lee Marshall on the show, because I always forget he was doing uh, on-camera stuff because he was always the guy that Nitro would trot out to do reports on upcoming house shows. They had this deal, I think, with 1-800-COLLECT where he'd do a thing for two minutes talking about upcoming shows between the current Nitro and the next one and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, I have always thought my dad and Lee Marshall were like identical twins, so that was always funny. As far as who he's with, though, God, that's awkward. And there's a reason that I you know, decided to focus a lot more on Lee Marshall than on one of the guys that was flanking him. You're great, Lee Marshall, Tony the Tiger Uh, We get to the dog collar match Okay, Andrew's done it to me a few times And I'm gonna do it to you, Andrew Good God, this was awful And not only was it awful This was long From the start of the freaking entrances To when they (laughs) locked the dog collars on to the end where there's another 45 seconds of recapping this god-awful train wreck. It was over 15 minutes. Blah! It's one of my big, like, notes here. And I don't normally mind some of this stuff, but I was just dying. This is, like, their attempt at a response to ECW. You got Public Enemy versus the Nasty Boys. All four. uh, So each of them are attached to another with the dog collar. Uh, They got the chain all over the place The announcers are mentioning that nobody's seen Eric Bischoff He's supposed to be hosting pre-show He got powerbomb off the stage a few weeks back So they're continuing along with the storyline of the main event Um, Bobby's talking about the third man 
Then the ref, the, the ref locks in the dog collars on all four men The first four minutes are so slow and so plodding As they make their way over to the beach set And they start to get into the sand Then at least they're they're like messing around With some fun like toys that you, you know That we don't see often So at least there's like some novelty to this But they're doing almost all of this in a split screen So you can't see anything that's happening in either one of the the the, the, the interactions it, it, with either guy, all you see is like two sort of blobs moving across, like slowly punching and kicking each other into the railing. There's nothing really happening. Okay, then as they're in the beach area, Dusty just like squeals for a moment because they Nobs gets a surfboard and Bobby says. He's hanging 10 and just goes, oh my god, oh my god, I was just going to say that. Like, nobody in the world would have ever thought to say hanging 10 in a beach situation. Like, Dusty was the most creative guy in the world to think of that, like, brain, like, rocket scientist thing there, Dust. So, they get the lifeguard stand in the mix. They're climbing it. They're climbing the lifeguard. They're using chairs. At my notes, we still can't really see anything, though. <laughs> they finally realize it's like it was like somebody was finally screaming into their ear, go full screen. I don't know why I hear Andrew as like my producer telling me, go full screen. Go full screen. I just hear Andrew's voice. I mean, I could be your producer if you wanted to pay me to yell in your ear when you're doing your show. <laughs> We're just getting punches, trash can lids, knobs goes into a table, and then we get the spot where the tables won't break. So this <laughs> that's is the just, toughest table I've ever seen. A mess. My no, this is an absolute mess. I write just bad, bad, bad tables that aren't breaking. Rocco Rock bouncing off. Crowd is dead. Absolutely dead. In the ring, they keep trying to go through this table. It won't give. The announcers are legit worried about these guys. They're like, somebody needs to stop this match. These guys are bouncing off these tables. It's like they may be really hurt. And everyone is so exhausted at this point because we're 13 minutes in. It's They're just crawling around. I put, why is this still going? The Nasty Boys start using a chain it's a clothesline for the win, a one, two, three. The actual match time is eleven twenty-five plus the, the entrances and everything. And the first line from Tony Schiavone after the one, two, three, that was a mess. <laughs> this Andrew, you give it to me sometimes. And I, I you said you don't let you don't hate it as much as I did. I, from the way that they shot this to everything going on, to maybe I just didn't like the nasties at this point. I want 15 minutes of my life back. Sorry, pal. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to rebut some of this because... Oh, no, no, no. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say this was good. I'm not. But the TV production nerd in me is going to come out to play. They had no idea how to shoot something like this. This was Eric Bischoff coming up with the idea of, oh, Dog collar match. We have two teams of guys that can brawl. That'll be fun and interesting and be something different from what WWF is doing. Because remember, that was one of the things that Eric Bischoff really stressed when he moved into power. 
I want to do everything the exact opposite of what WWF is doing. And you certainly weren't getting tag team dog collar matches at this point in the World Wrestling Federation. So, hey, why not do that? Now, they would get better at following and booking these kinds of matches. Public Enemy would have a very similar type of brawl with the Steiner brothers that's on one of the best of Nitro compilations that they put out. Nasties have one with Harlem Heat, right, too? I think that's, like, fine. There's a couple of them that that I didn't mind. I just... I found this one just horrifying. Well, here's the difference. For one, Public Enemy is working with the Steiners and not the Nasty Boys. But for another, it's five or six minutes. It's still split-screened, but they know what they're looking for and how to shoot it. You can tell there was no rehearsal. There was no what we call in the television business blocking for this sort of thing. The okay They're going to do this here, so you're going to want to be right there and taking it from this kind of angle. That type of planning did not happen ahead of this match, and I am not saying that the match is anything great. I am not even going to try to push people's buttons and convince you that the match was great. I just simply don't think it was gigantically awful, and I think a lot of what you're talking about in addition to the runtime, which was just way too long, it should have been five or six minutes. But a lot of this is simply due to the fact that WCW didn't know how to present this sort of thing. They didn't think things through as far as, okay, how are we going to make this to where people can actually like watch the match? And as a result, it sort of fizzled out. You mentioned Tony's first line being, that was a mess at the end of the match. Bobby Heenan, in typical Bobby Heenan fashion, jumps right on top of him and says, that was the greatest Greco-Roman power match I've ever seen. (laughs) That was funny. I thoroughly enjoyed that. But even as somebody who, as a kid, loved Public Enemy's theme music and waving the arms around when they came out, God, their stuff does not age well. Yeah, I'm just going to call this what it is. This is just complete dog shit. I mean, it, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, there's just, listen, I, I've said this before on some of the shows, um, the Nasty Boys are a tag team that, you know, a lot of people remember for different reasons. I always thought they were bad. I, I hated them. I, I don't know why. I, yeah. I've said it before. I, I always thought they were bad workers. I always thought they were stiff. I, I, I never, I never enjoyed them as a tag team from a wrestling standpoint because I just thought they couldn't, they, they, they flat out couldn't wrestle. Um, the only thing that I'll take away from this match, and, and I'll pose this question, Gino, because as to why this match went on so long, and, and you alluded to it, where um, the, the table didn't break in that spot, and the ending to the match ends up being awkward. Is it possible that the table spot was supposed to be the end yes, of the match? Yes, that's, that's a and great when, point. When it didn't break, they just had no idea what they, to do. They like tried to do it two or three more times. It didn't work, and they're like, Oh, okay, we just have to go to this like clothesline for a win. I mean, that was yeah. not a finishing spot whatsoever. I don't think those guys could have gone lo- much longer. So I, I agree they with couldn't you. Couldn't go to begin with. They definitely no. weren't going to be longer. <laughs> this was bad. 
Um, uh, this was bad. It was fun to talk about, though. I'll tell you that. I had a hell of a lot more fun talking about it than I did watching the goddamn thing. But yeah, let's uh, let's move along to Mean Gene backstage. He's with security. He says if either of the outsiders tries to touch him, he's going to go right to a lawyer's office. The guards are standing behind. He wants to get a word from the outsiders, so we're going to check back in with Mean Gene in a little bit because he will be uh, trying to see and and find out any information he can about anyone moving moving in and out of the locker room. Now, this next match, I don't know if it was actually pretty good or if it was just because of the the train wreck matches that we just watched right before it, three in a row that were pretty abysmal that that like anything decent would have been like, you know, Omega Okada in the in New Japan in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, this Disco Fever, Disco Inferno, Dean Malenko match. I always say Disco Fever, Disco Fever. Uh, this do was the actually, dance, do the dance. You got to do the oh, dance yeah, when you, you say it. Do it. You got to do it. This was good. This really was. And Bobby says that he comes out. Sit down, Fred Astaire. Sit down, Michael Jackson. Disco cuts a, a small po- uh, promo, and then Malenko is super aggressive right away. Right into a brain buster He slows it down with a leg head scissor Then a leg bar The announcers are pushing that Disco lacks focus And that that has impacted him From winning some of his matches Every time he gains an advantage He starts to dance He loses his focus For 5 minutes and 41 seconds Disco does not get one move in Not one Dean beats the crap out of this guy Puts him in hold, submission You name it, he does it Not one offensive move from Disco Dean has the knee bar here With near fall after near fall Then Disco finally fires back uh, With some punches, sort of ugly clothesline But it's fine, it's part of the story He gets a stun gun And Bobby starts to sort of cheer for Disco A little small flurry But then uh, Malenko's back in charge They're outside of the ring uh, Back to submissions for Dean then poor Dusty again. Tony says he's trying to thwart, and Dusty says, "What? What'd you say?" It's like he's never heard that word before, and they had to say the word thwart. I, I, I what did you think he said? Like fart? Were you like gonna laugh about? That? I don't know. Like I don't even know what what he was about to think. It was just like poor Dusty just has a few of these throughout the the show. But they're telling a great story of Disco battling, using his feet to get to the ropes. Trying to fight everything off We get another two count He counters, he hits a neck breaker Then another neck breaker He stops for a second to dance But then he quickly uh, gathers himself And he covers So it's like he's learning along the way Dean with a, a springboard drop kick Then Disco rolls him up The pace really picks up a little bit here Disco is fighting a little sloppy But it's sort of scrappy And it and the sloppiness fits Because he's going against a ver- like a, a finely tuned machine You're never going to look as clean as Malenko So if you're trying to fight out of his stuff And you're looking sloppy I, I kind of like the way that looks um, And again I, I said three or four times I, My notes were I like the story they're telling It really it, I I forgot this sort of story of like Disco trying to fight against the real established Malenko Uh, A couple of near falls for Disco at the end And then Dean hits a big clothesline, the double underhook suplex And then the Texas Cloverleaf and uh, Disco taps Dean Malenko with the W The announcers give Disco plenty of props I thought he did a great job selling and was trying to fire back up as he matures And um, I even like Bobby talking about how he just needs a manager he just needs a manager, which you, you sort of thought maybe Bobby was thinking about it. But um, Andrew, I thought this was no doubt one of the high points on the show. I thought this probably from a ring work standpoint, to me, this was definitely the second best match on the show. And I was 
I like the story, and I thought Disco did a really good job here. This is Disco's best match ever, right? Yeah, I think like, so. I, I yeah. don't think it's particularly close. I like the story they were telling here as well. I mean, they were clearly trying to make Disco into something. Maybe he was never going to be above a solid mid-carder, but this match put him there. Malenko comes out, and I just love the way he came out. Dude did not blink on his way to the ring. You could see those blue eyes pulsating through the camera with that stare that he had. He wanted to hit the ring and destroy this dude. Disco, to his credit, sells his butt off for Malenko's offense. You mentioned the stretch of five minutes where Disco didn't get a move in. He's bouncing around, and he's making Malenko look like a million dollars. Disco looks really good here, as good as he's ever going to look. And I also liked how after the match, when they were talking Disco up, they showed him in the ring. He's wincing in pain from having tapped to the cloverleaf. And he says to the camera, that's the one move I don't have a counter for. The one move. And I thought that was fitting because it tells the story of a guy that was able to fight everything else off and look really good except for the one finisher that was booked as a legitimate submission hold at that time, opposite Flair's figure four. It was a really good match. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And Malenko was another guy that was just so far ahead of his time as a worker. Yeah, I mean, it was a good match. I, I enjoyed it. Um, Malenko was, was phenomenal, uh, you know, in terms of his in-ring work. There's no question about that. You guys touched on everything. Um, I, I'll just ask... I'll make two points. One thing that, to be honest with you, I couldn't remember, and I couldn't really get it from the match. Who is the babyface and who is the heel? Good that, question. Now that's it's and you're the right. cruiserweight. It's the cruiserweight division. They didn't put much thought into that. No, and yeah. that was that was one of the problems where why these guys didn't get over as much long term in this company until they went to other places like Eddie and Jericho, and they got to actually show some personality more than just. Hey, we can go for 15 minutes every week. And 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 what you just said kind of gets to my next point. Despite the fact that it's a really it's a really good match. Crowd's dead. Yeah. I don't know I don't know if it's they dead. don't know what they're supposed to do. That's the problem. Yeah. They don't yeah. know who cuz Malenko is not like Malenko had his fun when he like he was a good babyface with the Jericho stuff or there were a few times where he had good runs when you had a great heel opposite of him. Um, and he could just play the straight man, but he, yeah, there was not like who, like you said, who are we rooting? Who is the crowd supposed to be rooting for? That's, that's the problem here. Right. And, and granted the crowd could also be in a coma because of the nasty boys public enemy match. That just that's very ended. true. That's very true. Uh, but yeah, th- those are the two. I mean, what I took away from it was it, it was a very good wrestling match, which is what you come to expect with Milenko. Disco was fun. You know, probably like you said, it, it very well could have been you know his best match in terms of in ring work. But th- those are the things I took away. Who was the heel? Who was the babyface? And the and the crowd was just kind of out of it. Well, there's yeah. another reason the crowd might have been out of it, guys. And and I cannot possibly underscore this enough. The crowd may have simply been saving its collective energy for the next match on this show. Joe freaking Gomez, the desperado Joe Gomez. That's a main event anywhere in the country right there. So we've got Joe Gomez versus Steve Mongo McMichael with Deborah and, and a the dog and a poodle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they do mention that this is actually Mongo's third ever wrestling match. 
Remember, his first match was damn good in that tag match where it was we we've we've recapped it before. Really, really good. Um, one of the better uses of athletes. Kevin Green is excellent in the ring. Um, it was it was good. Like we we talked about it, like a legitimate four star match. There's a lot of bells and whistles on it, but it's great. I mean, it was a a very entertaining match. This is awful. Oh <laughs> my jeez. We start. Mongo tosses Joe into the corner. He throws him around a little bit, and he trash talks. We get a Gomez crossbody. I mean, this is all punches, like shoulder blocks and shoulder tackles. <laughs> my notes. Awful stuff from Mongo <laughs> Sloppy attempt At a sidewalk slam He's trying to do the camel clutch The one thing that was so bad About this match Is the ring awareness I don't know how many times Mongo Or the two of them Did a move where they like Ran themselves into the ropes Or they set up a move Right next to the ropes It, it was like where the hell do you think you are Move to the center of the ring a, a little bit more. Good God! I, 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 so we get an awful. Okay, Mongo hits a reverse neckbreaker after Joe sits down on a neckbreaker. Um, to an awful pin attempt that was too close to the ropes by Gomez. We get a back body drop again where their legs hit the ropes. Mongo, I, I wrote it three times. Mongo has zero ring awareness. Mongo has zero ring awareness. Mongo has zero ring awareness. Joe with a few drop kicks. Mongo hits a pile driver. Who the hell is letting him do that move? Like, who's letting this dude do a pile driver in his third match where he could break somebody's freaking neck? I mean, Owen Hart screws up and breaks a guy's neck. Like, not long after the, like, what months after this? Like right after, like not long a year after this. Really, ninety seven, right? I just put, thank God this is over. It went six forty four. It felt like it was at least ten minutes plus. It was so bad. It was so plotting. Andrew, what the hell are you doing to us? You just don't appreciate Joe Gomez. <laughs> uh, this is a rarity right here. This is like the Bret Hart, Tom McGee match. Hey, <laughs> traders would always, you know, rave about the fact that this was this guy's one match on a big pay per view, and you just poo pooed your way all over it. My goodness. Kidding aside, this is terrible stuff. Um, first of all, <laughs> I love it. This is not all Mongo's fault. Okay, no. it's not. I mean, they're both uh, bad. Gomez busts Mongo's lip open really early on. He does one of those double chop things where like one chop goes into his chin and the other chop goes into his chest. Well, the top chop went right into Mongo's mouth. Okay. So we're not off to a good start there. I don't think Mongo left his feet until this comical selling of a jawbreaker where he sold it like Wiley Coyote getting hit by the train, where he just sort of slowly fell down to the ground and then landed with a sickening thud. Uh, Heenan does have a really good line, though, when Gomez is controlling the match. And Heenan, remember, coached the uh, horseman against Mongo and Green, with the plan be being to pay Mongo off, and that's what happened. So Heenan's yelling at the monitor, yelling into his microphone, Come on, 76! Hike! 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 <laughs> so good. Um, not so, however, for when Mongo botches the sunset flip 
which I wouldn't have been surprised if that was supposed to be the finish and they had to improvise the pile driver. Because if you watch the sunset flip, oh my God, it's, it's, it's two people trying to find their footing and just failing miserably. Oh boy. I almost feel bad having to make Gino watch that match. Almost, almost. <laughs> I'm not Darren. I'm going to be honest. I have no wrestling background whatsoever. I've, you know, screwed around with friends at times and we've done stuff and I'm sure by now everyone has seen me take a choke slam and the parking lot outside of WrestleMania <laughs> and, and and hit a pretty damn good Superman punch Superman as well. Superman punch looked great. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that if you put me in a wrestling ring that I right, would right now more- with zero training with yeah. like not even telling you, Darren, you're gonna you're gonna wrestle this match, or you're gonna become a wrestler in six months or a year. So go and get ready. Like, hey, Darren, right now I'm dragging you half drunk out of your house at like <laughs> eleven o'clock at night, and I'm gonna put you in the ring, and you're gonna do worlds better than either one of these damn guys did in this match. Yeah. The, the, so basically, uh, oh my gosh, the um. The, the fact that Mongo can't even go off the ropes when he's whipped into the ropes, like, he doesn't even turn his back into the ropes. He kind of stays sideways. It's like he doesn't expect the ropes to be there. This like, guy, like, was a, was a stud football player. Yeah. It's so bizarre. He's, like, got zero athleticism. Yeah. And then the sunset flip where, I mean, listen, it's not that hard of a move. And when and, and the guy that had to do the work was Gomez, who has to actually do the flip, and then Mongo just sits on his chest, and and now it's like the ref goes to count because Mongo's on top of him, and then Mongo stands back up again. He's like, all right, I'll get back in position for you to turn me over very slowly. I mean, this was just like painful to watch. And when he put him into a tombstone pile driver, I literally said out loud, "Oh my god." Because I was like, I, I, I didn't hurt. remember yeah. like, if, if someone's about to get hurt. Now, for all you fans out there that look for, like, you know, botched kind of stuff, if you're on Instagram, there is an Instagram account called WrestleBotch. I swear to you, every third video that gets posted is Steve It's, it's Mongo. Yeah. <laughs> it's Mongo. Uh, and there is one tombstone. <laughs> He literally gets the guy up and he's about to like just fall over, you know, on top of the guy, but he keeps kind of like falling into the ropes instead. So imagine a guy having someone upside down in a tombstone and he just keeps bouncing back and forth into the ropes to kind of like keep his leverage. And then when it's when he finally gets off the ropes, he just kind of falls backwards onto the guy's head. Um, it's it's bad. Listen, we, we talked about, like, is this one of the worst things we've ever... I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I've ever seen a worse wrestling match. Than this is I, close. No, this is close. I'm being serious. I, like, yeah. it does not come to my mind. Like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, and this is aside from, like, you know, New Jack ECW type stuff. Like, I'm not talking about like that. I'm talking about just from a wrestling standpoint. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I remember worse than this. Well, let's compare um, this to, I, like, I, three of the bad matches. Something. Well, just earlier on the show, this is such a different level of bad in that, like, okay, the Nasty Boys match, 
that bothered me But like those are guys that are actual wrestlers Workers that are like bad workers But they still have Like punches, kicks, they're fun Like there's something Like even the, the, the early terrible match on the card That we saw like the DDP Jim Duggan, that's not that offensive to me But the uh, the other one, Big Bubba John Tenta, like that goes on a little Too long, but those guys can at least Throw a decent punch, they can at least Sell a move Take a bump, like Basic wrestling stuff You don't get any of that in this match These guys don't know how to deliver offense They don't know how to take it They don't know anything And how Anyone could look At this match and think it was smart to put this on this pay-per-view Like towards the back half of the pay-per-view uh, 30 to 45 minutes before one of the biggest angles in the history of your company Like who the hell is making that call? Uh, can I tell you a match I've seen that's far worse than this? Yeah Alright, it's not on the network It is available out there online if you want to see it Pretty Pretty much every match from a pay-per-view known as Heroes of Wrestling. And even if you've never heard of Heroes of Wrestling, you have seen a promo from that show. That was the home of the infamous Jake Roberts, You Got 21, I Got 22 promo. And we can laugh at it now because Jake Roberts has somehow outlived just about everybody from that era. DDP, Miracle Worker. But my God, the main event match between Jake the Snake Roberts and Jim the Anvil Nightheart, which gets turned into a tag match featuring King Kong Bundy on one side and 800-pound Yokozuna on the other. Um, we, we, we're going to need to take a look at that show at some point. It is out there. I'm seeing it on my computer screen right now. It is available for free. Guys, we might need to go there at some point. Darren, we're so, going to have to start doing the thing again. Yeah, when we make figure sure. out your it scheme. Like as six far. months until Andrew gets to pick another show, you know? Yeah, figure that out. <laughs> Next advance, week, we but... got current wrestling and then uh, horse racing and then two remember more weeks. Remember was like, yeah, man, we're going to watch WrestleMania 6 next week. Now it's yeah. like, let's find the worst dog shit match. <laughs> I mean, Darren, would you prefer to rewatch Halloween Havoc 98 No. Again? No, no. What, what Spin the wheel, make the deal, baby. But what comes next is just wow. So we get Mean Gene. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! With Ric Flair, <laughs> Miss Elizabeth, and woman who is literally like all over Mean Gene, touching him everywhere, rubbing his head. Like Mean Gene's putting his arm around her. Flair just starts saying. I mean, just like out of nowhere, he is a mess. I don't know what he's on, but I, I kind of want some of it. It looks like it's good, whatever it is. I'll tell you, because he mistakenly calls Conan the man of a thousand holes. We just start, we know that's Dean Malenko. I mean, he's literally, he says, Conan, they call you the man of a thousand holds And then you can It's almost like he realized He messed it up, I thought But then he does it, because he references it again Later in the promo It was almost like he caught himself He goes, you were the man of a thousand holds But I have unlimited knowledge of the greatest sport In the world 
And he got really quiet for a second I think I, I thought okay he realizes his mistake But no he doesn't And you could tell Mean Gene Knew this fool was messed up Because he kept trying to take it away from him Mean Gene kept trying to talk to Liz Kept trying to talk to woman Mean Gene asks Liz about a party Good old Liz who we love uh, As Liz Miss Elizabeth in you know 1988, 89, 90 But she has Absolutely zero charisma Like always here I mean Gene is literally having to like lead answers Out of her Woman wants Gene to come to the party And then Flair he keeps trying to talk again Like every Gene is done with him And Flair keeps butting in It's like what is he doing He starts talking trash about Macho Man And says look it's me and Liz I keep writing He is so messed up Gene keeps trying to again Change the topic Get to talk to woman Talk to Liz Flair keeps butting in And then Gene says that (laughs) This was great Flair talks about how They're all going to go party Afterwards together And Gene says that they're going to have In addition to wrestling A little pole vaulting competition (laughs) Oh my god (laughs) Darren What the hell was going on here um, you want me to, you want me to be honest or do you, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly confident that Ric Flair is coked out of his mind right here. Um, and, uh, and, and I, the only way I could describe it is like he, it's almost like he hears, I don't know, some kind of like high paced music going on that nobody else hears. He's just kind of like standing there, just like bouncing around, you know. He's like, Yeah, man. Yeah, well, you're looking at him. He's like, All right, yeah, you're talking, you're talking, you're talking. Now you're talking. Now I'm going to talk. And it's like, if you just watch him, he's just like, he's just kind of like shifting back and forth and like bouncing around. I can't really like. It's weird. It's like either he's got to take a piss, or or he just doesn't know what to do with himself. Like I can't recall seeing something like this from him. No, I've never, I've never. It's it's almost, and it's weird because like there's parts of it where it almost looks like he's staring back at like a return feed camera as he's doing it, and he's like making faces at it and smiling and like. Whistling, and he's got his hands on his hips, and he's just like shimmying back and forth. And I'm, I'm watching it, just going, "What is happening right I now?" Know. You know? And he's got that goofy haircut. Oh, you this know? is his worst look ever. Oh my god! Like it's just like everything about this is almost disturbing. <laughs> so I just don't know what's happening right now. I mean, it's like you know what it's like. I'll, I'll leave it with this. And, I, and I've never taken a drug in my life, so I, I can I I can't speak to this, but I've seen it. It's like when somebody is like given a, a some kind of a drug that like picks you up for the first time, and it, and it's like it's like the kid in um in Can't Hardly Wait, where he's just like I can't feel my legs, I can't feel my legs, like that's, that's what I'm like thinking and listening to as I'm watching him, where he's just like. In another world, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I don't know how I'm going to follow that, but I'm going to give it the old college <laughs> try. This must be how Okerlund felt. Um, so, speaking of Gene, 
part of me felt sorry for him because he's having to herd flair and like try to push him into the background to talk to people who may have been sober while he's being felt up. (laughs) And that's the other part. The other part of me doesn't feel bad at all. (laughs) Let's just be frank on this woman was gorgeous. Yeah. And this iteration of her, there, there isn't a lot that can make me go, whoa. I went, whoa, when I saw this promo for various reasons. Now, Flair routinely busting out into La Cucaracha. I, just why? Just uh, you don't need this. You're Rick effing Flair. It didn't feel like minor league, right? This didn't feel like Flair. You have the women. You have the robe. You have the nature boy gimmick. All you got to do is cut the same promo you've been cutting for 15 years and still cut to this day. Limousine ride, jet flying, wheeling, dealing, kiss stealing, woo, son of a gun. And when we're done, we're going to party across the street and all the ladies are invited. Woo! That's it. Give That's me the all you Play had to do. That's all you had to do. And instead we get la cucaracha, la cucaracha. Da, 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 da. No. <laughs> With this promo, give me woman, take everything else. We get the U.S. heavyweight title match. It is Conan versus Ric Flair. Um, and I, you know, we've talked about Conan a few times here. Conan check. It's funny. Cause he, he's fine in the ring. He's actually a very good promo. I never really connected with him as much as, especially when I was younger, like watching back some of his stuff after I, I like some of the things I rewatch. I don't know if it was coming because I'm coming off of this promo, maybe because I was a little salty already because there'd been a couple crap matches throughout the show, or maybe just because I expect so much out of Ric Flair with a freaking broomstick. I just hated this match. It was a slow feeling out process. Conan with the headlock early. We got women screaming at ringside. Conan slaps Flair. I mean, this, the first few minutes were really slow. Conan with the upper hand, then Flair chops. Conan tries to get on a surfboard. He can't really get the surfboard, but he still has a submission locked in. Uh, Conan with a, a, a gorilla press, then some chops. Clothesline over the top. Both men go over the top. Uh, Conan jumps off the apron into Rick and Liz. So Liz sort of bumps. We didn't see that all too often. Woman knocks Conan off the top rope by shaking the bottom. She is involved in this match all over the place. Now Flair's back in charge. Woman gets in the ring when the ref is distracted. She kicks Conan low blow. And Dusty says, she kicked him low. Oh, (laughs) just crazy. Uh, Outside the ring, she goes after Conan. Uh, Flair tries a couple pins and a slow chin lock. Conan fires back. Flair begs off. Uh, Conan counters the figure four with a sloppy looking roll up. Then he puts on the figure four himself. And my my notes are just, this is not great. Very little chemistry. I know both of these guys are good in the ring. We just see it happen sometimes where two guys don't have it. And I know it's a lot easier now after watching the promo to blame this on Flair. Because... He was obviously just completely off his game tonight. The ladies distract the referee while Conan has Flair pinned. Woman ends up hitting Conan with her shoe. Flair pins him with his feet on the ropes. Um, I just, DZ will get to you first. I just expect so much out of Flair. And then you put you piggyback this on right after what we saw. He just feels like he was definitely on something tonight. Going through the motions. And this was 
I mean, this was just not good. I was re- It's funny. This this disappointed me. Like the match, the the promo stuff, I was dying laughing. I watched that thing three or four times. That that made me just cut up. But the match bothered me. It almost bothered me more than like the Tenta Big Bubba match. Because what more do you expect from those two guys, right? Like you, those two guys, you put them in a match for ten minutes. They can't do anything more than what they gave you. They, that's as hard as they can go. They try their best. These two guys and Flair in particular, we know what he can do. And this is just this night, that promo, and then this was the worst version of Ric Flair that I can ever remember seeing. Yeah, yeah. To be honest with you, I don't even remember the match before I watched it. Um, Neither. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it's just not anything that that stuck with me. He's about to get into the whole uh, NWO takeover, you know, thing. He's gonna have the. He's gonna have a major part in in the whole invasion storyline in, in in the very near future. I guess he's kind of like you know stuck in between, uh, you know storylines here. Um, yeah, I mean to be, I, I agree with you, but just because I expect so much from Flair. To me, the best part of this entire match was the was the was the groin kick from Woman, which was like like a she's aggressive. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that great. when she hit that, I went oh. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she was the best part of the match, her. like Andrew said about the promo. She she yeah. definitely like stood out as oh wow, like it, it, without her, this match would have been absolutely nothing. Like she steals the show. Yep. Yeah. I, there's uh, there's just not much to it. You know, you get the figure four into the small package. Uh, you know, suplex. Uh, I mean, just that there's just not a whole lot happening in the match in terms of wrestling. There's a lot of stuff. You know, with the women outside getting involved and Liz distracting the ref, and you know, obviously you get to the ending, and yeah, I mean, look, bottom line is, is this the worst match I've ever seen? No, but this is not what I'm looking for from Ric Flair. If you imagine the guy that's challenging Conan is not the Nature Boy, it's a far better match. Yep. But yep, this is Ric Flair, and when you're Ric Flair. There's a higher standard. Now, I didn't hate this match as aggressively as Gino did, for sure. I thought there were some things to like. I thought Heenan and Dusty were both on their games on commentary on this match. Dusty had the best line of the night from him. When Flair goes to the top rope, everyone that is watching this match is thinking the same thing. Well, this never works. And Conan naturally runs up and slams him off the top rope. And Dusty comments, which has a great ring to it because of the rivalry Dusty and Flair had. He's got a really bad habit of doing that. Yeah. I thought that was great. And your point is good because Dusty and Bobby have such a history with Flair that they do such a great job with his matches because they can just add like lots of personal tidbits to it. I agree on that. Yeah. Now, woman hits the low blow and Heenan plays the greatest hits. Heenan, right on cue, yells, I missed it. My monitor went black. Just so great. So, so great. And that never gets old, no matter how many times you hear it. Heel cheats. Heenan goes, what happened? My monitor went black. So good. Love that. And they raised the game of this overall match. Now, Conan was not bad, but he got portrayed as this Mexican Hulk Hogan type character. And the reason that was the case is because he was the bridge that brought a lot of the luchadors into WCW. Conan played a role in bringing in guys like Rey Mysterio, guys like Juventud Guerrera, 
guys like Psychosis, a bunch of those guys that they brought in to have these ass-kicking, show-stealing matches. Conan was the reason they got brought in, and he was the liaison between WCW's front office and the Mexican talent pool. So in return, Conan got a little bit of a push at this point. Now, as a worker, he was probably past his peak, and he would wind up going on to bigger fame as part of NWO Wolfpack, not for anything he did in the ring, but because of the promos he would cut. That was when he did the Arriba La Raza promos before Eddie Guerrero was doing that, by the way. Eddie ripped that off of Conan. Let's just yep. throw that out there. Um, this match, I didn't think it was awful. It obviously wasn't great, but you know, this was Flair obviously not working to his full potential. And we're getting guy, 16 minutes. You know, yeah. that that's what bothers me too. Like if we get nine and it's not that good because that's not the point of this match, and it's just but we get 16. That yeah. was the one thing about this show and that we really found with WCW, which we you know we talked about with Halloween Havoc and one of their biggest problems ever, their time management, too. Yep. Like, um, so yeah. bad. So many places they could have cut here and there. Yep. The one thing that I will readily say I hated about this match, it's one of my least favorite spots in wrestling. Guys, I hate the surfboard. I absolutely hate yeah. it. If you're in a position to grab a surfboard in the middle of the ring, why would you ever let go? Uh, The guy is incapacitated. He's not going anywhere. You can clamp that thing as tight as you want. He's going nowhere. Why would you break the hold? Great video game move. Great video game move in like WCW, NWO, some of those. Uh, Yeah. The WCW video games had a couple of hacks like that. You could do the surfboard. You could also whittle guys down with a test of strength. It would literally be a situation where you could get a guy's health to zero just by dominating the test of strength, then hitting the finishing move and pinning the guy. Make no mistake, Nitro and Thunder video games were not the pinnacle of professional (laughs) wrestling gaming. And this was not the pinnacle of WCW. That would come later on in the evening. We get Mean Gene backstage. He's trying to get a word from the outsiders. They have been joined by the third man, but he doesn't know who. I thought this was kind of cool because Gene speculates. He says he heard a voice, and the voice is very familiar, but it's muffled. He said, it's somebody that I know. It's somebody that we've heard a lot, which, you know, what would you know afterwards? Who would Gene know better than Hulk Hogan? You know, one one of the uh, the men who he's been linked with for years now. What, at this point, we're talking like AWA, right? With Gene and Hogan yeah. both And then they came over Gene and Hogan were in tag matches together I remember Where Gene was in a tag match with Hogan in, 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 Like 83, 84, 85 Like right around that time I mean we're talking These guys have been joined at the hip forever So sort of just a cool little reference For me and Gene there And uh, he talks back and forth with the announcers As they set up the severity of the night And everything that's going on So we then get Orn and Benoit uh, versus Giant and Kevin Sullivan. We're not going to go through this match. It was the the Horsemen versus the Dungeon of Doom. This thing ends up going eight minutes. The Giant and the, the Taskmaster end up defeating Arn and Benoit there. They had a big feud back and forth for a while. But when this match ends, as we start to get set up for the main event, this is sort of what I talk about with some of the time management. There were 34 minutes left in the show when the video package for the hostile takeover starts. My issue, the same type of video as the intro, 
a bunch of clips, no voiceover. You can't have a video going for two minutes and 50 seconds. I time all these things with <laughs> nothing, with nothing. Like we don't have, to- we're, why can't we have Tony or Mean G b- voicing this stuff over? The, the hostile takeover. WWE would do that perfectly. It, we, it would be, uh, you know, like they do it with Cole now. But at that point, it'd be Todd Pettengill just voicing over the package to to give us the build up footage to every feud. It it felt like six minutes instead of two fifty when you're just watching these clips of this sort of weird. Like music that sort of sounds like pornish music, you know, and there's no narration. So that was what bothered me. Um, and because we go from this, Darren, to oh crap, we've got Michael Buffer here. Let's get ready to rumble. Like it's almost a contrast of the video looks like minor league, and then you've got one of the biggest big league announcers of all time with Michael Buffer coming to, to give the introductions. Yeah, they, they and it just goes to show you that they just didn't really know what they were doing from a production standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know, th- I think maybe they didn't want to spend the money on it. They were so engrossed with bringing in wrestlers and spending the money there that they probably thought it really didn't make that much of a difference. And, I mean, look, lo and behold, as it turns out, you know, the Monday Night Wars told us for, you know, over a year and a half, maybe it didn't make that much of a difference. But, yeah, I mean, going back and watching, you know, some of the pay-per-views from this time, it's it's really you know it's mail it in central it's clip some things together you know to have a to have promos or an intro but you don't even have anybody talking it's just weird you you have to have and there were like only three sounds throughout these three minutes where it'd be like a small clip of like five words of a sting promo or a few words of nothing like nothing at all as far as setting it up for us yep no, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, we saw it early. We saw it again. I, I couldn't agree more with, with what you said. And um, yeah, it just, it, it's just not a video package. If you can even call it that befitting a pay-per-view. Here's the thing that I find fascinating. I agree that this was lousy. I agree that WCW was still trying to find its group production wise. The minimalism that they showed with this type of video wound up being a gigantic asset once the NWO got up and running because the story of the first NWO promo no, you're right. that we saw on Nitro with the black and white stuff that was, was different. They, they hit record, they cued Hogan. Hogan talked for 10 minutes and made absolutely no sense. Everyone involved knew that that was not going to work as far as what they were trying to do. So what they did was they basically took a machete and they chopped Hogan's stuff down Mm -hmm. into these little tiny sound bites with the disorienting video and the black and white stuff. They did next to nothing as far as actual editing. They just took random snippets and they made it work. And it's strange because there are similar philosophies behind the video we're talking about, which did not work, and the NWO promos which absolutely did work to the point where Vince wound up doing the same thing with Degeneration X's promos. It, it it almost feels like you see some of the things that they did, and because again, we I'm going to give plenty of negative things that they did, but they did a lot of really good stuff. And Bischoff had some great ideas. It's just so funny. It seems some things you you wonder. This is the same company that's doing this, that's doing that. It's you just it, wow. 
And here we are. We are Michael Buffer with the intro, and we are ready to rumble. First, we introduce the outsiders. Buffer said that he was informed there would be three, but there only looked to be two. WCW, one of my other thoughts, their their music, Voodoo Child for Hogan is great. A uh, little shout out to WandaVision where uh, Voodoo Child was playing in the the end of that, uh, this most recent episode. But WCW's music was pretty bad for most of it. It's just so generic. It's like, not you don't even hear it. You know, yeah. you don't they even never take on music. Yeah, Ever. that was just not a thing that was important to them whatsoever. You uh, mean you guys didn't like a man called Sting talking about how not only does he do this, man he does called that Sting. Sting. That's a Jimmy Hart special. And uh, Jimmy Hart, I don't know if there's a wider gap between good Jimmy Hart creations and bad Jimmy Hart creations because he was responsible for the West Texas Redneck stuff, which was genius. He was responsible for a lot of really good theme music but then he would mail it in on big big stages and you'd get things like a man called sting you'd get stuff like steinerized which is pretty much the exact same song like let's be real it's pretty much the same thing um yeah entrance music and wcw not really things they did all that well jerry talked about that in his book about how one of the big things he always worried about was entrance music he came into wcw and some low-level tech person said give him basketball highlights 12 <laughs> that, yeah, that was good that's a good one so here uh we're at the point of the uh, the intro for team wcw or okay first mean gene goes into the ring because he wants to ask them about the third man Scott Hall says that they that the third man is here and ready. Nash says he's in the building, but right now that those two have enough to handle it. Here comes Sting, Lex Luger, and Macho Man. So this took 10 minutes of introduction between the video package until we actually get the bell ringing for this one. We get trash talk. It looks like it's going to be two on three. It's Hall and Luger. Going at it first the crowd is now They are they're picked up they're energetic The announcers are going crazy this does Have a big fight feel all the Crap we said about the rest of the the undercard A lot of it this feels like A very big match Nash has Lex in the corner early on And Sting hits a stinger splash But he lands On top of Nash who is On top of Luger And so Luger rolls to the floor Sting goes to check on him Luger is out Cold He's immediately taken off on a stretcher. Now we're down to two on two. So the outsiders try actually to go after Lex on the stretcher, which I thought was a cool spot. Uh, Hall is smacking Sting around, uh, and Sting goes crazy on on Scott Hall. Uh, Macho Man misses off the top rope when he comes in. Bobby keeps asking, where is the third man? Now we get uh, Nash in the ring, and Savage is looking hurt on the apron, so things are not good for Team WCW. But he does tag in Sting. The heels really slow things down uh, And again remember they're not using their names They're not calling them Scott Hall or Kevin Nash They're just the outsiders here um, Tony wants another WCW guy out there to screw the rules As Nash continues to manhandle Sting Bobby starts asking What are we going to do if they win this match um, At this point Randy Savage is at least back to his feet On the outside but Sting is in big trouble In the ring and uh, Sting is just like lifeless in there As the heels keep cheating back and forth Savage keeps trying to get in the ring And the ref won't allow him to do so Keeps stopping him uh, The outsiders continue to have the advantage Sting with the rake to the eyes But he can't make the tag Dusty and Bobby keep talking about the uneasy feeling Throughout the building They feel like something is coming Like something is up the sleeves of the outsiders 
the match is it's not like a fantastic match because it's really not what it's about. It continues to be sort of slow with the heels working on a barely able to kick out of a of pins sting. And then we get a big flurry from Sting. He fights off Nash. He goes after Hall. He jumps sort of like a stinger splash where he tags Savage, who is an absolute madman. Savage goes after both guys, double axe handles all over, but he runs into a low blow from Nash when the ref is turned around. And as the fans cheer and the camera turns, Hulk Kogan is here. Hulk Hogan is here. Hulk Hogan is in the building. Dusty and Tony, they are pumped up, but Bobby, not so much. Andrew, this is your show. What does Bobby say right now? But whose side is he on? One of the, one of the great ones. And Dusty says Thank back you. to him, What the <laughs> hell are you talking about? As Hogan runs into the ring, Savage is down. Hall and Nash. Leave the ring to the outside. Everyone's kind of pumped up. Hogan rips off his shirt. He looks around, backs up into the corner, and he drops the leg on Randy Savage. That piece of trash, Darren Zocali. The announcers say, oh, my God, what is he doing? Is he the third man? And Bobby says he is the third man. Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW and Bobby again says what have I been saying all these years you you humanoids see those little hulksters with the tears in their eyes the announcers are beside themselves and I gotta say as much as we hate Hulk and we rip on Hulk the moment is still pretty surprising even all these years later like I'm shocked that Hulk you 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 hit on it he at least had the insight to mooch onto something he knew was going to be big I'm surprised that I could have seen Hogan early in the night getting cold feet on something like this and saying, I can't do this. I've been Hulk Hogan my whole life. I've been the good guy. I can't do this. Like, I can't be the bad guy. But when he drops the leg and when he gets that microphone and tells me, Gene, to tell the fans to shut up, that was, that's pretty damn good stuff for something that, like, as far as, like, a what the hell just happened moment. Yeah, if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> I was going to say, here we go. Darren Raincloud is going to come in and just, you know, blow thunder and lightning over one of the most iconic moments in the history <laughs> of professional wrestling. Darren, by all means, go ahead. I'll just be sitting over here, twiddling my thumbs, <laughs> waiting to, you know, adequately explain the historical points of view of everything that's going on here. Look. I appreciate the history of the moment. I get it. Okay, I do. But I, I, and and it's just coming through my eyes. You know, I, I just could never stand the guy. And and it finally looked to be a situation for me in WCW, which is you know, and I follow WCW and WWE. I don't know. I, I probably it was probably a 65-35 split in favor of WWE. But I was into WCW more than just about everybody that I that I was you know that I knew back then. And here was a thing that they were doing that I was really into because, like we had talked about in the past, you know, you, you didn't really know, you know, for a few weeks where where you know Hall and Nash still working for WWE, you know, what the hell was happening? It, it was cool. It was different. You know, it was something that we have not seen before. And and to inject Hogan into that. It it just it just took some of the starch out of it for me, and I get it. I get the shock value. I I concede the point. Historical, yes, of course it was historical because we know what's about to happen 
in terms of the ratings. We know what's about to happen with the NWO, and and, and off to the races we go. Uh, you know, I originally thought that when I watched this pay-per-view live as a kid, I originally thought Savage was going to flip when Luger got when Luger got too. knocked out and then taken back. I thought Luger was actually going to be the third guy and flip, like he didn't really get knocked out, and they took him back, and he was going to come back and make this heroic return, and he was going to turn on, um, you know. And look, of course, at no point was I thinking Hulk Hogan was showing up as you know the the bad guy. So yeah, they got me there, and the shock value, you know, was there. But it, it's it's just me, and I admit it, it's me. But there's nothing that Hulk Hogan is ever going to do that I'm going to stand up and applaud. It's just, I, I, I've seen too much. I've heard too much. I've had enough of it. And that's how I felt about it at, at this point. And um, yeah, it's just from Hogan must pose to Hogan main eventing shows that you shouldn't have main evented to going to WCW and bringing a lot of the old guard with them to finally having something new. And then it just becoming... Hulk Hogan Central, it, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. And I, I was in the minority. My friends loved it. They thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I just kind of sat there and went, "Now, yeah, great, more. You know, all this means is that now every Monday Nitro is just going to be Hulk Hogan, you know, telethon from, you know, 8 to 10 every night. Debbie Downer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I admit it. That's fine. He's, he, play, he owns it, though. He owns I it. it. Yeah. I own it. He he does, and, and I'm going to remember this. I'm going to stash it in my brain to where when you guys collude, or in the words of Cesaro on Up, Up, Down, Down, Kahoot, to push back my show, I'm going to remember that the next time I have a chance to pick a show. So, now, for the historical perspective, every single aspect of this match, in the eyes of somebody that doesn't have a blood-curling hatred of Hulk Hogan was perfect. I like the way it's done, too. I think it's yes. very well done. Yeah. So they because bring... Well, for the reasons that Darren said, because we were believing at this point that it could have been Luger. It could have been Macho. All as we're watching this match. We're not even thinking of Hogan. So they're, they're giving us still throughout the match, like, it's got to be one of these guys that we just saw. Right, it's they gotta have had turned Luger or Macho. It can't Sting. Do they turn Sting? That's what we're thinking at this point. It's one of these three out there that's gonna flip. Yeah, and rumor was that it was gonna be Luger, and it would have made some semblance of sense. Luger takes a big bump and leaves early. This feeds all of the speculation. Oh, Luger's gonna come back out, and he's gonna be the third guy, and that worked. Because at this point, Luger was playing a tweener. His lone redeeming factor in the eyes of the fans was that Sting was his best friend. Yeah, They had a tag team, and my favorite little quirk of this, they would come out, Sting would be playing to the fans and whatnot. Luger wanted nothing to do with it unless Sting was looking at him. Yeah, Once good. Sting looked at him, Luger would start smiling, smiling. high-fiving the fans. Oh, and, then, cool. and then once Sting turned his back, Luger was back to being the prissy prima donna that never got over as much as he should have in WWF. So had Luger turned, it would have been sensible. Then Tony Schiavone, in one of the greatest things he ever did, 
subtly lays the groundwork for the next year and a half of Sting's story arc because Tony throws some shade at him, talking about how it was his splash that hit Nash, but ultimately knocked Luger his, and he used these words, or there thereabouts, his supposed best friend off the apron and out of the match. And then we get the two-month storyline where you're not sure if Sting is WCW or not. The NWO brings out their own Sting. Sting comes out at Fall Brawl, destroys everybody, and walks out. Then Sting's a free agent, and you spend the next year wondering, what the heck is this guy going to do? He descends from the rafters, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's where this started. Sting gets in plenty of offense. The crowd roars. Then the tables turn, and Hall and Nash slow everything down. You guys mentioned this. They did not refer to them by name because nobody knew what they were going to be called. They were just calling them the outsiders, and they called one guy the big guy. They called Nash the big guy. That was it. Yeah. So Sting winds up taking the beating. There's a great spot in this match that gets ignored. Sting actually jumps over most of Nash. Nash has to duck a little bit to help him. That was a good one. Jumps over Nash to get the hot tag to Savage. And that was awesome. Savage starts flying around. He gets the double axe handle. Then Nash goes low. Everybody's down. Out comes Hogan, but whose side is he on? Darren Zocala is beside himself in New York City. <laughs> Hogan drops the leg, and WCW wins the ratings war for 83 weeks. Hogan's what? promo after this. Okay, hold on. Let's get there for a second. Hold on. I think there's one yeah. or two things that I forgot. Bobby, just one of Bobby's lines. Probably the lowest shot every anyone ever gave professional wrestling that man just gave right now. Hulk Hogan. Uh, Sting gets back in the ring. They dispose of him. And that was when Bobby said back again, you know, this is what I've been saying all these years. Um, <laughs> the outsiders are doing the Hulk Hogan calling to the fans with the ear, with the hand of the ear. They're calling for the booze, which is great. And there's no actual end to the match. There's no three count. They get down. They count the three themselves. Uh, Tony wants the locker room to come out and beat them up. And the trash, this is the one thing I remember, that just gets tossed into the ring. People throwing stuff into the ring. You can see security guards in the background, like, hustling to the crowd to trying to get people to stop throwing stuff. Because people are throwing, I mean, it, they're just flying in the ring. So Mean Gene gets in the ring, Andrew, and uh, and that's when he says, Hulk Hogan, excuse me, what in the world are you thinking? That's when Hulk Hogan cuts his promo, so go ahead. Yeah, and he does not waste time. He does not mince words. And the entire thing feels so real because the fans were sick of Hulk Hogan at this point. This was not just a Darren thing. Fans were sick of Hulk Hogan. He had been playing the same say your prayers, eat your vitamins, red and yellow, da-da-da-da-da, eight-minute match with Monster of the Month at house shows. They get in their offense. Hogan no-sells, big boot, leg drop, good night. He'd been doing the same shtick going back to the AWA in night. 1982-83. That is how long Hulk Hogan had been Hulk Hogan. He comes to WCW. He has the matches with Flair. 
Then 95 happens and Hogan's feuding with the Dungeon of Doom. And then we get the Alliance to end Hulkamania. And then we get Savage doing the reviving elbow and just a whole bunch of stuff that was garbage. Okay. It was terrible. Hogan starts talking about the promises he was made. And look, we're all people who have had careers. We're all people who have dealt with certain people, and everybody's had these experiences, dealing with certain people who you don't think live up to their end of the bargain. It felt real. It was simple. It was easy to understand. And given how convoluted everything was from the moment Scott Hall jumped the barricade on Memorial Day of that year, the fact that this ended as simply as it did and started such a huge storyline that went several years and probably several years too long, to be honest, the fact that it started with such a simple premise behind it, the fact that this guy who was beloved by so many non-Darren Zocali people would come in, bring the outsiders with him, and embark on a reign of terror no one saw coming. It was brilliant. It was great. Uh, it was great. And Mean Gene, when Hulk Hogan grabs the microphone, uh, he says, Mean Gene, the first thing you need to do is tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say. So Which was, good. oh my God, did Hulk Hogan just tell the fans to shut up? Say your prayers, eat your vitamins, just told them to shut up? Mean Gene, I've been with you for so many years. For you to be joining up with the likes of these two men makes me absolutely sick to my stomach. We've all had enough of these two, and you want to put yourself in this group? Hulk, this is the future of wrestling, the new world order. You know that great big organization up north? I know more about them than anyone. Uh, mean Gene says, I've been there, done that. And uh, Hogan said, I made that organization a monster. I made people up there, I mean, people rich up there. When it all came to pass, the man, Hulk Hogan, was bigger than that whole organization. Billionaire Ted promised me movies, millions of dollars, high caliber matches to Bischoff, to Ted, and all of you. I'm bored. Me and these two guys are the new blood. We're going to take over the whole wrestling business. Trash being thrown all over the ring. And Hulk Hogan says, all this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. Two years I held my head high. I did everything for the charities, the kids, the reception I got out here from you fans. You can stick it. If it wasn't uh, Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. Eric Bischoff would still be selling meat from a truck. Uh, he goes on. He talks about. He sort of but butchers it. He calls it the New World Organization a few times here, not New World Order. Uh, it sucks. Yeah, but but he grabs me, Gene, like he's gonna hit him. And, uh, and Tony says, we have seen the end of Hulkamania. Trash keeps flying in the ring. Tony sounds like he's going to cry. And uh, Tony Schiavone says, Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. So I, a crazy moment. Terrible show. Great love, hate Hulk Hogan. The shock of this guy telling fans to F off was insane. I remember uh, being – I remember exactly – in my mom and dad's room where I would watch all the pay-per-views when this was hap like happening, going, no way, could not believe it. Uh, I was like, like almost 10 
So I wasn't quite like if this would have been five or six, I probably would have been crying at that point. Uh, for me, if I would have been like a younger kid, because I wasn't, I was more of a Brett than a Hulk guy. But I was definitely, nah, I didn't know any of the bad stuff about Hulk until I got older. So as a kid, I'm all in Hulk. But at this point, I remember, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I I was shocked. My final thoughts of uh, uh, this show, and I thought adding Mean Gene. Having him be the guy in the ring definitely did a lot because this is his buddy. Like we said, this is the guy that Hulk's been cutting. The, well, you know something, Mean Gene, for how many years? And he grabs Mean Gene like he was going to go after him, like his his friend. Uh, the overall wrestling quality on the show was not good. Uh, just my like Ray Psychosis, very good. Tenta Bubble, awful. Uh, DDP Hacksaw, eh. Nasty Boys, PE. Terrible Malenko Disco Much better than it should have been Very solid McMichaels Joe Gomez Good god Bad Flair <laughs> uh, Conan Just disappointing But the And the Outsiders Team WCW It's a no contest That doesn't really have A ton of in-ring quality And with all that I still like watching this show Because of how That last 15 minutes Of the show Makes me feel It, it, it still Even knowing this Makes me feel that way And I'm, I like doing this show particularly with the three of us Because I love that Darren hates Hogan And I like that Andrew is a little more into WCW And I'm sort of in the middle Because I think it gives a good uh, Like a good little view of of like a melting pot of ideas here And how people in the wrestling world sort of are Just different opinions, different thoughts on different wrestlers So DZ, you know, we know your thoughts on Hogan um, give us your overall uh, thoughts on this show, and then you know, sort of the the spark of the NWO. I mean, the the overall show it's a bad show. I mean, the wrestling in it is is for the most part lousy. There's two. There's one really good match. There's one good match, and then there's the you know historical twist here at the end uh, with a lot of stuff in between that was better left for you know Monday Nitro or you know the the program uh, Thunder on Thursday. Um, look, I mean, listen, all, all kidding aside, I recognize the historical nature of this. I know what happened after this in terms of, um, you know, the WCW winning the ratings war against WWE, and it really kind of taking until the, the Mr. McMahon uh, character coming out after the Montreal Screwjob uh, to really start to, you know, stem the stem the tide a bit and turn things back into the favor of... of uh, of WWE, but yeah, I mean, for me, the way and, and kind of looking at it in hindsight, you know, the NWO was something like I said that was cool. You know, Ed Hogan and with the three of them for a while, it, it, it's all right. I mean, it's fun. Um, I always like playing contrarian. You know, everybody walking around with their NWO shirts and stuff like that, and I'm like, yeah, all right, you know, it's fine. Um, and then they just started to literally add so many people to the NWO. That I completely lost track of who was in NWO, who yeah. was in WCW, who was in NWO Wolfpack. Didn't understand what the hell was happening. It got so convoluted, it turned into a giant soap opera where it was like, you know, you, well, wait, she's sleeping with him now, but she was sleeping with him in the last episode. And now, wait. And then they him. double turn. Yeah, there were. Yeah, it, it became so convoluted. But that is a, but, but that is a, um, a product of Eric Bischoff. And and the creative team there just not knowing what the hell they were doing. Yeah. Um, and and you know, so looking back on it, I know where this all goes. I'm never gonna like Hogan. I appreciate the his, the history of the moment. I could watch it and and you know, yeah, I mean, 
it, but for me, it just listen. I'm being honest with you. That night, I was I was you know 12, 13 years old, and when he walked out, I'm like you know I was kind of hoping that he was there to help Savage and and like he was gonna get his ass kicked and we weren't gonna see him for <laughs> yeah gonna go record you know a movie or something like that. When he became the guy, I was like, oh no. Like now, now everyone's gonna love this. Everyone's gonna love that Hogan's the greatest thing going today, and and I'm gonna have to sit there and watch this for God knows how long. And that's honestly how I felt in the moment. Oh dear. Um. So I'm actually gonna tell a little bit of a story here. Um. The reason that I remember Scott Hall coming out being on Memorial Day is because that Monday Nitro was the very first wrestling show Andrew Champagne ever watched. Wow. Wow. That is how I became a WCW guy. When you start with that angle, it becomes very easy. Oh, that's a cool angle. When you start with Snitsky kicking a baby, it's a heck of a lot easier to turn the television off. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, I was, let's see, seven and a half, I think, at that point. So I was a little bit younger than either of you were, I think. But just looking at that, like, even as a kid, you knew who Hulk Hogan was. You, If you were to describe wrestling to someone who had no idea what they were talking about, you'd say, it's the thing Hulk Hogan does. Yeah. And that impact resonated with so many people and it wound up driving a gigantic boom time for the industry. If it had been Luger leading the NWO and being the mouthpiece and whatnot, it would have flopped. If it would have been Savage, we probably would have gotten a better on-screen product, but would there have been a wrestling boom like there was? Dirty little secret Hogan drew a heck of a lot more money than Savage did. I and mean, and you know what? It was even, and I think it even did for some people, like what what it did for Bobby, and what I think there were probably people that didn't like Hogan, like Darren, that were ready to hate him, that were ready to like to finally get to boo him. Right. And, and finally get to want to see him get his comeuppance, but he didn't really get it. That was the problem. We sort of got a reign of terror for a little right. while. Right. And yeah. that's where I sympathize with Darren to a point. Completely. Yeah. This idea was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Then you had the execution of Hogan getting his comeuppance and Starcade being the show where the baby faces were supposed to go over. Let's go through the next couple of Starcades really quickly. Starcade 96, Piper puts Hogan to sleep at the end of a god awful match that turns out to not be for the title. That like most people didn't even realize until after they just said they they did a a, a real like try to pull the wool over your eyes and not even tell you about it during the match that it wasn't for the title. Right. 97 Sting comes back and Sting is the most over guy in the world until the match starts and you realize, wait a minute, this is just Sting and Hogan's gonna go over with a count that's not fast and here's Bret Hart coming out and this is the best you can do with him uh no 1998 Goldberg streak ends and at that point the cattle everything changed now I do think 
as a brief, you know, tangent, I do think there was money in potentially beating Goldberg and setting up Goldberg going through everybody else to get back what was rightfully his. The problem is you don't do that at the biggest show of the year where the baby faces are supposed to go over and you certainly don't do the finger poke of doom. Following right away, you got Nash. This is when Nash starts getting involved in the booking. I feel, I sort of feel about Nash how Darren does about Hogan. When I hear Nash talk about and some of the crap he did in WCW, it was like, good God, what a piece of garbage he was over there with some of the stuff he was pulling. But uh, the thing with Nash is, I there's a part of me that doesn't blame him for some of the stuff. I blame Bischoff for putting in these contracts that gave workers the power to do that. Are they called the favored nations or favored nations, creative control. There's a number of different things that Bischoff put into play that lured these guys over. And yeah, mission accomplished there. You had this great idea in mid 96, two years later, you've got the same guys who are two years older who were never the greatest in-ring workers, now they're two years older, now they're exerting their influence over the rest of the locker room, and then you get standards and practices coming in from Turner's company after the merger between AOL and Time Warner, and it's just a convergence of events that would wind up driving WCW into the backseat in the ratings war, and then in 2001, Jamie Kellner kicks WCW off the networks, Vince buys WCW like you'd buy something at a yard sale, and that's the end of the Monday Night War. But from mid-96 through at least most of 1998, you'd be hard-pressed to say WCW wasn't the hottest company in professional wrestling. They had some good. They, they definitely had some good. Unfortunately, it's, it's the, uh, the thing that we, we see is that and it was the same thing with Hogan. Uh, what he was doing here is what Bishop was doing. It was all like instant gratification stuff. Nothing long term. They were never setting things up well. The only thing they were setting up well and building was Sting. And they completely screwed the pooch with that. Uh, they did it with Goldberg. Then they screwed the pooch with that again. Every time they had the next guy, they just did something wrong with it. And, and that was inevitably... What ended up being the, the problem for WCW, just the wrong guys making decisions. For as much as everybody wants to give Vince crap, he may not be the greatest pure idea man anymore, but he's a great filter. He's a great filter for a lot of people who have their ideas that are not good that Vince would have stopped and never let get on his TV. We saw a lot of things get on TV at WCW that we said, well, how did that happen? Or that was sloppy or this was was bad that you give WWF credit for at the time We wouldn't have seen that so um, This is a fascinating time in the World of wrestling and a huge night and uh, A polarizing show uh, with Some polarizing stars To uh, to discuss so I'm glad you picked This one Andrew because it was a must watch At some point for us in our old Wrestling rewatches next week It is Darren Zocali selection DZ where are we headed well, after this show, I, I had to get some vindication for my man, Rick. <laughs> <Wright. laughs> so we're, we're going to go back um, to, in my opinion, is one of the best pay-per-views of all time. And it does take place in uh, NWA WCW. 
Uh, and it is the 1989 Great American Bash. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice. Great so, selection. Yeah, as you can tell by Andrew's reaction, um, it is a tremendous card filled with, um, you know, uh, even you even get a look at the skyscrapers with uh, a young Sid Vicious. You get a tuxedo match with Jim Cornette and 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 Paul and Paul Heyman, Paulie Dangerously. That's funny. You got the Steiners. You got uh, you know Sting and the Great Muda. You probably have, I would say, the best match of Lex Luger's career um, against Ricky Steamboat. And then you have a War Games match that is just whoa. Uh, and then of course the main event of Ric Flair and Terry Funk, where I, I know Terry Funk could be an acquired taste, and maybe he's not for everybody, but my God, was that a damn good match. And this is probably, in my opinion, one of the five best pay-per-views in the history of professional wrestling. You also get the great Muda. I can't, I can't believe you left out the great no, Muda. He mentioned Sting and Muda. Oh, yeah, yeah Sting and Muda, yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, my monitor went black. No, I, I, you know what? I don't think I've ever watched this whole pay-per-view start to finish. I think I've seen, I've seen either most of the or the matches or like big parts of the main matches in here. So I'm excited. Anytime there's a show like this that I don't really remember that much, I love sitting down and watching it and taking notes and looking stuff up. So very pumped to be heading back in time. We're going to 1989 for the Great American Bash. Good selection, Darren. So when we uh, reconvene next week, we'll be talking Great American Bash. I'll make my selection uh, next week uh, for the following one. And uh, Andrew, this was a good show. And because not like some of the shows that are the best to talk about are the ones that are polarizing, that have big moments, and that aren't even on the best of wrestling work. So, you know, this was this was great. This checked all the boxes for me, some things that made me laugh. We did have a couple really high moments with some good entering action, and then the big moment at the end. So, Andrew Champagne, good selection for you here. And uh, I promise we won't make you we'll wait six months before you get the pick again. I'm holding you to that, buddy. <laughs> Andrew Champagne, you can follow him online. Andrew, give us your plugs again real quick. Sure, at Andrew Champagne on Twitter, Champagne and JD on YouTube, working on a couple of really exciting developments with the show that you're not going to want to miss, so stay tuned for that. Also doing some writing for Racing Picks as well, coming off a pretty good day at Delta Downs on Tuesday where I ate the late pick four, so pretty good afternoon here in Andrew Land. Hopefully there's more to come. And Darren Zocali has been uh, seeing the ball very well at Turfway Park. He's doing a lot more handicapping now um, on social media. We're seeing some videos posted, lots of selections and analysis for Twin Spires. Keep up the great work over there, buddy. I saw you've had a, a very hot hand over the last month, month and a half. You just you've got a great feel uh, for that Turfway Park meeting. You, you, I saw a lot of the stats and stuff you've been posting. So for anyone who's who was playing along there or just a, a racing fan in general, uh, Darren has uh, has some great stats. Great information you can see sort of and get an insight onto how he handicaps the races. Keep up the good work on that, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate it. It actually started where uh, I was going to follow the meet closely because we, you know, our ownership group was was sending our horses there, and uh, and that's kind of how it started. Where I was just keeping an eye out on horses to claim and getting an idea of the competition and where we should be placing our horses. And uh, you know, then I said, you know what, this product is really good. I'm going to start playing it. And then, uh, you know, Twin Spires, uh, we've been doing some different things with some video selections, and, and we, we have a new production team involved, a, a third-party team that's been kind of pushing some of the stuff. And I've worked with a couple of the guys there, so they asked me if I'd be interested in doing this stuff again. And, you know, I said I'm happy to help the, the company out. So it sounds like, well, 
work through the turf we meet. And then there's even going to be, you know, more stuff as we kind of move from racetrack to racetrack throughout the year. So uh, it's cool. I enjoy doing it. Um, you know, and, and it's something that, you know, I started my career with in terms of just talking about races and, and giving out some analysis. So uh, we'll, hopefully we'll get to continue that as that continues to grow. But I appreciate it. And you can catch it. Uh, the Twin Spires uh, social media page will be putting out those videos. You can get my expert picks uh, for each night at Turfway Park on the Twin Spires app in the uh, individual race page. You click on expert video and you get to see my ugly mug come up and talk to you for about a minute. It's great. <laughs> And uh, and then I'll also give you some extra stuff uh, on Twitter as well at at the track seven. So yep, been a lot a lot more busy, but uh, it's been a lot of fun, you know. Well, it's, I, I think it's been honestly about uh we're about a month away or so from about a year where we started doing this right around the time of the pandemic when um when a lot of the sports shut down some of the racetracks shut down there wasn't a lot to talk about so i was looking just for some more content on this show as wrestling continued on and we're wrestling fans that can go back in time and uh it's just become such a blast uh linking up with you guys every week talking to wrestling we will you guys will help me out cover all sorts of other stuff and i appreciate it on night like tonight just pulling the curtain back we we sat here and we talked for about three hours uh, recording uh some about the royal Rumble and then this show right afterwards So always appreciate your time Makes it easier when it's uh, a lot of fun And you're just talking and hanging out with a couple of your buddies So Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne We're always very lucky to have you on That's What G Said You guys have a, a great week And we'll uh, we'll talk to you again next week But whose side is he on? <laughs> <laughs> Take care guys, thanks a lot Don't go anywhere folks we'll, we'll be back with much more here on That's What G Said and that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A big thank you to everyone for joining us. WandaVision with Tim Kelly, the uh, the boys for the old wrestling rewatch, Bash at the Beach 96. Coming up on the next episode, we're going to talk some NBA with Eric, who's hot, who's not. We're going to talk Sam Houston Friday and Saturday. Sam Sherman's going to join me to talk the Saturday card. Wrestling with Chad Cooper. We go over everything in AEW, NXT, on Raw, and on SmackDown. Shameless. Going to recap Shameless that there's a new episode coming back up this weekend. And then Emily Gullickson joins me for the Fairgrounds Saturday Stakes Races. We'll talk about the Risen Star out there and the Rachel Alexandra. So another big episode coming up in just a few days. Enjoy your next couple of days, folks. Best of luck.